good morning, afternoon, or potentially evening to all the lovely people around the world listening to this, the Warhammer 40,000 podcast known as Lookout Sir. My name is Dan, and it is my duty, honour, and or privilege to present to you this wonderful Warhammer 40,000 podcast that is put together by an assortment of uh, friends on a semi-regular basis, fortnightly, if you will. And this, if I haven't said so already, and I feel like I have, but I'm not sure anymore, is episode 64 of that aforementioned podcast. Look out, sir, Warhammer 40k. (sighs) That didn't go nearly as well as I'd hoped it would. And on the topic of stuff not going as well as I hoped it might, it's my buddy Phil. How's it going, Phil? I thought you were going to segue into Joe there. Well, potentially. It did seem like a Joe segue, but unfortunately the, the pecking order has been established. You come first. Well, that's true. Well, of course I do. Of course I do. Exactly. Also, if it's even if it's fortnightly, surely it's regular. Yes. Not yes. Regular. No, that is true. You, 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 you've, you've exposed my, you know, incorrectness. I surely you just say the the semi-regular appearances of some of our cast. Well, potentially, potentially, but then that would be me besmirching your good honour, Joe. Even though you don't appear in some of this episode. I'd say the majority of it. No, no, no. no the Space Wolves segment is very long. Oh, God, yeah. So this, is, so, this, so this could be one of those podcasts where you start listening to it on your way to work and you're still listening to it on your drive home. Exactly. Or you could be potentially listening to it by the time that you hand in your notice three years from now. Yeah. It could be like that. Although, obviously, we recorded within the span of two weeks, so the idea that we created three years' worth of audio would be quite an accomplishment. Put some stuff on, on loop, like that's, that that video of Gandalf nodding his head. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> the old classics. Uh, I haven't actually technically introduced you yet, Joe. You've uh, crashed Phil's bit where we kind of see how he's doing, ask a few general questions, and then he inadvertently gives me something to use as you know momentum to then introduce you. You know, don't, 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 don't mind me. I'm only a person. Exactly. He's only a real-life human being with thoughts and feelings that you don't seem to mind about, Joe. I don't care. All right, fine. Well, anyway, let's see what Phil says first. How are you doing, Phil? How's the wondrous world of hobby treating you lately? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. I'm, I'm surrounding myself um, with, well, with two things, with more time still, still doing a little war, more, more time war band, mm. and, then, and then doing some Krieg stuff as well to try mm. and make it playable. What have you uh, What have you been making for more time lately? Uh, so I've got my undead uh, war band. I've been. Uh, I think we, we talked about it a long time ago. Actually, the the, the Rat King. Oh yes. Finally complete and built the 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 thing esque creature, which is lots of human bodies all in one. There you go. Uh, See now, what you've done, Phil, is you've set me up perfectly, right? Because on the topic of thing like creatures that appear to be like human bodies rolled into one. Yes, Daddy. How's it going, Daddy? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Um, good. See, perfectly done, Phil. You never fail to give me some kind of, uh, you know, insult kind of apply to, to apply to Joe. <laughs> yeah, and he remembered it's... that we call him Daddy in the intro segments now as well. That's a plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll probably lose interest in that by the next episode. It just it just felt like I should at least try to do it twice. Oh, definitely. definitely. I, yeah, I actually have a question for you two gents, and I, I appreciate the answer to this question will have already been unveiled to our listeners. Given that this episode is now going out on Saturday the twenty eighth of November, is it time that we transition 
to our Christmas music, or do we keep the normal music for this episode? Well, it's, it's not Christmas yet. It's not even December yet. So well, no, this is it. But then some people have already put up their decorations. I will be putting up my well, Christmas decorations this weekend in preparation for December. You're all saying As a way to stop my child from complaining at me, um, I bought a, a £3 Christmas tree. Nice. Which has been up in my living room since um, the start of November. I mean, that is mad. That is not Christmas, mate. The start of November is very much, you know, not Christmas at all. I, I thought, like, going into lockdown, need a bit of festive cheer when That's I walk true. downstairs, you know? Like, Are you going to have, what, a, almost like two-month-long Christmas build-up? Well, it's, I haven't got any other Christmas decorations up in my flat. Because my, my flat is so small. It's massive like, in that there. Like, I mean, the, the, the tree appears massive, you mean? Yeah, the tree, it looks like if there's anything extra in my flat, it's just a clutter. But this is one of it just looks messy without even trying. So I'm trying to reduce the amount of Christmas stuff that I actually have up. Mm. Although I don't want a big tree because it's just, it's just so sad. Just sat there <laughs> and it because it's so cheap as well and nasty. <laughs> and it's got like inbuilt Christmas lights, but they're battery powered. Oh, nice. Yeah. Where did you um, buy this three-pound Christmas tree from? From the 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 mighty shop B and M. And is it a legit tree or is it a plastic tree? Oh, it's a plastic tree. Oh, okay, fine. Tree. So it isn't about to start dying on you, at least. Oh God, no! Because that would have been like the most fantastic vision. <laughs> I could, yeah. I could, I would have loved to have seen pictures of you on Christmas Day by your dead tree <laughs> with all the pipes. You know, like on the floor with your miserable looking face when you're sat there on your own in a flat crying into your dead tree. That'd be lovely to view. I like the fact that you that's how you think that my Christmas days are. <laughs> I mean, are they not? But no. Uh, sometimes <laughs> like I see family. Oh, okay. You're coming over to mine for Christmas, aren't you? I don't know what I'm doing this year. Well, it's weird. The rules are weird, right? Nothing's too certain in terms of how this stuff works. But apparently, there might not even be a Christmas. They might just cancel it. I mean, technically, if you want to get really deep, was there ever, or is there ever, more of a, you know, construct of human perception and or, you know, tradition? But is that even maybe, actually real? Maybe we live in a computer simulation. Who exactly. knows? Exactly. When you start to think about how the universe was formed and how all matter can be squeezed into a space no bigger than an atom. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. I don't know how true that statement is, by the way. I just sort of feel like that's something to do with the Big Bang Theory, right? Or we'll all eventually be dust. I mean, the Thousand Suns had it right, I suppose, bringing it back to Warhammer 40,000 related topics there with a reference to the Thousand Suns. Um, big pre-order weekend this weekend though right i mean you know today saturday the 28th which isn't the day we're recording this but the day where this goes out uh, so for whatever reason we pretend that it's the day we put this out for whatever purpose that serves you've got loads of boxes you've got like you know four different varieties of warhammer 40,000 boxes and then you've got the blood angels uh combat patrol box and then you've got assault uh intercessors and the blood angels codex and blood angels dice I mean, cool, blimey. It's a big old release day, isn't it? It is a, it is a hefty one. Will you be picking well, up any of it? No, because I'm poor. Oh, okay. Phil, you interested? Any of it perked your uh, your interests? 
Uh, unfortunately not, no. No, none of it's doing anything but, for you. I have felt that um, the all the new Combat Patrol box sets for Space Marines are basically designed just so you buy all of them. Mm. It doesn't matter which chapter you run. Because no, it all just make one big cool army. Because they're all different, aren't they? All they are all different, different yes. Yeah. Well, there is some overlap in so much as everyone's got an intercessor and two of them have aggressors now. Mm. And, and one, the one of them has there. reavers and the other one has infiltrators slash inceptors. Uh. But obviously reavers are different from uh, intercessors, sorry, not intercessors, infiltrators slash incursors. But at the same time... Yeah, I was surprised that the Blood Angels had aggressors and didn't get incessors or not incessors, in oh. inceptors. The the, the, the the flyy shooty ones. Inceptors. Yeah, yeah, inceptors. Yeah. I was surprised by that. I thought give them the, the, the impulsor, which they got, put the unit of uh you know, intercessors in the impulsor because it's got transport capacity of five. With the librarian, which I kinda get, so then you got transport capacity six. Then you've got uh, you know the unit of infiltrators or incursors, and then you know chucking a chucking a unit of uh, inceptors in there, and that would have been a, a nice combat patrol. But they went aggressors. Yeah, no no idea why. Well, because they're, they're close combating, aren't they? True. Maybe that's how they themed it more than jump packy. Well, fair enough. <laughs> but then Blood Angels are well known for being jump packy as much as they are for being close combaty. Well, exactly. But they just went with the close combat. But the thing is, they're, they're like assault jump packy, aren't they? Mm. Like. Um, army and well, they do mortal to... wounds after they charge, don't they? Or do yeah, they they're, still? They're not like yeah, they do. Okay, assaulty are they? Is the problem? Well, fair enough, fair enough. But either way, though, it's a good selection there. I'm going to be buying a box of assault intercessors so as I can uh, fit, uh, sort out all of my outriders for my uh, for my Death Watch army because I don't know if anyone out there has tried to uh, take off the shoulder pads on Outriders to replace them with the Death Watch shoulder pads. But based on my experience, it's near impossible to do. So I've just opted to buy a box of Assault Intercessors and just swap out the arms and put the shoulder pads, the Death Watch shoulder pads on that way. Because, yeah, the way they've moulded the shoulder pads on the, uh, the Outriders makes it nearly impossible to do it unless you're willing to green stuff a lot of stuff after the fact. Because... Yeah, there's a lot of overlap uh, in places. Yeah, it's because they're, they're easy build, aren't they? They are, yeah. But but by all accounts, this is the only way you're going to get Outriders for a very long time. So I've had to uh, to opt to uh, get some Assault Intercessors to finish them off. They have, they have released Outriders as a box set, haven't they? But yes, it's, but it's the same as what came in. Uh, yeah, not, I don't think they'll ever release a multi-part kit for them. I think they will eventually, but I don't think they will... For a while, and what 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 reassures me of that statement is there is no rules for a captain on an outrider bike or a Primaris captain on a bike. Yeah. Whereas obviously the Primaris chaplain on bike exists, but because they haven't actually done rules for you know insert Primaris variant character on yeah. bike tells me that yeah because if they did a multi part bike kit. You could very easily make a Primaris captain on bike, but obviously they're not, so that's not happening by all accounts. At least not this edition, or at least not anytime soon. Hmm, makes sense. I quite like the the box sets 
that they're releasing, which is all like infiltrator stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that actually like looks quite tempting. Yeah, well, part of me just like feel like just throwing a curveball and just just getting loads of those box sets and doing like a a Raven Guard army or something like a very thematic one. It would be a very cool Raven Guard army. You could also make a very good Death Watch army out of it as well. Oh yeah, like all the I think all the box sets aren't like they, they've made them chapter specific, like I said, but they're not actually chapter specific. No, absolutely. I I personally am gonna probably pick up the Tau one. Uh, because I have a, you know, Tau army work in progress uh, that yeah. Joe is supposedly painting for me, although, you know, haven't seen any results of that yet. Um, crikey, actually, they've got more than four box sets, by the way. I only thought they had four. It's Age of Sigmar that's got four. They've got a grand total of six box sets for Warhammer 40,000. Oh, really? Yeah, so they've got Space Marines, uh, which is the uh, the Infiltrator Force. They've got Necrons, which looks okay. I mean, I probably wouldn't fall over myself to pick up the Necron one, but, you know, it's all right. Um, I think what they've done smart with the Necron one, if they've done anything smart, is that actually this plus the Indomitus box would probably make a very, very good Necron army. So if you have... It would make an okay one. Yeah, yeah, but it'd give you lots of options and stuff. I, I appreciate it wouldn't actually be good, but it'd be playable and something fun yeah uh the uh the guard one i'm not into at all i have no idea why they think the guard ones value for money i mean that if anything that that discourages people from playing guard if that's as little guard as you can get for 120 quid or whatever this thing is going to cost you i mean what's your feelings on the guard well it's uh Oh, no, no, you go, Phil. You're our resident guard player. Yeah, sorry. It was sort of implied that I was asking Phil. I just didn't say Phil at the end. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, it's an odd choice. It's, it's things like a, a Hydra, isn't it? It's yes. Like, yeah, so I it's, mean, a, technically, it's a Sentinel, it's... a heavy weapons team, a Hydra, two infantry units, one command squad, and a Chimera. It's sort of like a nice selection of bits of an army, but they're all the sort of middle-tier stuff. It's like there's... Obviously, no Bulgrins. There's no Lehman Russ in there, which is a bit more of an iconic unit, I think. Mm. And and one Sentinels not really doing anything. You'd probably want a couple more if you are going to take Sentinels. Yeah. I think with the the Hydra is a bit of a, a sort of a false flag because it makes you think that's what it is, but that is a multi-part kit, so it should be able to build a Wyvern out Correct, of that yes. instead, which is probably your better choice, unless somehow the rules for the Hydra get super good in the next codex which it possibly um, might it possibly might, might do well yeah I'd, I'd hope they make everything half decent so all right yeah. does the hydra get plus one to hit versus units with fly uh, uh, yes. it used to yeah still does still does because those rules are still in effect for now for um now, yeah. I'll tell you what, the one that I actually think is the best, even though I think I think the Tau one is good only because it gives me the stuff that I wanted to add to my army anyway, because I wanted another unit of Crisis Suits and um, another Broadside and some other stuff. So so that stuff works all right. Although actually, now that I'm looking at it a little bit more objectively in this conversation, I'm like, why don't I just buy another unit of Battle Suits and that will cost me a lot less. Um Anyway, the point is, is uh, the one that I actually think is the best one, and one that I think if you were ever interested in Chaos Space Marines, 
the Chaos Space Marine box is pretty amazing. I mean, that if, right. you, if you buy two or three of those, you, you've, you've got all the stuff you'd ever want for Chaos Space Marines, right, Joe? You'd, but I think if if money was no object, um, I'd buy three of those and Abaddon and another unit of Terminators, and that would be... Crikey, um, you go 20 Terminators. 20 Terminators. If you're running Abaddon, you take 20 Terminators. Blimey. Because of, of the lols. Yeah, 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 yeah. and that would be an incredible kind of like starting force if you were going to do chaos. It's the weird thing with Chaos Space Marines at the moment, though, isn't it? Because I guess the weird thing about Chaos Space Marines is knowing that such big changes are on the way for them, um, but still kind of not really being able to know what those changes are going to look like. And yeah. I feel like with the Chaos Space Marine stuff, based on the rules as they are now, it still feels like if you're going to go pure Chaos Space Marines, one of the best strategies you can run is, you know, lots and lots and lots of bodies, so very horde-based mechanics for yeah. Chaos. Um which feels a bit counterproductive with Chaos Space Marines. I mean, it's strange in a way that Chaos Space Marines have ended up in that kind of weird scenario where hoarding Chaos Space Marines is a viable strategy because technically, 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 Chaos Space Marines should be quite elite and quite rare. Um, so the idea of you just hurling 60 of these at your enemy and just going, whatever, it seems a little bit yeah, sort of against the, the grain. It's funny because, like, the game and the background are so different mm. like so like if you but then some and then the context of of like the story and stuff them is so different like they can't really decide what chaos space marines are because mm. in the in the the codex and it's what like they're like terrifying they're an army that's like literally tearing its way across the imperium it's got the imperium on its knees but then the rules really do not reflect that in the slightest mm. so you have to run them as horde in the stories, like, like where it's like one space marine on its own, and there's like a bunch of people, it's the single most terrifying thing that these people have ever seen. Mm. And one chaos space marine kills like four normal space marines. Mm. But then, when there's like an army of space marines, like in a GW book, like um, like Vigilus and stuff, yeah, it just paints the chaos space marines as just idiots. Yes, that are always in fighting. And they don't know what they're doing, and they've fallen into chaos. So they've lost all their practical, like, like their tactical prowess. Mm. And they're just like they're like the they're like they're like the bad guys from Home Alone, <laughs> like falling <laughs> over each other, being stupid. Yeah. And it's like that's not that's not what they are. These guys are like a lot of them are ten thousand years old, and they fought alongside the Emperor. Joe, when you but, um. When when you get around to doing a Chaos Space Marine army again, can you do me a favour? Can your Chaos Lord have the imprint of an iron on his forehead? Yeah. <laughs> like, that would just be... That would be amazing, because that was what happened to one of those guys, wasn't it? An iron fell down like yeah. a laundry chute and smacked yeah. him in the skull, didn't it? Like one, of, one, of their, one of their main... Their main weapons is a bunch of paint cans <laughs> like on top of a door. No, that was that was their uh, that was their assailant. That was the uh, that was um, Macaulay Corkin. Yeah. Do, do you have you haven't ever ever saw assassin with with Macaulay Corkin's face? Oh yeah, yeah. We could make a whole kind of uh, Home Alone themed uh, gaming scenario. That would be wonderful. Anyway, well, there you go. That's, mm-hmm. that's that's an armies on parade set up. <laughs> so you set up a building with a bunch of chaos space marines going through 
like in a derelict building with paint cans and sandbags <laughs> and bits of string everywhere, and one being crushed by a by a massive tools bench. That's it. That's it. One one burning his hand on the doorknob or whatever. <laughs> that's yeah. it. What a treat. Anyway, right. There you go. So there's lots of stuff going on, lots of interesting things happening. Obviously, Christmas soon. Uh, you know, we didn't really satisfy or come to a consensus. I guess, obviously, again, it's weird to talk about it here because people already know what we chose. So we'll talk about this off air. But whatever the decision, I'm sure it was the right one to make. Um, and also on decisions that were the right ones to make, I have for you another five-star review. Ooh, it's the best bit of the show. Uh, so this comes from Jerry Badger via the Great British uh, iTunes location podcast provider. Uh, and he has stated, Reviewathon, five stars. Been listening for a while, and though I'm not a competitive player, and always seem to want to collect the worst units according to the meta, you used to struggle with that problem, didn't you, Joe? Yeah, I just, I always just, I was one of those idiots that just collected models that they liked. I know, what an absolute yeah. moron. Well, I chose this army because I like the models, and then and then I, and I bought those models because I like them, and it's my hobby. Mm. What a fool. What a fool you were. Only follow the most aggressive competitive meta. That is the way yeah. to play. Uh, obviously, we're being sarcastic. We applaud you for doing what you want to do, because that's the best way of approaching it, really. Uh, yeah. Not for everyone, but, you know. It's good if good if you are that way. It's better. Uh, it's always a great listen throughout my week, picking up each part of the podcast in snippets of Bolt of Fire and the Screams of Heretics. I mean, potentially this man might have some uh, underlying issues that probably need addressing with some attention uh, and or, you know, medical aid. But regardless, uh, you know, the fact that you are comparing us to the Screams of Heretics is uh, somewhat appreciated. In fact, utterly appreciated. Uh, my only issue is continually wanting to buy more armies as you've talked rules, mini-releases, and discussed your battles with, uh, uh, with, with. I assume it was supposed to say one another, uh, but it says battles with on another. Uh, I don't necessarily recall if we've ever battled upon each other, have we? Um... It could be like one of those amusing kind of like sushi scenarios, you know, like where they eat sushi off of naked women. We could have naked Phil on a table and we could play on him. That'd be quite hairy. <laughs> it would be the entire table is counted as a wood. <laughs> Do you agree with this synopsis? Dense cover sounds quite appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Stop it! Uh, that's the next part of this. Not really. I want all the armies. I've been sober from plastic crack through lockdown as I try to clear my uh, clear a backlog log of buildings and painting. Uh, sorry, building and painting. Oh, buildings. Building and painting. And you boys always give me the push from time to time to get stuff done. Keep up the excellent work and hopefully I'll finish an army eventually. I continually live in hope. Uh, Joe, would you like to say thank you to Jerry Badger for his five-star review? Thank you. Jerry Badger, we can only assume that you're the best kind of badger. The British badger. The British badger. I was surprised not you didn't bad. break into the badger song there. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no, no. Copyright, I'm if sure nothing else. Copyrighted, yes. yes. And we can't, and are not one of those tropical honey badgers. Everyone just falls, fawns over. <laughs> what amateurs. But thank you, yes. Um, you're, right. 
probably best not to come to us for sound competitive advice, but come to us for advice on what models to buy um, because you, you like them. Fall into that trap and then have an army that looks good and you like to play with, but you'll probably lose all the time. But you'll love it all the same. Uh, thank you from myself, Dan, and Harry Phil. <laughs> well, there we go. I imagine he looks like a badger when he's got no clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> with like a, with that, that white stripe going down his back and his front. I mean, Phil, do you want to offer a rebuttal? Well, you know, Je- Joe's Joe, 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 Joe seen me many a times in a uh, topless at the very least. In, in, well, when we share hotel rooms when we go to Warhammer World, so you know he would know. Mm. But but he's also wrong. Well, I did. If if you were to play upon me, there would be one large mountainous region towards the <laughs> towards the middle. And sadly, I'm not talking about my penis. Um, <laughs> Which would be possibly more you'd of a cavern. See, you'd, you'd basically be uh, wobbly model terrain <laughs> for the whole board. Yeah. If you like playing on a jelly, <laughs> except a jelly wrapped in loose skin. Uh, <laughs> the years haven't been kind. Um, anyway, <laughs> good. That's uh, that's the five star reviews. Lovely, lovely. Keep them coming, everybody. Obviously, if you want to, you know, be just like Jerry Badger and have your name shouted out over the internet, and uh, you know offered uh, potential medical advice about your potential, you know, psychiatric well-being as well as, uh, you know, the other things that were disclosed during that process, please do go to wherever you, you know, get your podcast from and give us a five-star review. And because, you know, we are the sorts of people that are desperate for the attention, we will call you out on the internet, such as it is. Um, Right, okay, so in terms of this episode... We're going to start off by talking about Space Wolves. It's kind of the main thing that we're talking about. Then we're going to talk about uh, the Space Marine uh, units, or rather a selection of Space Marine units from within the Forge World Imperial Armour Compendium. Uh, And then potentially, depending on whether me and Phil and Joe get around to recording it before the day is over, uh, we're also going to talk about the 40k preview that took place last week. They did an online reveal where they showed off a load of books and talked about a bunch of stuff. So we'll talk about that, potentially. And then that'll be the end of it. Uh, I already know this is on track to be one of the longest podcasts we've ever done. Uh, so we hope that those of you that enjoy long podcasts will enjoy this one because it is definitely that. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, guys. We hope you enjoy the show as always. And we're going to get straight on with it. So transitional noise. Woo! Welcome back, ladies and or gentlemen. Mostly gentlemen. I've seen the analytics. Anyway, doesn't matter. Welcome back to this segment of the show where we're going to be talking about the Space Wolves. The Space Barbarians, as they might otherwise be named. Those plucky little fellas who go around the cosmos smashing people up while riding into battle upon the backs of furry animals. Not furry animals like Joe, though. How's it going, Joe? All right, I'm glad that you said space barbarians. Jez Goodwin doesn't like it when you call them space space Vikings. Oh, does he not like a space Viking? He's he's more happy with space barbarian, is he? Yeah, he he said in multiple podcasts that he doesn't like space Vikings. But then, why did he make space Vikings or barbarians? I guess he made space barbarians. Ah, there we go. There is a nuanced difference, uh, yeah. and obviously, a man who lives within the nuanced differences. It's good, old Phil. How's it going, Phil? 
Uh, woof woof because we're doing <laughs> doing space wolves. Oh, there you go, there you go. So you made the sound of a dog barking to talk about barbarians in space. With with uh, who like their puppies? Who like yes. their puppies? I mean, you know, Joe I likes mean, his I'm... puppies, right, Joe? I love I love I love me some puppies. Everyone loves a puppy. They are the best. <laughs> Uh, they, they, they are definitely more space Vikings than space barbarians. I think they've sort of overdone a lot of the Nordic tropes uh, to veer into that realm of. Of uh, I mean, you, you you don't think barbarians when you see a guy on a space sled, do you? No, that is true. Once you've got that kind of Santa Claus vibe going on, it's definitely got a a Nordic theme to it, doesn't it? Yeah, sure. and and the fact that they they name them all after those kind of Norse god kind of characters so what yeah. we're essentially saying is is uh jez needs to swat up on the differences between barbarians and vikings if he wants to make these claims i, I mean i have to admit i don't actually know what the difference between a barbarian and a viking is do you feel seeing as you've uh, you know made this assertion well i would say a viking is a type of barbarian but not all barbarians are vikings and therefore a, a more nondescript generic uh, man covered in fur and swinging a big sword is probably a barbarian, but one that's covered in kind of Nordic ruins and stuff. Would it be Nordic ruins a, a or bit... a Nordic rune? Ru- rune, runes. I think it's runes, yeah. isn't it? In the when it's used for you know for conversing. Yeah. The, the problem is the background they've used is all basically like like it's all they're all waiting for the wolf time, which is basically Ragnarok and and like it's all a bit Valhalla-esque isn't it and they yeah. do all hang out in the snow which again is quite similar to the Vikings isn't it yeah they're yeah. just yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between dwarves uh, and what were squats and uh, space wolves I, I sort of feel like space wolves have appropriated squats there's a lot of their things because they use the same ruins and uh, you know we like to drink and we like to fight sort of attitude so space wolves inside their armour are only about four foot tall exactly yeah that's how they operate the Terminator armour properly that's how it accounts for their proportions inside the Primaris armour it's just stilts yeah yeah yeah, or some kind of sophisticated modern prosthesis I would imagine but uh, yeah but stilts would be more funny. Like I like the idea of all the space wolves kind of walking, uh, like you know, like someone on stilts. Like they they've got like a rigid waist and they have to sort of like wobble from side to side to get around or whatever. That would be quite fantastic. Or it's, or they're similar to the the little alien dude from the first Men in Black film. Oh yes, with their menacing gait. Do you, do you think we've got loads of new space wolf listeners coming to see what we've got to say, and we basically just spend the fast first? 10 minutes insulting them no potentially not although you know i think they're going to be insulted by the fact that you didn't know it was a rune and kept calling it a ruin um but other than that you know i think we're uh, we're in plain sailing territory but it is um, yeah okay (laughs) but anyway whether it's a barbarian or a viking i was going to look it up on the interwebs but then i realized that my mechanical keyboard makes a terrible clacky noise when i do that a lot and i'm trying to, to 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 you know scale back on my keyboard interactions while recording. It makes, it makes us real, though, you know, brawl. Well, do you want me to quickly Google what's the difference between a Viking and a and a barbarian? Mm. Why is it called 
a mechanical keyboard. We got non-mechanical keyboards now. I don't know. I, I never understood, but it's just the uh, you know the way it goes. It okay. makes it sound. It's, it's like hydraulic and has like kind of like like gas propulsion. It's all very steampunky. What are the differences between Vikings and Jamaic barbarians? I don't know why I've ended up in. Do you mean Germanic? Germanic, sorry. Yeah, see, look, I've gone it all wrong there, you see. I, I mean, I was mocking you for your mispronunciations, and now look at what I've done. So the difference is where they come from then. So we're, we're looking at, like, like your, your, your Norway kind of area, and then you've got your, your German kind of area. Basically. Yeah, so one is uh, one of the Scandinavian seafaring warriors that raided and settled the British Isles. And then, when it comes to barbarian, an uncivilised or uncultured person originally compared uh, to the uh, words that I'm probably going to struggle to pronounce. But anyway, so there you go. So in a way, actually, I feel like Jez's description is unfair because the Vikings seem to have a certain kind of nobility to them, a certain kind of warrior code, whereas... All space wolves from now from now on should be uh, tall, beautiful, blonde people. Yeah, surely. Anyway, right. Let's talk about their rules, shall we? Mm. I, I assume I that like silent is con- silence is consent. Um, have you listened to um, the Thousand Suns book um, or um, or Wolfsbane? Uh, no. Oh, the narrator gets their voices. Beautifully, they all kind of sound like the um, the Swedish chef. I have to admit, the narrator of the Thousand Sun book is the reason why I didn't listen to it, or the uh, the narrator of Wolfbane, either one of it. It was terrible. Yeah, awful. Um, I've been listening to. I just finished to the fourth Gaunt's Ghost book today. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, and that relates to Space Wolves, does it? No, I'm talking about voice actors, isn't it? Oh, okay, and, okay, good, good. I'm glad. I, and, I like how we've really deviated so much. Even Dan is stepping in. Well, I'm it's trying to get it a little bit back on track. Oh, come on, we, get, we can talk about your, your voice narrators at the end of the show. We shall. Yeah. And... Anyway, anyway. <laughs> the voice narrator, basically they've got a bunch of people from Vervenhive, which is like a big city, and they're all supposed to be these kind of Russian-esque sounding people. Oh, yeah. But one of the characters in it, he's basically just copied Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's it's beautiful. We need to listen to it. Brilliant. Carry on. And, 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 and where does Arnold Schwarzenegger herald from, Joe? Not not Russia. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Anyway, right, let's talk about the Space Wolves rather than the origins of Arnold Schwarzenegger and all people doing impressions of him specifically. Um Look, so they've got specific detachment abilities. Uh, obviously, they are Adeptus Astartes, but in terms of their detachment abilities, they have an ability called, uh, well, rather, Swift Claw units in Space Wolf detachments gain Headstrong and Berserk Charge abilities, which we'll talk about when we get to page 61. Uh, if every unit in your army, excluding unaligned units, has Space Wolf keyword, then every unit in your Combat Doctrine's ability, oh, sorry, that has the Combat Doctrine ability, and is in a Space Wolves detachment, gains Savage Fury. And Savage Fury is, while the Assault Doctrine is active for your army, each time a model makes a melee attack, an unmodified hit roll of six 
scores one additional hit. Ooh. So their super doctrine is exploding sixes. Not crazy busted, but good. Useful, I would say. Yeah. I, I'm going to be controversial and say that I still... I, I don't think that super doctrine should be a thing. I also agree with you. I think super doctrines are bothersome. But yeah. if they continue in this thread, I don't mind it so much. But it depends what we see with other things. I think it's reasonable to assert that the Blood Angels are still going to get their plus one attack super doctrine, right? Yeah, I know that. But like, like orc players don't get a benefit for just running only orcs, you know? Well, maybe they will do. I mean, you know... The, well, there's the... Necrons... Well, the Necrons can only run only Necrons, because you can't really put anything else in a Necron army, can you? Yeah, you don't, you can't get anything on top kind of thing. Yeah. You get like, the command protocols, which is fine, mm. but it's not it's it's not as good as Super Doctrine. I know? suppose not when taken in conjunction with everything else, right? Yeah, it's just a bit mental. It is a, It is rules on top of rules. It's fair yeah. to say. Um, I mean, I don't know. I've always had mixed feelings about the Super Doctrines. I think when they were first introduced, they were proper bonkers. Um, especially the ones that were attributed to the original Devastator Doctrine uh, that lasted all game. I thought that was utterly mind-bendingly bizarre. But, you know, when they're like this, they're not too bad. It's just when they become things like what you see for like the White Scars at the moment or... Um, I suppose even the Ultramarines well, one is still super strong. That's not too bad. Ooh. It is when you combo it with lots of like crazy weapons that have got loads of damage not, and stuff. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're not top tier, are they? They're what number ten in your ranking, so they're not, they're not bad. That is true. They based on their pure ability. But you know, I've admitted I was wrong about that before. Now, Phil, shush, shush. Stop, you know, pointing out the mistakes I've made. Otherwise, we'll have to start, you know, diving into your past. All of your little blunders. Eh? Eh? I can't think of any off the top of my head. I think you're pretty... pretty... I'm, I'm sure you'll you're whack together a nice little compilation to play at some point. <laughs> I love I love the fact, though, that, Phil, you're, you're, you, you, you're trying to antagonise me to do more work. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> like... Go on, Dan. Go on, yeah, go on Dan. Prove me wrong. Again. Spend four hours sifting through all of our shows and finding instances where I've made mistakes. Yeah, brilliant. Fun. Um, anyway, they've got a load of stratagems. I'm not going to actually go into these just yet because I think actually in this instance it's probably better that we focus more on the units. Uh, so I'll get into the stratagems maybe after we've done the units and see how we're doing for time, uh, which judging by the intro to this might might not work out. Uh, you know what's novel though? I'll tell you what's novel. A Space Wolf Codex where there's a bunch of Warlord traits and the water traits that are in the book are the ones you actually use. Isn't that novel? All good. I know, Not an right? FAQ, day one. I mean, it'll never catch on, will it? <laughs> you know, I, I, I miss my accompanying uh, FAQ, as it were. But whatever. Um, so what's kind of super interesting about uh, the Space War Warlord traits is that essentially there is the warlord traits but then there is also a bunch of sagas now these things are different and again in the topic of joe's kind of initial points this is added extra stuff uh on top 
Um, so, you know, the Space Wolves go one better than most Space Marines, which is not only do they have their own extra super doctrine, they've got their own super warlord traits or super sagas or whatever they are. So let's talk through this if we can. So if a Space Wolves character model in your war, uh, is your warlord, you can use the table below to determine your warlord trait. So the first one is Beast Slayer. While this warlord is within engagement range of an enemy monster or vehicle unit, add one to its attack characteristics. Each time this warlord makes an attack against a monster or vehicle unit, add one to that attack's hit roll and wound roll. Mm. So that is double buff. Not only does this guy get uh, plus one attack when fighting a monster or vehicle, he also adds one... Uh, to his hit rolls and his wound rolls. So good. Bearing in mind that their generic ability is when they're in a fight, they add plus one to their hit rolls anyway, uh, which is a bit of a strange one. So I guess it basically means that if the thing you're hitting is minus one, now you'll be plus two, so you're still plus well, one. I suppose it means that if he's in a protracted fight. Yeah. I can't um, think of too many instances. I suppose it's when you're wielding like a thunder hammer, though, right? So it still means that... Yeah. You're getting the plus there, one there are hit. some characters like is it one of the Chaos Lords has a, a minus one to hit ability mm, that as well. So there are some instances where models have a minus one, and then obviously you've got your weapons that have minus one as well. So yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of characters yeah that do that, and I've seen a bunch of the Space Marine ones in the various bits and pieces that are minus one to hit in combat. So there you go, that's an interesting thing. So Beast Slayer, uh, very very matchup specific, but obviously if it comes good, would be very good. Uh, you've got Wolfkin, which is number two. For the purposes of its shock assault ability, this warlord is always treated as having made a charge move and makes D3 additional attacks instead of one. Sweet. Pretty good. So you could potentially get plus three attacks when you charge. So are these, sorry, are these are just regular warlord traits. These are the sagas. regular warlord traits thus far, not the sagas, just the warlord No, I haven't traits. even got to them yet, and these are pretty good. There you go, there you go. So there's that. Then you've got Warrior Born. Warrior Born is at the start of the fight phase. If this Warlord is within engagement range of enemy units, it can fight first that phase. That's now, good. what's very specific about that is it isn't one of those abilities that says, unless, of course, there's your opponent has got a similar ability or some sort of thing that allows it to go first. It just says it goes first. So this is, for the first time ever... An ability that potentially trumps being charged. No, but I'm pretty sure Veil of Time, the psychic power, allows allows you to always strike first as well. Oh, okay, well, there you go. There's another ability. So it's in that same vein, though, right? Well, no, but surely striking first is the same as charging, so you alternate. Well, no, so the specific wording, at the start of any fight phase, any fight phase, if this warlord is within engagement range of an enemy unit, it can fight first that phase, and it's also it can, so you can de- you can decide not to. I don't yeah, know why. I, you I would say that's to. almost like just the equivalent of charging. I imagine it will be charges, charge like the the control that the the pe- the player whose turn it is, the person who has the initiative, as it were, mm. always picks the first charger. When you say that, though, in other instances where this rule has been written, it specifically stipulates that oh, this that is not, yeah. yeah, this isn't affected, or this still works in conjunction with 
you know, the normal sequence. I, if you were charged and it was your opponent's turn, that thing still goes first. Yeah. This doesn't have any of that, any of that text. So well, I would I guess... assert that this guy goes first, regardless of the situation. Yeah, uh, I guess you might have a weird situation where he's up against, is it the Judicar? Right, mm. and he's got an ability which makes someone go last. So it'd be interesting to see how they rule those two conflicting yeah, with each other. I'm pretty sure there is, in like the special the special the rare, rules of rule, the rare rules section, if one of you has a rule that makes you fight first and the other one forces them to fight last, they cancel each other out. Yeah, I would have assumed okay. that would be the, the ruling on it. It just becomes normal. But anyway, there you go. Warrior born. Uh, number four is Hunter. Add one to the advance and charge rolls made for your Warlord, which is very good. Uh, this uh, Warlord is eligible, eligible sorry, to charge in a turn in which it advanced or fell back. Mm. Which, again, very strong. I like that. Uh, then you've got the Aura of Majesty. Uh, add free to the range of this Warlord's Rights of Battles. Uh, tactical Precision, Chapter Master, and Spiritual Leader abilities. For a maximum of 9 inches. So that's very good. Uh, add free to the range of any litanies recited by this Warlord to a maximum of 9 inches. That's good. Very good. Increasing the range I... of your auras is huge. Mm. I swear there's another ability that increases your range by three inches as well. Uh, so what, in, 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 in the Marine Codex? Well, it specifically stipulates here to a maximum of nine. So you couldn't right. then extend beyond that, I don't believe. Unless that doesn't have that same stipulation. Yeah, but then I, I still, I don't, but it still wouldn't be able to go as far, though, I suppose. Yeah, I would imagine not. I would imagine it depends because, and and again, it depends on whether or not uh, the thing you're talking about is a relic as opposed to a warlord trait. I think you're talking about the um, oh, what did it used to be called? The Orspex thing, or not, whatever it was, the 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 Voxcaster thing, or whatever it was. Vox's, the Vox's Spiritum. Yeah, and that is a warlord. Uh, uh, that is a relic, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe, maybe it's possible to expand beyond that, but. Uh, yeah, that seems like a bit of a weird case scenario. Anyway, there you go. So expanding the range of your auras is good. Uh, and then the last one here is Resolve of the Bear. Not Strength of the Bear, I was sad to see. I would have loved a little bit of a Brave Star reference in there, but, you know, we can't have everything. Um, each time this Warlord would lose a wound, roll 1d6, and on a 6, that wound is not lost. Each time an attack is made against this Warlord, your opponent cannot re-roll the wound roll and cannot re-roll the damage roll. Oh, so a weird interaction there. Interesting. So you can't re-roll it again. Would be interesting to know whether that applies to command point re-rolls or whether that's just native re-rolls. I would assume it's all and above, all of the above. Yeah. Sorry. Um, oh, sorry, Joe. Yeah, I'd I'd assume that it's all of them. Yeah, I would too. But again, it's it, sometimes stratagems have a weird added layer to them because you're paying CP for them, but. I would assume that even in that instance, nothing could be done about it. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, yeah, if uh, if someone does a few little dodgy rolls against your Warlord, they can't re-roll them for whatever reason, which is great. Really great, in fact. I don't know whether or not I'd prefer that to only ever be wounding on fours. I, I don't know. It's one of those things, isn't it? It's like, is is it better 
to have your opponent be unable to re-roll against you or to decrease the efficiency of the weapons that they're using. I don't know. It's a bit of a an un- unknown quantity, I guess. Well, it depends because like if 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 it, I think it depends on what you send him into. Mm. So if you're sending him into like other space marines that are going to be wounding him on fours mm. and there's new lieutenants nearby and then yeah you don't want them to be rolling mm. but if you're going in up against something like I don't know a dreadnought or a knight kind of thing then that means that like they can't do any re-rolls of any kind if they really want you dead mm. but then you then spend the CP to give him um, transhuman Mm, true. So you could put both on him then. That is true. Assuming that he is a Primaris Marine. Mm. Yeah, which, if you've got the Primaris rule. Which Thunderwolves are not, uh, unfortunately. And I, uh, by the time we get through this, I think we're all probably agreeing that Thunderwolves are, are back in business. Um, anyway, um, but if Warlord traits and good Warlord traits at that weren't enough, these guys up the ante because each warlord trait comes with its associated saga. So every character model, excluding vehicle models, that has a space wolf warlord trait, uh, and obviously that's an interesting distinction because I think Bjorn is a space wolf character potentially, but if you give him a warlord trait because he's a vehicle, he doesn't actually get sagas. Uh, in fact, let me check that. Yeah, Bjorn the Fell-Handed can have aura of majesty, but he isn't then able to gain a saga because he's a, he's a vehicle. But anyway, uh, that has a space for wall of trait can attempt to complete a deed during the battle. Those that do so will gain a saga ability. Each deed. And so each saga ability is associated with a specific wall or trait. If a character accomplishing their wall or trait deed, then at the end of the phase, they gain the associated saga ability for the rest of the battle. So again, important piece of language there at the end of the phase. So if you complete your deed at the start of your shooting phase, your saga will not come into effect until the end of that shooting phase. So if you have a saga that would benefit your shooting phase and you complete the deed that unlocks it, it will not come into effect until that preceding shooting phase, essentially, Um, which is an important nuance to be aware of uh, because I I assume that some people will make the mistake of assuming that as soon as their deed is complete that the saga comes into effect. So, yeah, if you find yourself playing against a Space World player and they start going, I just completed my deed, now I have this saga, you can, you know, smugly go, you mean you'll have your deed at the end of this at the end of this phase? Ooh. Um, anyway, more saga words. Um, so, yeah, in addition, the deed worthy uh, of a saga stratagem can be used when a Space World character model or a character model from your uh, army success adapt chapter accomplishes one of uh, the deeds below in order to gain the associated saga ability for the rest of the battle. Even if the model in question does not have a Space World Warlord trait, the deed and saga associated with each Warlord trait are as follows. Beast Slayer. Deed of the Battle Slayer. Oh, sorry. Deed of the Beast Slayer. An enemy monster or vehicle unit is destroyed as a result by attack an attack made by this model. So your warlord kills something that is a vehicle or monster, and the saga of the beast air is while a friendly Space Wolf's core unit is within six of this model, each time a model in that unit 
makes a melee attack against a monster or vehicle unit add one to that attack's wound rolls. So if you kill a monster or a vehicle with your warlord, all of your core units within six of that warlord have plus one to wound against vehicles and monsters. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. And obviously if you've got a character geared up for killing vehicles or killing big scary monsters, which a lot of space wolves sometimes are, it's relatively safe to assume that you should be able to achieve it. Um, again, niche, but not too bad. I mean, how do you feel about that, Phil, uh, Phil as a fan of tanks? Uh, yeah, it seems, seems pretty strong. Um, I, th- I think with it, though, the problem is always it's going to be quite tricky to potentially pull them off. Like, you're going to have to get your characters stuck in pretty quick. Yeah. Then reap the benefits of it. So, yeah, it depends on how quick you can get your characters across the board or deep strike them down to get into stuff. I mean, I may as well read the deed worthy of a saga stratagem, seeing as it was referenced just in case there's an important nuance that I've missed there. So, this is 2CP. Use this stratagem in any phase when a space will character model, excluding vehicle models from your army that does not have a wall or trait, meets the requirement of a deed. Oh, okay, fine. So, the specific stipulation with this is your character that isn't a warlord has accomplished something that is deed or saga worthy at the end of a phase until the end of the battle, that model gains the saga associated with that deed. Okay, fine. So if randomly one of your other characters that isn't your warlord kills a vehicle or a monster in combat or just in it, with a shooting attack, it can then gain access to this deed, which is quite cool, isn't it? Yeah. Or Saga, sorry, I've got to get better at the nuance between the two words. But anyway, there you go. All right, next one, Wolfkin. Deed of the Wolfkin. An enemy model is destroyed as a result of a melee attack made by this model. Well, this is a whole lot easier to imagine happening. Any enemy model is destroyed by a melee attack. Uh, So, I don't know, that grot over there. Ah, My warlord has killed him. Good. Now... You have completed the Saga of the Wolfkin. Uh, While friendly Space Wolf core units within six of this model, that unit always treated as having made a charge move for the purposes of Shock Assault ability. So you're always charging, regardless of the circumstances. Although the likelihood of anyone surviving the round one interaction with a melee Space Wolf unit is quite low anyway. So I can imagine you're always charging regardless, but... I suppose if you needed that for some reason, like, I don't know, you found yourself in a situation where you're locked in combat and it's going to go into a second or a third round of combat and you've managed to kill one character with a character, you could be like, whatever, I'm going to use this deed of the wolfkin with the two CP so as I get my charge bonus in the ensuing fights. I mean, yeah... Outlying cases, but I doubt you're probably going to be looking to take that as a as a solid option. I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Um, it's good if you receive the charge. Mm. So, oh yeah, of course. So, so you can. So you always get shock assault if mm. you're charged, which isn't a problem. But if someone charges you, and then. Like charged you at a specific angle, I don't know, so you can't get enough models in. It means that you don't have to fall out of combat next turn, mm. and then and then swing in your turn. That is true. Full effect. 
So there are some instances where it could be useful. Yeah. And there could be some... Ability. Sorry, Joe, say that again? It's a good, it's a good defensive ability. Mm. All right. Then we have Warrior Born, Deed of the Warrior Born. Born. An enemy character model is destroyed as a result of a melee attack made by this model. So your Warlord has killed a character. Uh, Saga of the Warrior Born, it's an aura. At the start of the fight phase, each friendly space will core unit within six of this model and within engagement range of enemy units fights first that phase. Not bad at all. Again, not bad. Phil, do you like the sound of that? Sounds pretty good. Sounds alright, doesn't it? Uh, Then the Hunter, Deed of the Hunter, successfully charged an enemy unit with this model. Wow, make a charge. They're asking the impossible. There's a real low bar to entry on this, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I mean, well, I don't necessarily... Well, they're they're, they're not the biggest this? deeds, are they? Yes. <laughs> it's yeah, like, right. you, you can imagine them getting in the old grand halls of the Space Wolf, and they're all telling their incredible stories, and the guy turns up with the deed of the hunter. Well, I made it into a fight yesterday. Right, okay. G- good. Anything <laughs> like... happened? Nope. No, nope. 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 Whiffs pretty hard. Yep. In fact... Yep. All my all my buddies with me. They did all the work. Yep. But I'm the one that charged first. Oh yeah. Anyway, Saga of the Hunter, because obviously you wouldn't give a good ability to such an obviously easy to achieve thing, so I'm confident this is going to be rubbish. Uh, Saga of the Hunter, Aura. While the friendly space will call units with six of this model, that unit is eligible to declare a charge in a turn in which they advanced. While the friendly space will call unit is with the Swift Hunter's ability is within six of this model, that unit is eligible to declare a charge in a turn which they fell back. Oh, there's nothing that good then. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's so dumb, isn't it? It's like, it's like you've successfully charged now all of your core units within six that happen to be Thunderwolf Cavalry can leave combat and charge again. Well, at least, like you said, you can't combo it on the same turn. So you can't get one guy into combat with, like, an easy charge and then go, great, it's activated. And yeah, you can. It's, thing. it's phase, Phil. So in the charge phase, I have completed my deed. Then in the fight phase... Oh, no, yeah, but you can only charge in the in the charge phase, right? So oh, yeah, true. You, you can't do, do a charge, complete it, and then charge with a bunch of other stuff. True. That has advanced just into range. You are absolutely yeah, correct. At least it's. Yeah, you've got to do it, then you've got to but probably got wait to think... another turn at least to so get your other I'm guys pre- in. I'm pretty sure Thunderwolf can advance and charge. Yes, they can, yes. Yep. All right, so you advance and charge in your entire army anyway, right? The deed goes off, and then you fall out of combat next turn and still get to charge anyway. Yeah. I mean, assuming that what you charged isn't well dead. Well, that's... that's obviously <laughs> wasn't there an ability that already lets you count as charging? That was, a, that was the, uh, the, the Wolfkin. Was that Warlord yeah. Train? No, yeah, no, that was maybe, the, the saga maybe, of the Wolfkin. Maybe you want to fall out of combat with the thing that you're in, charge into something better. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess falling back and charging gives you a lot of manoeuvrability. Because you can fall back your full movement, then charge again, so you can really sort of slingshot yourself across the board. Mm. Yeah, you can do some real shenanigans with that. And the barrier to entry is so low, we've just successfully charged. It's like, yeah, sure. Um, But there you go. Uh, The Aura of Majesty, 
is uh, is actually quite an interesting one. Uh, so the deed of majesty, at the start of your command phase, this model is within range of an objective marker that is more than six away from your deployment zone. So that's all you need to do. You just need to be within range of a uh, objective marker. And that, that objective marker needs to be six away from your deployment zone. So you need to be somewhere in the mid-board. Uh, but then you get the Saga of Majesty. And what's the Saga of Majesty? Well, while a friendly space will call unit is within six of this model, each time a mor uh, morale test is taken for that unit, it is automatically passed. Which is very, very strong. As well, considering they've gone out of their way to remove that kind of auto-pass morale from the game, it's a bit odd that they've put it back in. I mean, they've uh, made and what, it... Just to be next to an objective yeah, that but you're going to be doing honest, anyway? Out of the list of things that you're going to take in, in that list, like, auto-pass morale <sighs> isn't going to be the most important. Just because... Um, Space Marines have still got a crazy high leadership anyway. And super small squads. Yeah, like, you're still yeah. going to be one of the five-man squads. The chances of them failing leadership tests are so low, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think if they were, again, if they were giving this kind of ability out to, you know, Orcs or Astra Militaro or something. Krieg, yes. Yeah, or Krieg, sorry, Phil, yes, obviously Krieg. It would be very powerful. And I think in Space Marines, it's good but not ridiculous. But, you know, again, you've still got to do something to get it. And then you've got to, you know, again, it's, yeah, I, 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 it's good, not ridiculous. But I like it. I mean, I think it's, I think it's interesting. It's, a, it's not bad. I don't think it's as good as the Hunter one necessarily, but I think it's okay. Added extras. Uh, and interestingly, just to say, the Aura of Majesty, uh, Saga of Majesty, is not bolstered by the Aura of Majesty Warlord trait. So the Aura of Majesty Warlord trait is ad-free to the range of the Warlord's Rights of Battle, Tactical Precision, Chapter Master, and Spiritual Leader abilities. The Saga of Majesty Aura is not listed there, therefore that is not a 9-inch auto-pass morale board, uh, um, aura, just to say. Um, and then last one is Resolve the Bear. Uh... <laughs> Again, if you wanted to talk about easy ones to get, Resolve of the Bear, this model loses a wound. Saga of the Bear, while a friendly Space Wolves core unit is within six of this model, each time a model in that unit would lose a wound, roll one die, uh, d6 on a six, that wound is not lost. Yay! It's not bad, is it? Was that on a six up, did you say? Uh, yeah, so you get six up, feel no pain, after having taken one wound. So if a character does this basically, then you just pay two CP and put, and then you make him into the librarian, don't you? So you don't make him your warlord. So you put this on someone like um, a librarian who could perils, maybe, mm. or um, or in a character, or just check on a character that you're slinging into combat anyway. Mm. Yeah, you could definitely, you could definitely use it on. Um, on a on a on a you know on a on a random throwaway character, you could also look at taking it as a as your legit warlord trait if you're going for something a bit durable. But there you go. So that's how it works. You've got warlord traits, and then you've got the sagas, which are the extras, making these guys have some very interesting warlord traits. Again, 
very flavoursome in the way that they do it, in as much as this is all the sorts of warlord traits I would expect space wolves to have, but they don't necessarily feel, even with the saga additions, insanely over the top. There's nothing here that's crazy, 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 but then everything's quite usable. Um, I don't think it's actually that bad. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm talking out of my bottom. Uh, Phil, did you hear anything there that made you go, ooh, that's, ooh, that's a bit too good? Um, not out of the sagas, no. I think they're all just pretty good. Mm. Like you said, the morale one sounds potentially really good, but in the context of marines and how you probably build marines, it's probably not worth taking. Mm. But yeah, I think they all seem to be pretty valid choices depending on what kind of tactics you want to do, which is ultimately what you want. So that's that's all good. I suppose, and again, not to get into the specific units just yet, but I think the only instances where that uh, leadership auto pass morale aura becomes quite interesting is in the Fenrisian Wolves, uh, because the Fenrisian Wolves have a leadership of six, uh, and you can take them in u- uh, units of up to 15 models. Um, oh, mm-hmm. Are they core? Cool? Oh, no, they're not. Okay, fine. Forget I even said that. Move along. Move along. <laughs> yeah, whoopsie-daisy. Yeah, they're not, they're not cool. So, fine. So, yeah, not even they get game from it. What about Blood Claws? I thought Blood Claws could be taken in, like, 15-man units. They used to be able to take in 15-man units. I don't know if they can now. What about the Wolfen? What's their leadership like? Well, blood, blood, claws, blood Claws can still come in 15-man units. So, if you're still wanting to sport some... 15 man units of blood claws then maybe and the wolfen can come in units of 10 and their leadership is a flat 7 but they're That's not true. but wolfen so you might want cool. it for them no, wolfen aren't cool uh, they lost well they never had the keyword but they certainly didn't gain it with the uh, with the release of this book yeah so there you go let's talk about some relics shall we ooh relics um mm mm-hmm. I said, ooh, ooh they relics at the same time. So it came off a little bit like, ooh, ducky. Well, there you go. Very excited, I understand. Um, I actually haven't read any of these relics yet, so I'm just going to pick some at random. Uh, in fact, Joe, no, Phil, let's start with you. Pick a number between one, two, three, four, five, six, two. seven. One two. and seven. Two. The Wolfenstone. Ooh. Um... What would you imagine the Wolfenstone would do, Phil? Let's, let's get your best guess. Uh, it's like the power of love in your heart gives you great bravery and leadership. All right, okay, there we go. I mean, that, that, I mean, that does seem like something the space. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking it sounds very like Care Bears. So that's what I was going. For. Is that what you're going for? The Care Bear stare of, yeah. of Space Wolf relics. Joe, you got anything you want to expand upon there? Maybe some sort of My Little Pony reference that you got boiling under the skin or whatever. Spoiling don't, don't get him started on those. <laughs> we'll be here all night. Okay, all right, no worries. But Joe, any thoughts or feeling about the Wolfenstone before we get into it? I imagine it's got something to do with uh, powering up Wolfen. Ah, uh, okay. I mean, or, it would make sense, or it's, right? kid, or it's like a, a Wolfen who's passed a kidney stone. Well, it was created by the Iron Priest Fengri, uh, the greatest artificer of his time to house the raging spirit of the wolfen. So the bearer has the following ability, bestial charge aura. While the friendly space wolf's core unit is within six of the bearer, 
You can re-roll charge rolls made for that unit. Ooh. I mean, that is actually really good. Um, once per battle, at the start of the fight phase, the bearer can invoke the spirit of the wolfen. If it does so, select one friendly Space Wolves unit, not core, any Space Wolves unit, within six of the bearer, that has the Savage Fury ability. Oh, okay, so you need the Savage Fury ability. See page 45. Uh, until the end of that phase, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, the additional hit scored as the result of Savage Fury ability is achieved on the unmodified hit roll of 5 plus for that attack. So, essentially, if you're in the Assault Doctrine and it's the Super Duper Duper Doctrine time, you get exploding 5 pluses. Woo! That is really good. I mean, that is really good. Rerolling charges and exploding five pluses ain't ain't no bad thing, right? Is the that exploding five plus a, a one time deal though? It is a one time deal. Yeah, yeah. You, you only get you only get one go around on the old exploding five pluses. That's good. Scream if you want to go faster, as they say. Uh, Joe, will you pick a number between one? Three to seven? Five. Five. The Storm's Eye. Oh, okay. I'm going to uh, do away with asking your opinion on what you think the Storm's Eye is. Uh, although, actually, it sounds funny enough that I'd love to hear what you think. It's uh, it's it's what you get after the beer and curry night on Fenris. I knew you wouldn't disappoint. Anyway, right, the Storm's Eye. It is a librarian model-only thing. Once per turn, in your psychic phase, after resolving the effects of a psychic power from the Tempest Discipline, that was successfully manifested by the bearer, roll 1d6 for each enemy unit within 12 of the bearer. On a 4+, plus, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. Mm, it's not that good. What... I mean, there's a couple of weird things about that. Problem number one, you need to be within 12 inches of a bunch of stuff. Problem number two, it's only one more wound per unit, but obviously it goes off on a 50-50. So it could be worse, it could be better. It's not bad. But these, the single mortal wound things, like it's better It's better than most, because normally it's like, oh, on the roll of a six, you do one mortal wound, and you're like, meh. But because there's no like negative to whether like to what kind of unit it is because normally it's like oh it goes up on a five mm. if it's a character it's a six so you can if there's like a whole bunch of characters around like is it is it once per psychic phase or for every time you every, every uh, oh, uh, once per turn in your psychic phase so per turn uh, so if you cast it multiple it, it, it doesn't go off that's correct yeah but you get it gets to happen potentially five times a game Mm, it's cool, but and I think people might take it for a little, like just to be a little bit exciting. Mm. But I don't think it will see much, like reliable use. Yeah, I don't think it'll be a a a, a must-have pick, right? No. So I'm going to choose number one, the armor of Russ. Uh, the bearer has a save characteristic of two plus and a four plus invulnerable save, uh, which is pretty reasonable. Uh, and in addition, at the start of the fight phase, you can select one enemy unit within the engagement range of the bearer. That unit is not eligible to fight this phase until after eligible units from your army have done so. That's good. That is good. The armor of Russ gets a... That's, that's a carryover from the last one, isn't it? 
That is, yeah. So, yeah. But still, you know, gets gets a thumbs up. It's not bad, the old armour of Russ. Well, you could uh, just put it on a Judica. And then a double gets, bubble. Yeah, double bubble, you know. Do they, here's, get, here's, do they get the Judica? Use. I think yeah. they do, don't they? Yeah, they do. But the Judica's been reduced down to a three inches. So he can do a three-incher and a six-incher. Well, no, yeah. no, 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 no. So select one enemy unit within an engagement range. So engagement uh, range yeah. is less than three inches. Well, it could be up to five. Oh, it could be up to five vertically. Yes, that's true. If they're on, if they're slightly elevated, if they're upon yeah. a step. Um, well, there you go. There was a selection of things. I mean, the other options could have been Fireheart, which is a plasma pistol uh, replacement. So it's like a plasma pistol, except it's strength nine, minus four, flat free damage. Ooh. Ooh. Um, the Black Death, uh, which is Models equipped with mastercrafted power axe or power axe only. This relic replaces said weapons. Uh, the Black Death is strength plus two, minus two, one damage. Each time the bearer fights, it makes D6 additional attacks. Ooh. Uh, then you had the Mountain Breaker Helm. After making close combat attacks with the bearer, before they consolidate, you can select one enemy unit within one of the bearer and roll a D6 on a two plus. That unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. <gasps> I mean, it's not bad. And then last one was the Pout of Beowulf. Each time a melee attack is made against the bearer, subtract one from the attacks, it rolls. So it's pretty much going to be the armour of Russ every time, right? Yeah. I'd quite like the axe, to be honest. The axe is... D6 extra attacks never did Abaddon any any, any well, trouble, did it? Yeah, like if you're coming up against... Um, like a big horde army, you know, mm. and... And with if you because those D six attacks are also exploding as well if he's got the the Wolfie Wolf ability whatever it is the mm. yeah. So, yeah so you could be getting a whole bunch of attacks that is true that it is could true. be a bit swingy because if you just roll a one or a two you're going to be pretty disappointed but that's a lot better because like one of the White Scars ones is just D three extra attacks mm. yeah so the fact that you get D six that's crazy good that is not bad. Well, there you go. There's their unique relics. They also have the special issue war gear, which is the adamantium mantle, artificer armor, mastercrafted weapons, digital weapons. Uh, they've got Morkai's teeth bolts, uh, which is obviously unique to the Space Wolves special issue war gear. And that is when you give a model this relic, select one bolt weapon, see Codex Space Marines, uh, that model is equipped with. When that model is chosen to shoot with, you can choose for that weapon to fire Morkai's teeth. Uh, if you do, you can only make one attack with this weapon, but it uh, but that attack scores a hit. The target unit is marked by Morkai until the end of the turn, and the attack sequence ends. Each time an attack is made against that unit, that is marked by the Mor uh, by Morkai. Reroll wound rolls of one. So basically, shoot something that you want to get reroll ones to wound against. It's not too bad. That's not bad. That's at pretty all. good. Exactly. It's, do you need to actually do a wound, or do you just need to shoot at something? You just need to hit it. You don't need to wound it. You just need to hit it. That is really good, then. So, yeah. Uh, let me just double-check. Uh, when that model is chosen to shoot with, you can choose for that weapon to fire Morka's teeth. If you do, you can only make one attack with that weapon, but if the attack scores a hit, the target unit is marked by Morkai until the end of the turn. Oh, until the end of the turn. But even then, still not bad. So I guess it's the first thing you do is go... 
I want that dead. I'm shooting yeah, it. Yeah, every shooting phase mm. uh, is pretty pretty solid way of getting rerolls. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, oh yeah, because this isn't once per battle. Yeah, you can do that every shooting phase. Yeah, so if you haven't got the space to put like a lieutenant in your list, then just, just bang him in. Well, yeah, you could just literally safe. just put this yeah. on someone. Would you want to? The... You'd want to put it on something like a tech marine or something, though, right? Someone who could get the reroll ones benefits or something. Um, I suppose you could put it on like I don't know, like a their equivalent of a captain. Oh, you could put it on like a like a faux boss captain who's got like that stalker bolt rifley type thing. Oh yeah, the the, um, the uh, faux boss captain's got the uh, sniper bolt gun, isn't he? Yeah, so he could blap something, and then all of your kind of your long fangs um, can just just blaze away, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose like, is then it, the is conversation. It core, is it core units or is it any units? It's the whole army at that point. Everything every, once it's marked by Morkai, any it's reroll ones until it's dead or the end of your turn. Wow! Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. Right until the end. Uh, each turn is at me. Yeah. And is it just shooting or is it combat as well? Uh. Oh, so until the end of the turn and the attack sequence ends, each time an attack is made against a unit that is marked by Morkai, reroll wound rolls a one. What's that attack sequence wording about? I'll read it one more time. When you give a, a model this relic, select one bolt weapon. That model is equipped with. When that model is chosen to shoot with, you choose for that weapon's to fire the Morkai's Mor- Mor- teeth. Sorry, I'm stuttering there. If you do, you can only make one attack with that weapon, but if that attack scores a hit, the target unit is marked by Morkai until the end of the turn and the attack sequence ends. Each time an attack is made against a unit that is marked by Morkai, reroll with Rosal 1. So I'm assuming that also counts for melee attacks as well. So you, yes. you, you, so you could just put it on... Uh, or just put it on a... A character with a bolt pistol. Yes. Um, Depends on how much range you want on it. Well, so if you're going into combat and you've got loads of Thunderwolf in, you just go, cool, blam. The only problem is, though, if you put it on a bolt pistol, if you yeah. advance and charge, you can't fire that pistol. Because, mm. again, there's, it's weird. Because, like, so the elder ability of Battle Focus is that you can advance and shoot any mm. gun that isn't heavy, whereas these guys still have to have assault weapons in order to yeah, shoot Yeah, Yeah, I guess put it on the Phobos guy then, I suppose. The Phobos guy, or just a, you know, a regular captain with a... Because the Tech Marine uh, has, like, a heavy bolt gun on his shoulder now, right? Oh, yeah, he's got a heavy bolter. And he's ballistic skill too, so you could make his heavy bolter fire the one Morkai's thing, and then you could chapter master him, master him to re-roll the, re-roll the miss. If you really, really desperately needed this to come off. Anyway, there you go. It's an interesting. It's an interesting thing with some options. I quite like it. Uh, you've also got the Wolf Tail Talisman. Uh, in this psychic phase, each time a model in the uh, bearer's unit would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound, 
Roll 1d6 on a 4+, plus. that wound is not lost. So 4+, plus ignore mortal wounds. It's okay, but it seems like the ignore mortal wounds thing is the thing that no one ever bothers to take. Yeah, well, it's very situational, right? People prefer mm. things that can ignore both, if anything. If or, yeah, or, or, or work pretty consistently against any army, and that is kind of niche against certain matchups. Yeah. Uh, then you've got frost weapons. Uh, when you give a model this relic, select one of the following weapons that model is equipped with. Lightning Claws, Mastercrafted Power Axe, Mastercrafted Power Sword, Power Axe Power Sword. Add one to the strength and damage characteristics of that weapon. If the model is equipped with two Lightning Claws, improve the characteristics of both weapons. Uh, that weapon, or weapons, if the model is equipped with two Lightning Claws, is considered to be a chapter relic. So add one strength and damage to your weapons. It's not bad. That's okay. It's all right, it? Frosty weapons. Uh, and then the last one is runic weapons, which is librarians only. Add one to the denial witch tests taken for the bearer. Um, so that actually means that if you're on range of their psychic hood, you're uh, adding two to your denial witch, which is pretty reasonable. Uh, and when you give a model this relic, select one of the following weapons that model is equipped with. Force act, force stay, force sword. Add one to the strength characteristics of that weapon. That weapon is considered to be a chapter relic. So again, add one to the strength characteristic. So if it's a four sword, it's now strength plus two. Okay, Bad? Joe, what's your thoughts and feelings on those? You've been relatively silent about the runic and or frost weapons. I think he's thinking about it long and hard. Is he? Or has he yeah. gone away somewhere? <laughs> I I hadn't gone away. I had it in my, in my phone in my hand. Oh yeah, um, had to sneak upstairs to get something at the same time. Oh but, yeah, yeah. Uh, you mean we're not all in a professional studio? Stop ruining the illusion, Joe. No, I'm in a in a grubby grubby it's flat that I've lived in for the last three weeks. It's, it's, well, it's bad, but it's fine. I, I, I was going to say, I think the audio quality of our production gives away gives away yeah. the illusion, Phil. <laughs> um. I like frost weapons. They're cool, but you've always had to pay like a bit of a premium on them, mm. which is a bit of a, a bit annoying. Well, some um, characters come with them as standard as well. It's only if you were... I, I, again, I think these are war gear items that are intended to add some space wolfy flavor to your standard marine stuff. Does are there stratagems that combo specifically with frost weapons? So that's one reason why you might want to give something. Because it basically just upgrades a standard weapon to a frost weapon, right? Yeah, so to the best of my understanding, there isn't anything that specifically works with frost weapons specifically. At least not melee ones. I'm trying to see if there's any reference to the shooting variant. No, not that I can see. I mean, again, I have to be completely transparent. I haven't really read all of the stratagems in extensive detail, so... I may be, you know, going back and revisiting that statement, but based on a quick tertiary glance, no. You, you, you mean you'd done a Joe in your level of research prior to this? No, no, I just I, I read it, but I, I just can't. I, it's not like the Death Watch, which I'm planning on playing, where I read the stuff over and over again. I read it once and I've forgotten, oh, um, or not forgotten. I just can't specifically remember. Um, but uh, which I guess is the <laughs> surely, same. surely that is forgotten. 
Well, you know, I'm trying to be a politician about it, Bill. Come oh, on, now. stop trying to stop trying to expose the nonsense here. Um, you know, yeah. So, uh, as far as I'm aware, I can't remember reading a specific stratagem that benefits frost weapons, and I just looked, and I can't see anything initially. But if we go back and there's one in a moment, I apologise. Um, so yeah, don't don't hate me if I've made the mistake, listeners. Hate me for other reasons, valid reasons, just not that one. Um, shall I talk about the Tempest Discipline, or are you trying to make me look silly for longer, Phil? Uh, I've got no idea what the Tempest Discipline is, so you might have to... Well, it's a, it's a psychic discipline, Phil. Oh, right, okay. Are you not, are yeah, you not, are you not a, uh, a, a student of the Tempest Discipline? I'm afraid I'm not. No, you haven't been going to wolf school to learn about the Tempesters. No, no. That's terrible. Joe, you got any uh, initial thoughts and feelings about the Tempestus discipline? You're all read up on it, right? You know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> is is Jaws of the World Wolf real good like it used to be? Well, let me tell you. I got to say though, Joe, Jaws of the World Wolf is the last of the powers on this list, so you're going to make me do this in reverse order, you know? Oh dear. I know. Terrible shame. Terrible shame. So number six on the list of Tempestus disciplines is Jaws of the World Wolf. Now, old-school 40k fanboys, such as myself, Joe and Phil, will remember this as one of the premier abilities of the olden days. What's it like now? Well, it won't surprise you to discover it's a witchfire ability. Uh, Jaws of the World Wolf, World Wolf has a warp charge value of 7. So that's already a promising start. 7 usually means something good, right? You'd hope so. Indeed. If manifested, select one enemy unit with 18 of this visible... Uh, of, uh, Sorry. Within 18 of and visible to this Psyker. Roll 1d6 for each model in that unit, adding 1 to the result if the uh, result of the Psychic test uh, was 9 or more. So that's actually pretty strong, because that's... Super Smite is 11+. plus. This is nine plus. Uh, in fact, yeah. So yeah, nine plus to 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 supercharge world uh, world wolf. Uh, for each roll of a six, that unit suffers one mortal wound. So you draw a straight line. Everything under that straight line, every model, you roll a d six on a five plus if you've rolled over a nine, or on a six plus if you've rolled a seven or eight. Takes a mortal wound. It's all right. I mean, all right. It's not as it's not as cool as I remove that entire unit of Carnifexes, but you know. I'm just trying to hang on. Say, if manifested, select one enemy unit within 18 and visible to the psycho. Oh, so it's each. So it's not. Sorry, the line I've created out of nowhere. There is no line. It's just every model in the unit suffers a mortal wound on a six up. So if it's you shot, it's only good against horde. Yeah. Really. Yeah, it's an anti potentially anti horde thing. So if you rolled a nine plus and you were firing this as a thirty man orc squad, uh, you could kill ten orcs with this. Yeah, like you could you could put it into like a ten man intercessor squad and get lucky and maybe kill one one and a half. I mean, yeah, you'd have to get very lucky to kill one and a half. But yeah, one definitely, but one and a half might not be possible. Well, they may be against a ten man squad. Yeah. If you roll, if you roll that nine, if you roll that nine, yeah. But there you go. Not too bad. Not what it used to be, like you said. Uh, not not the sort of power that one shots a can effects. That's for sure. Yeah, because it used to just remove from play. Yeah, which was hilarious. And it used to be an initiative test, didn't it? Roll under yeah. your initiative or over your initiative. Sorry. Yeah, you, you had, had to, to roll. roll. 
under you, you had to roll under your initiative, but the problem was it can't affect his initiative too. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, boop, all dead. I remember I remember I was playing in a doubles tournament against a Space Wolf player who used uh, Rune Priests in drop pods because he was very cool. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and he did that uh, uh, Jaws of the World Wolf against uh, a unit of Zench Flamers that I had. Flamers of Zench. And they're only like initiative free back in old 6th edition. And I did remember sort of cautiously saying to him, trying to kind of like weird him out. I said, are you sure about that, mate? Because if you do that, that squad is dead. And he would look yeah. at me like, what do you mean? Wait, hang on, that's what I want to happen. <laughs> it's like, damn it, he saw through my, saw through my clever trick. <laughs> he, he listened to my words and and understood them. Yeah, exactly. The I just thought if I could try and present it to him as a negative, maybe he'd think, oh, I shouldn't do that. You know, like, if you do this, my entire squad will die. Like, yes, I know, that's what I want to do. All right, yeah, okay, good. good for you. Um, anyway, good times. Uh, number five is the Storm Caller. So it's a blessing aura uh, and has a warp charge of six. If manifested uh, until the start of your next phase, uh, psychic phase, I should clarify, uh, while their unit is within six of this psyker, friendly space models receive the benefits of light cover. Ooh. It's not bad. So you make like a whirly, swirly storm around your psyker. Uh, and every core, uh, sorry, every space wall unit within six gains light cover. It's not bad, not great, but not bad. I don't know. That's quite good. I suppose so. If you're taking so things, like, terminators and stuff, isn't it? If he, no, if he's, yeah, if he's running around with units of, with units that have got storm shields. Oh yeah. They got a one-up save everywhere they go. It's not bad, except if they're often. Unless they're Wolfen, or or yeah, if you put them run them around with Wolfguard Terminators with Storm Shields, but then or... the Wolfen would still have a two up save, which is no bad thing. Yeah, same. You know, it's not it's bad. Good. I like that. Uh, so the next one, number four, uh, or the last one, because we're going in reversed order. Uh, Instincts awoken. Uh, it's a blessing. And it has a warp charge of six. If manifested, select one friendly Space Wolf unit within 18 of this psychic. Until the start of your next psychic phase, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, the Assault Doctrine is considered to be active for that attack instead of the currently active Doctrine. If the Assault Doctrine is already active for your army, then on an unmodified wound, uh, wound roll of a six, improve the armor penetration characteristic of the attack by one. This is cumulative with the bonuses from the Assault Doctrine. Oh. So you now get the Exploding Sixes and you get plus one to your AP if you roll sixes to wound, which in uh, you know collaboration with the Assault Doctrine means that you're getting plus two to your, uh, to your uh, AP value. So your Chainswords... Will be AP minus three. Pretty good. That's pretty good on sixes, mind you. Yeah, yeah. I think the ability to shift uh, into the assault doctrine for one squad's just pretty good, anyway, right? No, it's really strong. Really, really strong. I mean, if you had that on a squad of outriders, that would be quite hilarious because then all of a sudden your outriders, because uh, each outrider gets six attacks on a charge, so it's got uh, two on profile. Plus one for being a space marine charging, 
plus two for devastating charge and plus one for the chainsword. So you roll those six dice, you get maybe six hits out of it per dude. And then, yeah, and then they're in the assault doctrine and blah, it's all right, isn't it? It's all good. Outriders four. Huh? Uh, Outriders core. Uh, yes, they are. Yeah, I guess it's pretty much everything except certain dreadnoughts. The, the, this doesn't have to be core, though. This could be anything. Oh, is it just anything? Oh, yeah, right. you just go, boosh, you're in the assault doctrine now, son. So you could Wait. even do it to a predator, should you so wish. In case you really need that predator to make and succeed in a powerful charge that turn, if it's your last, last ditched effort. If it's your last unit alive. Exactly. Go, Predator, go! Get them! That's what it is. And then you get the inevitable, which should... Well, anyway, it's highly unlikely in that scenario that you wouldn't already be in the Assault Doctrine, I guess, because if a Predator's the last thing alive, it probably is Battle Round 4, uh, unless it's really gone bad. Anyway. Yeah, you're having a really bad game. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Number three is Tempest's Wrath. It's a malediction uh, and uh, has a warp charge value of six. If manifested, select one enemy unit within 24 of this Psyker until the start of your next Psychic phase. Each time a model in that unit makes an attack, subtract one from the attack's hit rolls. It's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Minus one to hit, no bad thing. Um, number two is Murderous Hurricane. I mean, that's got to be good. That's like a Sharknado, I assume. Or, or Wolfnado. Oh, Wolfnado, imagine. Uh, the Murderous Hurricane is a warp charge value of 6. If manifested, select one enemy unit within 18 of this Psyker until the start of the next Psychic phase. If that unit is not wholly or on... or oh, sorry. Is not wholly on or within a terrain feature, that unit cannot fire Overwatch. Oh, no. Um, and then also, in the fight phase, that unit is not eligible to fight until after all eligible Space Wolf units from your army have done so. So can't overwatch you, and uh, has to fight last. Is that um, against a unit in cover? Uh, if that unit is not wholly on or within a terrain feature, the unit oh, cannot so it's fight. Because uh, I was thinking stopping it from overwatching would stop it from doing, is it prepared positions or something? Correct. Um, but obviously, if, if, it's not, if it can't work on a unit in cover, then it's doesn't do that. I suppose so. it's really good if you're up against Tau, though, right? If like you see in a Tau army across the board, and you go, "Cool, that thing's not Overwatching." Now I'm charging in. Yeah, or just like a ton of flesh. Yeah, but the, but the, it's 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 the units stood next to it can still Overwatch. Can it? I think for Tau, yes, but for things like they're not they're not the unit being no. Oh yeah, so it's weird, isn't it? So if it's if the ability is on the unit, i.e., the unit can't be Overwatched. Yeah. then nothing in the Tau army can overwatch it. Whereas if it's one of the units you're charging can't overwatch, they still can activate the others, can't they? Yeah. Ah. Oh, well, you know, it's not not useful. It's just not right. great. We're not, we're not seeing a vast amount of Tau at the moment. You don't have to worry. No, indeed. Indeed. Although maybe we will after those fancy Christmas box sets come out. Don't they look pretty? Uh, anyway. Um Living Lightning is number one, and Living Lightning is a Witchfire ability with a warp charge value of six. If manifested, uh, you basically target the closest enemy unit with an 18 of and visible to this Psyker, and they suffer D3 mortal wounds. 
Then roll 1d6. On a 2 to 4, the closest other enemy unit within 6 of the visible... Uh, sorry, of and visible to that unit suffers one mortal wound. On a 5 plus, it suffers d3 mortal wounds. So this is smite with extra smite. Mm. Assuming that you can roll a, uh, a, a 2 plus uh, for the next unit. And if you it's... roll a 5 plus, it's full on smite, not just one. Is it only one unit stood next to them that gets hit? So, yeah, it's only one unit that's within six and visible to the unit. Okay. Still not bad, though. Not bad. Warp charge Extra value of six. Mm? Extra smite. Extra, Extra smite. Wound. I mean, compared to the Elder's Executioner ability, I would argue it's not quite as good. But it's still Extra something. Is, is, is mad, no. Yeah, it's very strong. Yeah, very, but, very strong. But Executioner just murders units. Mm. And don't forget though, Joe, if you took the relic, you could also be doing whirly swarmy uh swirly whirlwindy mortal wounds off the top of this as well. Hey? Hey? The swirly dirly one. The swirly dirly ones, yeah, absolutely. Giving them a swirly, putting their heads in the toilet. Mortal wound, mate. Done. Anyway. Um Uh, and the last thing in the match play rules that we need to talk about is uh, their specific secondaries. Um, so they've got one for Purge the Enemy, uh, and they've got one for No Mercy, No Respite. Uh, needless to say, they don't have any Shadow Operatives or Battlefield Supremacy or whatever it's called abilities. They're all about murdering stuff. Who would have thought? Good. So... These are quite interesting as well, though, right? Because they've also got some added stipulations to them. So, um, yeah. And, well, they've got multiples, essentially. So they've got they've got two No Mercy, No Respite, and two Purge the Enemy. So Purge the Enemy, number one, is Glory Kills. If you select this objective, you can score victory points as follows. Score two victory points if any character units were destroyed by a Space Wolf unit that you're ar- uh, in your army during the battle round. During this battle round. Hang on. Oh, during this battle round. If no character units were destroyed, but a character unit suffered three or more wounds as a result of attack made by a Space Wolves unit from your army, score one point instead. Score three points. If any monster units were destroyed by a Space Wolves unit from your army during this battle if uh, battle round, sorry. If no monster units were destroyed, but you did three wounds to them, you get one victory point. A character monster unit cannot count towards both these points. Uh, you must select whether to treat that unit as a character or a monster. So essentially, the Glory Kills is uh, an ability that basically works on both characters and monsters. So should you be fighting against Tyranids, this would be very good. It's reasonable to assert. Yeah, that's quite good. Or, um, t- or Tau. Yeah, I suppose they've got a few monster things, haven't they? Riptides are monsters, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, very good against town. Not a bad one. Um, the other one is Heroic Challenge. Heroic Challenge is also a Purge the Enemy ability, and it is at the start of the first command phase, you must select one Space Wolf character model from your army to issue the challenge, and your opponent must select one character model from their army to accept the challenge. If either player does not have a character model, they must instead select their Warlord. Score five victory points at the end of the battle for each of the following conditions that have been achieved. 
The model that accepted the challenge was destroyed. The model that accepted the challenge was destroyed as a result of a melee attack. The model that accepted the challenge was destroyed as a result of a melee attack made by the model that issued the challenge. There you go. So that's worth 15 points if you do all of that. No, I don't like that one. No, I'm less into it. But it's flavoursome, right? It's interesting. Yeah, so... But your opponent picks what what unit accepts the challenge, or do, you, do the Space Wolf player get to pick? Uh, so the Space Wolf player picks who is challenging, and the opponent yeah. picks who is accepting the challenge. Oh, that, that like yeah, that'll never go off. Or because your opponent could just hide. Because if you were getting an Eldar player, you go call cool, my Farseer on bike is accepting it, yep. and he's just going to leave when you come near me. <laughs> Indeed. My Autark with wings will accept that. To the skies! <laughs> Done. <laughs> winner, winner. But still, interesting. I mean, what do you think about that, Phil? Any of those well, float your boat you want to glory kill or heroically challenge? Uh, yeah, I like the first one most, because that's a bit like the tank one, but mm. for monsters instead. So I think that one's quite good. It feels like that actually is sort of lacking from the core rulebook, but would be quite a good one to have. Mm. Well, I would agree with you that I think there should have been something monster-specific, but then bring it down applies to monsters, right? Yeah, like, my Drakari wouldn't like it. Like, Drakari players wouldn't be happy. Why is that? When they turn up with their, like, six six Talos, which are all monsters, and they're like, oh, crikey, this is the problem. (laughs) That is true. Six Talos are not going to enjoy that, uh, that, uh, you know, glory kill. one in the... Is that one in this? Is Glory Killing the same one as Bring It Down? Uh, Purge the Enemy, yeah. So. Yeah, it is, yeah. That's alright then. But you got to think it's worth, because this is potentially worth, so again, against your army of uh, Drakari, you're, you're getting best of both worlds. So fair enough, you're not going to benefit from killing the Ravagers and the Venoms, but you yeah. are going to benefit from killing both the characters and monsters. So it depends. It's a it's a toss up over what one you're going to focus on more. Personally, I'd probably go for bring it down bring in it, that matchup bring because it down would be better. yeah, the venoms are are an obvious target. But you know, it's it's an option, right? I mean, if you're if you're up against nids, that's very strong. Yeah, which is which is good. Uh, then we've got no mercy, no respite. So we've got a mighty saga. So if you select this objective, you score two victory points at the end of each battle round. For each of the following, achieved by your Space uh, space Wolf's Warlord, so many Ws, uh, for a maximum of five victory points. An enemy monster or vehicle unit loses any wounds as the result of a melee attack made by this Warlord. An enemy monster or vehicle unit is destroyed as a result of a melee attack made by this Warlord. An enemy character is destroyed as a result of a melee attack made by this Warlord. Five or more models were destroyed as a result of an attack made by this Warlord. At the start of your command phase, this warlord is within range of an objective marker that is wholly within your opponent's deployment zone. So if you do any of those five things, you can score two victory points for each of them up to a maximum of five. Hmm. So essentially, this is you basically going, everything is on my warlord. (laughs) My warlord is going out to score all the points. Yeah. You'd have to build that specifically, though, in your list. But also, you're putting your Warlord in harm's way all the time, because all of this stuff is get your Warlord stuck in. Yeah. So, 
It's going to be tough to do, but it's very rewarding because you could potentially get this done in three turns. I mean, sure, surely that's what your Space Wolf Warlord's meant to be doing. Though. He's not going to be hiding at the back being a coward. Oh, absolutely. He's, I, he's I, a space Viking. He's, he's got to go for the glory. I used to, uh, back when Corn Demonkin were a thing, I used to swear by uh, taking the Gore Chosen Axe on my Juggernaut Lord because that basically got better the more stuff you killed. And that was always how I lo- loved to play my uh, my Lord on Juggernaut, was always like, send him in, get stuck in, smash everyone up and get better and better as he went. Because, um, yeah, I loved all that stuff. And I think the same is very true of the Space Wolves. That's some- It's definitely something that I would take in fluffier games, for sure. I struggle to argue its relevancy in more competitive games. But, you know, if you and me, Phil, were throwing dice in me uh, in me creepy garage i'd probably look at something like that as a laugh because it'd be fun but i think uh i think for tournament play it's probably not as reliable as some things but still good i like it it's in- it's very very fluffy yeah. closing thoughts on that one joe anything you want to add um i don't know i think i think it could you, it's quite fluffy i think you could throw a bit of a curveball on someone because they'll be like oh we'll never take that one that's mad mm. And then you send in this jump packed up loopy, loopy madman, <laughs> just like swinging a. Because it like uh, uh, a space marine captain, wolf lordy type person with a thunder hammer, storm shield, and a jump pack is still going to make a serious mess of stuff. Mm. Especially if he's surrounded by thunder wolves, or like you could. There's probably an argument that you could just run through like units of like swift claws mm. or like the wolf guard with jump packs mm. like thunder hammer storm shield or lightning claws just be like have this whoop <laughs> off they go so the last of the no mercy no respite ones is warrior pride score three victory points at the end of a turn if two or more space wolf units from your army are either within engagement range of an enemy unit or have completed charge moves this turn so How much you score, sorry? Three victory points for every turn where you do what your Space Wolves want to do all the time. Seems pretty good. I mean, it, it really plays to their archetype, right? I'm going to hurl yeah. all these troops at you and I'm going to score points for it. Yay me! So how many units do you need to... Two. Get, so just two. So two well, after... Especially when you can get Warlord, especially when you can get traits where you can fall back and charge constantly. That's Well, you don't even need, you don't even need to charge, though, because you just need to be in engagement range as well. So oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so so it's well, yeah or... that just seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, uh, especially because your entire army can heroically intervene as well. Oh, yeah, don't forget that. That's, that's, a, that's the thing we forgot to talk about. Their, their universal chapter tactic is they all heroically intervene. Yeah. So, don't get close to them. Don't get close to them. Do not go anywhere near them. They are crazy. Anyway, let's talk about the data sheets, shall we? Because we've pretty much covered all the other fun stuff. There's a bunch of rules in the in between uh, the uh, the ones I've just said and the data sheets. I think they're called Crusade or something. I don't think anyone really cares about that, right? Nope. No, right, okay, carrying on, data sheets. So, uh, you've got a couple of abilities that are universal to the Space Wolves or can regularly appear in the Space Wolf data sheets. Those are Berserk Charge, Headstrong, and Swift Hunter. 
Uh, Berserk charges if this unit is either the hunter's unleashed chapter. T- uh, sorry, has either the hunter's unleashed chapter tactic, or it's an inheritor of the pr- uh, of the Primarch successor tactic, and is using the chapter tactics of the Space Wolves. Then each time it fights, it uh, sorry each time it fights if it made a charge move this turn, then units that fight. <laughs> oh, sorry. Then until that fight is resolved, add one to the attack characteristics of models, excluding Wolfguard models in that unit. So, basically, if you charge with these guys, they get plus one attack on top of the already existing plus one attacks. Oh, wow. So, Berserk Charge. Um, and I believe the Berserk Charge is pretty much... I think there's a few people that have it, but it's definitely the Blood Claws have it. Yeah, Blood Claws have it. So there you Blood go. Claws are uh, weapon skill three now as well, aren't they? They are weapon skill three plus, yeah. So Blood Claws are weapon skill three plus, so you can take them in big old units. Uh, they've only got one attack on profile, but obviously when they charge, they get three attacks, and they've all got chain swords, so there'll be four attacks. And you can chuck a psychic power on them to make them think it's the assault doctrine, and then they go loopy. Um, did they used to re-roll hits like in built? Uh, what I Blood uh, Blood Claws? Yeah. No, they they used to have uh, they used to have berserk charge, so they used to they always used to get additional attacks from charging. I think there's there's something to be said for having just a whole army of blood claws. Potentially, I mean, old um, uh, Ragnar Blackmane used to specialize yeah. in hanging out with blood claws. I think he still does, in fact. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, berserk charge okay. is pretty cool. Uh, then you've got Headstrong. If this unit does not contain a wolf card model, then each time this uh, unit declares a charge, you must select the closest eligible enemy unit as one of uh, the target of the charge. So unless you've got a wolf guard in your squad, you have to charge the closest thing. Oh. So you could end up in weird scenarios where you would you could make an easy charge to two units, but you can only declare the charge against the first thing in front of you. So if you were two inches away from a character and another squad, you couldn't declare on the squad if the character was closer. Wow. So it is a little bit of a downside. But just take Wolfguard. It's a simple fix, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Simple fix. And then lastly, Swift Hunters, which is you can advance and charge. And, And in addition, each time this unit makes a piling move or consolidate move, you add one to that uh, to that move. So they consolidate and pile in four inches. Unless, of course, they had an ability that said they could do that six inches, in which case they would now be seven. It's nice. It's pretty tasty. Charging after advancing is no bad thing, right? Especially for a whole army that wants to do that anyway. Yes, absolutely. Right. So for the data sheets, we're not going to talk about every single data sheet because I think there's a lot of data sheets in here. Uh, Space Wolves, uh, as I said in my rundown of uh, the uh, top 10, actually top 13 Space Marine chapters, uh, have the most units of any Space Marine army. Um, There are just pages and pages and pages of data sheets for these guys. Uh, So we're going to talk about some of the mainstay ones, some of the, you know, the classics, as it were. Uh, they've got loads of characters, loads of awesome things that they have access to. Can I, can I request two? Please, no, make your request. Can I have Harold and Mr. Chubby Wolf, please? 
You want Harold Wolfborn and Canis Wolfborn, or sorry, what's Harold called again? Harold Harold, Harold Deathwolf. Deathwolf, that's him. Sorry, yes, and Canis yeah, Wolfborn. He's, he's hard of hearing. You want the two? You want the two wolfy wolves? Yeah, the two. They are the most wolfy of the wolf people. Fair enough. Fair enough. Phil, do you have any preference in your wolfy wolf selection? Uh, yeah, I want the, I can't remember what it's called, the wolf flyer, there's like a shooty version and a transporty version, if I remember rightly. Yes, 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 you want the uh, thing that I have also forgotten the name of and I'm frantically trying to get, you want the storm fang or the storm wolf, I assume is what you're asking about. Yeah, yeah, that's a Wolf plane and wolf plane. Wolf plane and wolf plane. Um, I'm going to talk about... So the thing I would like to talk about is Logan Grimnar oh. on his on his sled. Uh, I would also <laughs> like to talk about. Uh, Surely we, we have to talk about Thunderwolf Cavalry. Yeah. So also Thunderwolf Cavalry and the so, Wolfin is something. So does it say whether Logan Grimnar is still alive? Because he disappeared, didn't he? He didn't disappear. No. So so at the end of the events of uh, the Wrath of Magnus or the yeah. Curse of the Wolfin, whichever one it was, uh, essentially Logan uh, committed uh, an act that would be considered very uncharacteristic of his usual standard. So essentially, uh, the Inquisition arrived. Uh, or rather, I think the Grey Knights arrived and uh, Logan essentially said, yeah, kill them all. So basically, Logan famously, historically, has always stood up for the little guy. He's one of he's, he's famed for actually being quite nice to humans uh, and quite a noble, proud warrior king. Uh, whereas at the end of the events of the Wrath of Magnus, he essentially uh, decided that he uh, he didn't mind sacrificing and killing thousands potentially millions of uh humans who had witnessed the events of uh of magnus's return to fenris the twist of that being is is that it's heavily insinuated that this has happened because he's wielding a cornate axe towards the end of uh the events of uh the um the wrath of magnus so essentially he is now in possession of a demon weapon and it is asserted that that demon weapon is corrupting his uh, his character, so to speak. So oh. there you go. That's what's happening with Logan at the moment, as far as I'm I aware. Th- I thought there was... Now, I could be completely wrong, but I remember in the audiobooks, uh, there was... it was I think it was Crusade and other stories. So there's lots of short stories. I'm mm. pretty sure one of them has the Space Wolves uh, chapter master, or their equivalent of, uh, go down to a planet... Uh, I think it was infested by maybe it was Tyranids. I think I can't quite remember now. Um, basically, they go down to like an underhive uh, to rescue the other uh, space marines that have been sent down there because uh, they've all been trapped and no one's heard about them. And I think the Dark Angels are also there in a cruiser loitering above, and they're just going to oh, be like, that, "Oh, that's Fenris." So that's one of the the. Uh, one of the, I think it's Harold. It might be Harold, Harold, or the Iron Wolf guy. It's because because it, they've got they've got like the seven houses or the ten houses or they've got they've got a bunch of different ones. They've got they've got thirteen great the companies or something. It's called. Yeah. So one of the company leaders has gone looking for Logan, who's 
like in the underhive of Fenris. Ah, right, yeah, Cause, and uh, yeah, because the the Dark Angels are just loitering above, going, "Yeah, we're just going to wipe the planet out. Like we're going to do an orbital bombardment at least on that location." And they're like, "Ah, oh, better kill him, kill them." But then the assumption is they still be alive in the underhive, underground, and potentially safe, but sort of trapped there. Uh, and if I remember rightly, there's an Inquisitor around, and I think it was either one of the Inquisitor's retinue or the Inquisitor himself is potentially being possessed by a demon as well. The changeling. A change, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, so you're, 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 quite a good you're, story, actually. you're quoting the events of the uh, Wrath of Magnus here. Oh, right, okay. Well, just in, in audiobook format. Yeah, I wasn't entirely sure on the planet because I was like, half listening to it to begin with. Going, this is a boring story, and then after a while, I was like, oh, "God, this is really interesting." Yeah, so there is a lot of weirdness that happens in the Wrath of Magnus. Not least the fact that the Changeling is able to seize control of the Rock, which is like, hmm, like the Rock is probably one of the only places where I would argue a creature even as powerful as the Changeling wouldn't be able to walk around without being detected. Considering that the rock is filled with those watchers in the dark who are essentially anti-warp. Um, it, yeah, the idea that a demonic entity could wander around that place without any, you know, without anyone noticing was a little bit far-fetched. And also there was this really convoluted story about them trying to, like, create video footage of Grey Knights doing something in front of Dark Angels or something to prove that oh. Space Wolves were evil so they were trying basically it was a really weird plot that didn't make an awful lot of sense but the best thing they did was the conclusion of it which was obviously the whole logan grimnar intrigue because it created a lot of potential you know implications that could be delivered on in in, in future editions because essentially magnus is defeated when logan strikes him with this cornet axe and apparently, as the axe makes contact with Magnus, you can essentially hear the laughter of the the corn, the god of corn, or something. Or it was like maybe it was the laughter of the the Lord of Change or something. But essentially, it tears through him and sends him back into the warp. Um, and then yeah, but then it is is said to have corrupted Logan slightly, and it's and it's hinted at by that little action of him sacrificing loads of people. But there you go, a load of fluff for you there. I wasn't expecting to get into that. It's a good thing I read these books from time to time. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, not like everyone else that just buys these these narrative books for the rules. Exactly, exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, I buy every single GW book, so I may as well read a few short stories here. And I there. tried, I tried reading like, like I tried reading the um, the one for Vigilus Ablaze, mm. and like, like it's all about like, like the farming and the crops and like how they produce water and I'm like I don't care about this I want to hear about gene stealers like stabbing people in the back <laughs> I want to hear well, about yeah I mean I, I'm surprised we never did an episode on it because I remember well I went out of my way to read them read both books uh, and it was it was a weird format because you had pages upon pages that just talked about each like city or sector and then you had like one narrative section that kind of covered it all, and you so you sort of rereading the story again, having just read it, but in a bit more detail about each 
city whereas the actual story could be read in like by five pages or 10 pages or something and then there's another 30 40 pages of here's what went down individually at each place mm. yeah um, so it was a bit odd but uh, it was really it's interesting really, I quite, I the story quite... was always like oh there's a man who can hear knocking on the walls and scratches how do we make this last 12 pages <laughs> yeah. the, the, one of my favorite bits was about uh an adeptus mechanic like an arch magos uh, guy was uh staring into the sky and basically just lost his mind so he was uh um sort of muttering in ones and zeros forever and then that's when they outlawed looking at the sky because of the <laughs> storms were turning people mad i thought that was quite an interesting tidbit <laughs> never look up <laughs> yeah well, well well that is how hark and Wellclaimer manages to sort of infiltrate the top spires because no one's really looking at the sky to realize amazing there's a bunch of space moons in... as far as like creating a like how do we have it so this like one guy can uh can like infiltrate the planet without being detected by these hundreds and thousands of loyalist troops will outlaw looking up That's 90 amazing. degrees no longer exists that is truly spectacular. Right, let me tell you about Logan Grimnar, though. So, Logan Grimnar on his Storm Rider, noting that you can take Logan Grimnar on his own now. So, if you want to, there is a data sheet for Logan Grimnar and a data sheet for Logan Grimnar on Storm Rider. For is there a model for him on his own? So, the model of Logan Grimnar that rides on the Storm Rider is a separate miniature, essentially. So, you can very comfortably and easily put that on its own separate base uh you can even uh i think fit the base into the into the sled potentially but i think the easiest way of approaching it would be if you wanted to do this to magnetize a regular base and magnetize the storm rider no no you just got to buy two models dan that's what games Workshop wants you to do but but how do you fit the base in there with all the bags of toys <laughs> <laughs> well there you go that is a fair point anyway look i mean for what it's worth i would always uh recommend taking the storm rider variant uh and the major reason for that is the points differential so uh well, let me just it's flick. not it's not the looks that's clearly clearly it well i love that model. Mm-hmm. i love that model <laughs> shut up anyway Logan Grimnar on his own is 155 points, whereas if you take him on a Storm Rider, he's 25 points more. So he's 880 points if you take him on the Storm Rider. So Logan Grimnar on Storm Rider is movement 10, weapon skill, ballistic skill 2 plus, strength 4, toughness 6, uh, 14 wounds, 5 attacks, leadership 9, and has a 2 plus armor save. Uh, it is a degrading profile, so uh, his movement is the only thing that degrades. So if he loses uh, ten wounds, so if he sorry not ten wounds, if he loses eight wounds, if he's reduced to six wounds, he moves down to movement seven, and if he's reduced to three wounds, he's reduced to movement four. In terms of his uh, weapons, uh, Logan Grimlar on Stormrider is equipped with a Stormbolter, the Axe of Morkai, Flurry of Teeth and Claws. And your army can only include one Logan Grimnar model. Uh, a Stormbolter is a Stormbolter. The Axe of Morkai comes in two flavours. You can either use it one-handed or, controversially, 
two-handed. If you use it one-handed, it's strength plus two, minus three, one damage. But each time an attack is made with this weapon, you make two hit rolls instead of one. And if you use it two-handed, it's strength times two, minus three, flat three damage. And that's it. So there's no minus to hit modifiers to use this weapon. Bear in mind, when he charges, he's got six attacks. So uh, when he charges in, he actually makes 12 attacks with this weapon if you're using it in its one-handed form, which is pretty good. Jeez. Uh, the flurry of teeth... Sorry, Joe. Does he get the exploding fives and sixes then? Uh, I mean, he could do... What was the stipulation around the fives and sixes? Oh, he... Um... How did you get that again? That was a psychic power, wasn't it? Yeah, so one of he normally gets it on sixes. Yeah, so he could. Yeah, so you could make it. You could put him in the assault doctrine, and then you get the exploding fives. Yeah, tasty, very tasty. Um, he's also got the flurry of teeth and claws for normal Thunderwolves. This is plus three attacks, but for him, because he's got two Thunderwolves carrying his sled or pulling his sled, uh, he gets plus six attacks. And this is strength plus one, so strength five minus two, one damage. Uh, so if you're going into a horde base scenario, this guy charging in uh, would have a sum total of 18 attacks. Which ain't too bad, is it? Always hitting on twos, I'm guessing. Always hitting on twos, yeah. That's, that's well good. That is not bad. So in addition to everything else, he's an angel of death. He has swift hunter, so he can advance and charge. Uh, he has the Belt of Rust. This model has a 4 plus invulnerable save. He is a High King of Fenerus. If this model is your Warlord, it is always treated as having completed its deed. Uh, so he, out of the box, is giving you Fearless. So his uh, Warlord trait is uh, the aura of... Um... Oh, what's it called now? Sorry, sorry, sorry. It is... The Aura of Majesty and the Aura of Majesty Deed, or rather Saga, is the auto-pass morale test. So his aura is 9 inches, and he's on a massive base as well. So he's got a 9-inch reroll 1's aura, and he can use his Chapter Master ability within 9, because he's also a Chapter Master. But he's also got a 6-inch uh, always-pass morale test ability out of the gate. So that's what he gets. It's pretty good. Um, he's a chapter master, as I said, and he's also got the rights of battle aura. And that's him. There he is for uh, 180 points. If you were to take him on foot for 25 points less, uh, he has half as many wounds, half the movement, and much le many less attacks. Uh, so I really struggle to understand why you would take him on foot for the sake of 25 points. I mean, maybe if you're really trying to squeeze him in, but for for twenty five points, I think he's got to come on. His, he's got to come on. Yeah, his, I, think, uh, Storm I think he's 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 part of the auto include units at the start of list making. I, he's definitely getting there. He's very very versatile. It, it seems pretty puzzling that he's that much better for just twenty points. It is quite surprising, isn't it? Um, well, twenty five points. It would be like maybe thirty or forty points or 50. yeah. I, I honestly can't quite get my head around why there is only a 25-point difference. I think, obviously, it's because... I, I, I guess it's because he's no longer infantry, right? So maybe they've gone... The fact that he can move through walls and stuff gives him a bit more of a benefit in mobility, but that doesn't seem like that much of a trade-off. 
I suppose because he doesn't benefit from Lookout Sir, though, either, right? How many wounds does he have? So if you take him on foot seven, if you take him on the uh, Storm Rider 14. But I think you're always going to take him on the Storm Rider. I think 14 wounds is ridiculously strong. Yeah, I think it's good. And for 180 points, even if he does get shot to hell, 180 points, it's going to take a lot of shots to kill him. Oh, yeah. At toughness six, bear in mind. And again, he's only toughness four when he's on foot. So toughness six, 14 wounds, two up save and a four up invulnerable save. Yeah, that's not too bad. You're going to struggle to put him down. I mean, you can do it. You can definitely do it. But at the end of the day, you, you've lost 180 points. Dreadnoughts are about that. I think Redemptor Dreadnoughts are uh, coming in close to that amount of points. And they're, okay, toughness seven, but... They ain't two up saves with a four up invan, are they? No. Admittedly, they are minus one damage, but yeah, look, man, I think I think he's great. I think they've really, really delivered. And if you're thinking about going Thunderwolfy, he complements the Thunderwolf build really well because he is essentially a Thunderwolf guy. Yeah. So there you go, Logan Grimnar. They might have made him good. I always argued that he was good in 7th edition, but no one ever listened to me back then because I didn't have a podcast and people didn't, you know, tune in and listen to me say things back then. If only I had, I could have convinced everyone of the benefits of Logan Grimnar back in 6th and 7th edition. Uh, oh, but Chariot goes back in 7th edition. Uh-huh. Chariots were bonkers good in 7th edition. Oh, it was so crazy. What's that? You're shooting me with loads of bolt guns? Cool, you're shooting my uh, Armour 12 chariot. Oh, what's that mean? You can't wound me. Okay, cool. I'm shooting you with this las cannon. Cool, you can shoot my guy with Eternal Warrior and a two-up armor save and a three-up invert. Have fun with that. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> so dumb. There is no winning here. No. Well, there wasn't, but unfortunately, that addition is now behind us. So let's talk about... Who did you want to talk about? Harold? Harold, yeah. Harold, you want to talk about Harold? So Harold... He is also a Thunderwolf character. He has seven wounds, a movement of ten, weapon skill ballistic skill of two, strength four, toughness five, five attacks, a leadership nine, and a three plus save. Uh, Harold Deathwolf is equipped with a bolt pistol, crushing teeth and claws, glacius, frag grenades, crack grenades, storm shield. Your army can only include one Harold Deathwolf. Crushing... Hmm? Not Harold, Harold. Oh, I think... Uh... Home and away. I will. I will. <laughs> do you ever remember that old story that people used to say about Harold when he would do tours? The no, Ramsey Street tours. Not the time and the place. No, come on. We can we can work around the swear words. We could just deliver it. It was the Hey Harold, why are you so fat? And he would respond because every time I had sexual intercourse with your mother, I ate a biscuit. Hey, <laughs> Harold, you legend. <laughs> What a lad. What a lad. Although he didn't use the word sexual intercourse, he obviously used the word... <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh. it's, it's okay when you use them now and again for added em, em, you know, emphasis. It's good. Um, anyway, well, and I will bleep that out. At least I hope... Sorry, what was that, Phil? It's getting beeped out, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I'll try to. If I leave it in, I suppose that'll be funnier. But, you know, I'll try and leave it out. Until until the old iTunes comes crashing down on us with a content rating. I think we're allowed I think we're allowed one 
I don't think that's how it works. No, okay, fine. Anyway, I, crushing teeth said, and claws. I said, uh, I said <laughs> on the live stream the other day. Oh, Joe, you. <sighs> you you, you, you give it. You're giving Dan more editing work. Now. I know you're just creating problems for you now, Joe. Anyway, how did that go down? Was it did 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 uh, was it appreciated? Uh, it, I kind of, I, th- I I think I styled it out. Oh yeah, fine, fine. Anyway, right, crushing teeth and claws. It's like it was for. Um, uh, for Logan, except it's only free attacks. Uh, so each time a bear fights, it makes three additional attacks with this weapon. And again, strength plus one, minus two, one damage. So strength five, uh, minus two, one damage. And the Glacius is strength plus two, minus two, flat two damage. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, an unmodified wound roll of six inflicts one mortal wound in addition to the uh, the normal damage. Ooh, fancy. So that's pretty good. Uh, he is an Angels of Death. He has Outflank and Swift Hunters. Uh, so Outflank's pretty strong. So he can uh, go into reserves. Not bad. Uh, Lord of the Wolfkin. It's an aura. While friendly Space Wolf's cavalry or Space Wolf beast units is within six of this model. Models in that unit can use this model's leadership characteristic, which is nine. So if you've got loads of those Fenrisian wolves that, as I said earlier, are like leadership six or seven, they'll be leadership nine when they're hanging out with this guy. Um, he's got rights of battle, which is reroll ones to hit uh, for Space Wolf's core units. And he's also got mantle of the Troll King. Each time an attack is allocated to this model, subtract one from the damage characteristics of that attack to a minimum of one. He's pretty strong, isn't he? He is well good, mate. And I think he's pretty cheap as well, if I remember correctly. Harold, why are you so fat? Ha ha ha. 140 points. Oh, he's going in my list. He is another auto-include, would you not say? Yeah, if you're running Thunderwall, I think you've got to take him. I think so too. Phil, have you got any thoughts and feelings on Harold? He's gone. He sounds pretty tasty. Were you more of a fan of Lou? Is this what I'm getting from you? Mm. Or Toadfish? Did you? No, no, no comment. No comment. He definitely liked Lou. He wanted to go to Lou's place. I know what you're all about, Phil. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Canis Wolfborn uh, riding upon his uh, rather wheezy-looking wolf. It, no, give him his proper name. I don't know. What were you? What did you say? It was his proper name. I call him he's Chubby Wolf or Hamster Wolf Hamster Wolf that was it yeah the Hamster Wolf that was it he looked like Earthworm Jim in the popular Mega Drive and SNES game of the 90s where he would ride the hamsters in one of those underwater stages and yell oh Nelly I don't think many people will remember that but there's a reference for the sake of it Um, anyway yeah Canna's Wolfborn not to be confused with Earthworm Jim uh, is movement 10 weapon skill 2 plus ballistic skill 5 plus so he is terrible at shooting. I don't know why he's that bad at shooting. He's like an orc. Maybe the maybe the wolf shoots for him. Maybe that's it. That's it sort of. <gasps> oh. I guarantee almost nobody who plays Canis Wolfborn, the few people out there, will have noticed the Ballistic Skill 5 Plus. Yeah. But it's only a bolt pistol, so I mean what's what's the worry, right? But I mean still I, What's you... the point in even giving him that? Giving him that bolt pistol at that point. 
Well, I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? Because I can't imagine you ever. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna read that stat line, and unless you're someone who's taking a lot of time and paying a lot of time and attention, you're not going to remember that his ballistic skill is five plus. Because why is he bad at shooting bolt pistols? He's still a space marine. I'm going to assume that's a typo. Maybe he's just like notorious in the Space Wolves of just being a bit cack-handed when it comes to shooting guns. Well, it's because he's spending all his time, you know, trying to control his hamster wolf while also, yeah. you know, he's, wielding he's, lightning he's, claws. He's just sat on it, just kicking the ever-living shiznit out of it. He's just there, like, giving it the heel. Like, come on, come on! I mean, again, to use the Earthworm Jim reference, he didn't look like he was in all that much control of the uh, the hamsters, so I can imagine the same is true for this guy. It's just a wild time riding yeah, around by drunk. It's not even it's not even moving fast. He's like that kid. Like I used to take my my sister used to go to pony club, and there's always this kid that had this had this like fat pony that couldn't refuse to go anywhere, so it just stood in the middle of like the paddock. And there's always this tiny little kid with this riding crop with a little hand on the bottom, just like just slapping the life out of this pony, and it's just like, no, I refuse. <laughs> All I can imagine is this like this like this ancient, highly revered space marine with this little riding crop with a hand on it, just slapping the life out of this wheezing hamster wolf. <laughs> just like, come on. Move! <laughs> I haven't got time to get good at shooting. I'm perfecting the art of making this stupid idiot move. Oh, well, there you go. Yet again, Joe, revealing little details of your middle-class upbringing. Um, anyway, he's got a strength of four. His toughness is five. He's got six wounds, six attacks, and a leadership of eight. So he's got less wounds than Harold, just to say. Um, he's got a free plus save. So Canis Wolfborn is equipped with a bolt pistol, crushing teeth and claws, Canis Wolf claws, frag and crack grenades. Uh, and you can only have one Canis Wolfborn. Uh, bolt pistol is range 12, pistol 1, you know what the deal is with that. Crushing teeth and claws, I've spoken about enough by now. And Canis Wolf claws are melee, strength plus 1, so strength 5, minus 2, 2 damage. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, you can reroll the wound rolls. Because he's got lightning claws, yo. That is it, mate. That is it. Uh, two damage lightning claws, though, so no bad thing. Uh, he's got angels of death. Apparently, despite the fact that he's on the big wheezy wolf, he's also got swift hunters, uh, so we can advance and charge. Uh, he's got honor or death, so like cake or death, I suppose. Uh, this model is eligible to perform a heroic intervention if it is within six horizontally and five vertically of any enemy unit instead of three horizontally and five vertically. Each time this model makes a heroic intervention move, so long as it ends the move either closer to the closest enemy model or within within engagement range of an enemy character unit, it can move up to six. All other rules for heroic intervention still apply. Mm, that's, that's quite good heroic intervention stats, really. Maybe he's more like Gimli from Lord of the Rings, you know, when they're running. It's like, oh, we're natural sprinters. It's like, <laughs> over a short distance. Exactly, very dangerous over a short distance, yes. Uh, and then he's also got Born of Wolves, wild-friendly Space Wolves cavalry, Space Wolves beasts, or Space Wolves chariot units are within six of this model. Each time that unit fights, until the fight is resolved, each model in that unit can make one additional attack with it teeth and claws, or crushing teeth and claws, or two additional attacks with its flurry of teeth and claws. 
which I'm assuming is the specific wording for Logan. Weapon. Yes. So you can make two additional attacks with Logan and also one additional attack for Logan himself if he is within range of Canis. That's pretty good. So there you go. Canis is becoming a bit of a bit of a you know a lieutenant to old uh, to old uh, Logan potentially. They're like, oh, Canis is here. We got we got to put a shift in because he ain't <laughs> gonna do it. And then lastly, you've got martial superiority. At the start of the fight phase, if this model is within engagement range of any enemy character units, it can fight first that phase. Oh, he's got he's got a, he's got like a the equivalent of a carrot on a stick. Mate, he is he 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 wants those characters dead. Yeah, they keep poking fun at his beautiful wolf. Yeah. Maybe he just overfeeds it. You know, he just loves it so much. He's constantly giving it nibbles. That's it. That's it. He's just—he's—he's he's entered into a romantic relationship with this wolf. Yeah. Well, he is born of wolves, you see. So well, that's got... it. That's it. Maybe it's his mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? There are no wolves on Fenris. That much is known. Yeah. Um. Anyway, let's. Uh. On that topic, let's talk about Thunderwolf cavalry in the general sense because I think they come before the thing that Phil wanted to talk about. Yes, they do. Thunderwolf Cavalry. So, let's talk about the Thunderwolf Cavalry. Uh, so, you can have a unit of between two and five Thunderwolf Cavalry with one Thunderwolf Cavalry pack leader, so a six-man unit. Uh, they've got movement 10, weapon skill 3, ballistic skill 3, strength 4, toughness 5, 4 wounds, 2 attacks, leadership 8, and a 3 plus save. Uh, they all come with uh, bolt pistol, Astartes, chainswords, crushing teeth, and claws. I won't tell you what those stats are because I'm assuming that our listeners know all the stats for those and I've already talked about crushing teeth and claws. Uh, any number of the models can have their Astartes chainsword replaced with one of the following. One weapon from the melee weapon list or one storm shield. Any number of models can have their bolt pistols replaced with the following. One bolt gun, one plasma pistol, one weapon from the melee weapon list. So you can arm these guys with Thunderhammer Storm Shield, Power Fist Storm Shield, Power Axe Storm Shield, Chainsword Storm Shield, Chainsword Bolt Pistol. They're super flexible, is what I'm basically getting at. Uh, And in terms of abilities, they have Swift Hunters and Angels of Death, so they can advance and charge. But what's important is they are a core unit, so they can re-roll ones to hit and re-roll ones to wound if they're accompanied by a lieutenant or a captain. So there you go. Thunderwolves. They is well good, is the broad consensus. They is, they, yeah, they, they, they had a bit of a disservice throughout 8th edition, but they've they've had that little jump up now, and they, they is, as this, this podcast is sponsored by this word, proper tasty. Proper tasty, like a pot noodle. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say their only downside is their fast attack and not elites. I think if they were elites, um, it might be a little bit more beneficial in terms of army list construction, although you can still take free fast attack in uh, in your army, actually, so I'm not really that worried about it, I guess. It's just, I, I don't know. I don't know why I felt like that was well, a potential. You're kept at free anyway in a match play scenario so but i guess there's more elite slots that you could have other elites in like what are there any other specific fast attack units that space wolves have that might vie for their attention uh sky claws are pretty decent uh and fenris wolves are fast attack as well and i would argue that there's some usefulness to fenris wolves because they're dirt cheap 
bodies for soaking up damage, uh, and they can apply a lot of pet pressure. So I don't know. I mean, again, I don't think you're ever going to be in a situation where you're going to be running more than two Thunderwolf units of, te- uh, of five models because they're 45 points base, and the minute you put a Thunderhammer and a Storm Shield on them, uh, you're, you're, you're running some heavy points. I mean, I would argue that if it were me, I would probably be looking to take uh, free with maybe Storm Shields and Chainswords and then uh, and then two with Thunderhammers or maybe two with Storm Shield Chainswords and, and three with Thunderhammers. It depends on how punchy you want them to be, but I think genuinely, I think you definitely wouldn't want to take every one of them with a Storm Shield and a Thunderhammer because it gets really expensive at that point. Worth it, but very pricey. Because I think... Hang on. So yeah, 45 points base. Storm Shield is 5 points. Thunderhammer is 15 points. So it'd be 65 points per model. Pricey. But justified. Yeah. What's your thoughts on 65 points a model, Joe? That's well good. It is I pretty think. good value. For the amount of wounds, I mean, well, four wounds, two up armor save with the with the storm shield, four up invun. It's pretty decent. Like like you gotta think like like they they are like a lot better at than like things like aggressors. Mm. They're faster, got more attacks, more versatile. If they can fall back and charge they're just constantly putting pressure on. Yeah. Mm. Now they are, they having, are solid. And having access to storm shields means that they've always got a two-up save now. Yeah. Yeah. But with obviously the way wound distribution works, I don't think you need every one of them to have that storm shield. I think you just sort of go, oh, actually. I think, but yeah. Sorry. I think you, you you still give the storm shield. Mm. Um, but you just don't, you only have like. You have three, like you said, three fists or three thunder hammers, and then two, two chainsaws. Yeah, and obviously the reason we're not advocating for a six-man unit is because of the way that it's optimized in uh, ninth edition, so as not to suffer any ill effects from like blast or anything. But also, it's more to do with what you can do with this unit in terms of movement, because as soon as you go beyond five models you need to start abiding by the two models within two-inch consolidation, or sorry, coherency, sorry. Um, whereas with these guys, you can now string them out, and they're quite big models and quite big bases, so you can do some real funny old shenanigans with these guys in a five-man unit. Yeah. And, like, and like if you, like, they're a lot dis- like harder to put, like, when you charge them to combat. And because they are so big, it is really difficult to get two within two and have them in like a decent formation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. But they're spectacular. Um, a little bit of a guest spot, something that I suppose we should have talked about, but not necessarily called out, although I think I said I was going to talk about them. Uh, we should address the Wolfen, because uh, the Wolfen were one of the strongest units in the Space Wolf previous, uh, in the Space Wolf Codex of old. Uh, that is no longer the case. Uh, they have done everything in their power to nerf this unit. I would argue that they've done way too much to nerf it, if I'm honest with you. Um, I'm not going to dive into all the details of this unit, because I imagine loads of people have talked about this to death already, but the general consensus is is that the Wolfen unit, though still being able to fight after they die in combat, 
which is a key ability of the Wolfen. The points that you pay for them, the fact they've not got the core keyword, and the fact they've only got four up armor saves, has hugely negatively impacted this unit. I mean, Phil, Joe, do you want to expand on that in any way, or are you just of the same mind as me as they ain't as good as they used to be? The fact I, I think it's more it's the biggest nerf to them is the is the storm shield change. Mm. Basically, that's what's really crippled them. Because if the Storm Shield was still a three-up invul, mm-hmm. then you could kind of justify taking them. Mm-hmm. But now they've only got a three-up save and a four-up invul. They are just not as survivable. Yeah. No, I agree. I think this is the thing, though, as well. It's just the amount of points you're paying for them. They're like 25 points base before you even start putting anything on them. If you're going to put the Thunderhammer Storm Shield on them, I think it's plus 16 points um, to add that to them. Um, and then at that point, it's just yeah, it's just getting into crazy, crazy points at that point. Because as soon as you're paying, I mean, what is that? 41 points a model for two wounds at Toughness 5 with a, albeit free up armor save, four up invun. I mean, that's just going to get chewed through by most things, right? Yeah, two... Two wounds is a, is is a real wounder for for um, an elite unit like that mm. because there's so many there's so many guns in the game that are damage too. Yeah, um, and they just kind of get carved through. Yeah, I wish they were still cool, but unfortunately they have. Uh, yeah, I think losing the core keyword, having their points increased, and um, and if, and the changes to storm shields have really dampened these guys as a as a viable competitive unit still a gorgeous incredible unit with lots of character and flavor that you can add to your space wolves army but not something that is as competitive as it was two months ago unfortunately but there you go though on the topic of wolfen based things last thing that i want to throw in murder fang if i can just say is well good i think so murder fang is movement eight Weapon skill 2+, plus, ballistic skill 5+, plus. there's the old ballistic skill 5+, plus again. I wonder whether this is a hangover thing where Murderfang 5+, plus, maybe like he, the person doing the graphic design for this copy-pasted the Murderfang data sheet onto, onto Canis and then didn't make the changes. Anyway, uh, strength 6, toughness 7, 8 wounds, 5 attacks, leadership 8, and a 3 plus save. Uh, you can only have one Murderfang, and he's equipped with the Murder Claws. And the murder claws are melee, straight times two, so that's straight 12, minus three, flat three damage. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, you can re-roll the wound rolls. He's got Angel of Death. He's also got Murder Maker. You can re-roll charge rolls made for this model. This model makes three additional attacks instead of one, so he's eight attacks on a charge. Duty Eternal. Each time you attack him with anything, he's minus one to the damage. Um... Force of Untamed Destruction. This model uh, cannot be your Warlord and cannot have a Warlord trait. Bestial Rage. This unit cannot perform any action as described in the Warhammer 40,000 Core Rulebook. And he explodes. But the point is, is when he charges in, he's got 8 Strength 12 attacks at minus 3 flat 3 damage. Holy moly. Pretty tasty. I mean, if you're some kind of Primaris Gravis-themed Space Marine... You do not want him in your business. He will have a fun time smashing you to pieces. 
and he is only 150 points. Not bad. What? For re-rolling so charges, loopy boy. <laughs> Put him in that a Forge World great. Dreadnought drop pod and have a great old time, right? Yeah, he's he's gonna make a mess. <laughs> exactly right. You got those backline uh, heavy intercessors. They're not gonna enjoy him turning up, are they? No, they're they're, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna have a problem. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, let's get to Phil's pick. Sorry for uh, leaving it as long as we did, Phil. So you've got the Stormfang gunship, which is the shooty variant, and then the Stormwolf, which is the uh, transport variant. Uh, in either case, they have a transport capacity, but the uh, Stormwolf has a bigger transport capacity. So the F- Stormfang gunship is movement 20 to 50, has a weapon skill of 6+, plus and a ballistic skill of 3+, plus. Uh, has a strength of 8, and a toughness of 7, so it's stronger than it is tough. It has 14 wounds, 6 attacks, a leadership of 8, and a 3 plus save, uh, and as it degrades... It loses its attacks, uh, its ballistic skill gets worse, and its movement decreases, uh, as you would expect for most vehicles. Interestingly, both these vehicles, the Stormfang and the Stormwolf, have the identical stat lines, uh, as is no surprise, because they are based on the same model. Where they differ is in the weapons. So the Stormfang gunship is equipped with the Hellfrost Destructor, Skyhammer, a Skyhammer missile launcher, and two Stormstrike missile launchers. The Hellforce Destructor, with, uh, with Destructor, which is, I assume, the big gun in the middle of this thing, uh, has two forms of firing mode. You have the Dispersed and the Forced. Uh, sorry, Focused, not Forced. Uh, both of these are range 36. If you're doing it Dispersed, it's heavy 3d3, strength 6, minus 2, 1 damage, blast. If you're doing it Focused, it's range 36, heavy d3, strength 10, minus 4, Flat six damage, and has the blast special rule. Oof. That's a... Flat six. Flat six, yeah. That's insane. And it has the blast special rule. So if for whatever reason you want, you you found someone with a six man unit of six wound things, whatever that could be, Thunderwolves maybe. Shoot that at it. You have a great time. Yeah, Jesus. So there you go. And that's, it's, I guess is what, hitting on freeze, right? Hitting on freeze, yeah. Unless there's a rule in here that says it adds plus one to shooting, but I don't necessarily... Uh, yeah, I don't see anything that suggests that that's the case. Um, so it's got the option to then have las cannons, uh, a melter array, so you can take the melter array, which is uh, range 24, heavy D3, strength 8, minus 4, D6, blast... Each time the attack is made with this weapon, uh, basically it's melter, so it's D6 plus 2 if you're within half range. Uh, then you've got the Skyhammer Missile Launcher, which is range 60, heavy freeze, strength 7, minus 1 D3 damage. Uh, and you add 1 to the hit rolls if you're firing at aircraft units. Uh, Stormstrike Missile Launcher is range 72, heavy 1, strength 8, minus 3, flat 3 damage. And then it's got twin heavy bolters. Uh, in terms of all the special rules, it's got all the special rules that you would associate with a Space Marine Flyer. So Angels of Death explodes, airborne, hover jet, so it can uh, stop being a flyer, although it won't lose the aircraft key, uh, keyword, but it will stop benefiting from hard to hit and all the supersonic stuff 
which is the other rule that it has. Uh, and its transport capacity is six Space Wolf infantry. Each jump pack, Wolfen, or Terminator model counts as two infantry models, uh, and each Centurion takes the space of three infantry. So unless you're randomly running two Centurions, uh, you're not going to be able to get a Centurion squad into one of these. You're going to struggle to get a jump pack squad in there, but I assume that's them accounting for characters. But yeah, transport capacity six. So not yeah. nothing, but not huge. Yeah. Besides like the Primaris stuff, like the um, Repulsor, you're not really taking it for transport capacity. You can sometimes, but it's weird. Transport's in... Well, not the Repulsor, sorry. The, um, oh, the, the Repulsor Executioner. Executioner, yeah. You're mainly taking it for the big gun. A nice bonus to keep something in there. But I guess it's a fly, so it's got a bit more utility. Yeah, I mean it, it. I mean that gun is pretty tasty. Heavy D three, strength ten minus four, flat six damage. Is nothing to stick your nose about. I sort of wish whoever wrote the Forge World Compendium was <laughs> using these sorts of rules. Like, there's very few things, even in terms of like almost like Lord of War vehicles, the um, flat six damage. Like the the Sakaran Venator. Um, is flat three shot strength twelve minus four um, three damage, but if it stays still, it goes to flat six. Uh, yeah, that's the same rule with um, I think it's the Valdor tank hunter. And if you mm. look at the size of that gun, it's probably twice as big as the one on this flyer, or at least I um, don't know. This is a pretty big gun, though, mate. I mean, it runs the entire length of the uh, of the flyer. Well, well, same with the Valdor tank hunter. It's like oh, okay. the um, it's the size of a Malkador tank. Well, I guess what you got to do, Phil, is you have got to buy this model and then put it next to your uh, your, your, your other tank and you know do a bit of a you know the team. Yeah, exactly size them up, mate. See who's bigger. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah, interesting. There's very few things in the game that are just flat six, so it's it's cool. Well, that is pretty good. It's real good, mate. It's it's yeah. it, it's a solid option. I mean, it's pricey, though, right? I mean, so this guy is going to set you back uh, 300 points base. And that's before you've actually accounted for all the other guns that are on it. Yeah, I think, I think the Valdor tank hunter is about 320, 360, or something like that. All yeah, so I think once you've added all the weapons to the, all the other weapon options to this, you're probably going to be talking similar price. Yeah. yeah. And how many wounds has it got? 14. Yeah, I think that's. No, they've got 18, I think. Yeah, and it's only got seven. Toughness seven. I assume the Malkador's coming in at like toughness eight? Yeah, it must be. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. There you go. And then look, if you take it in its transport capacity, uh, the only difference is is it can take a thing called the Twin Hellfrost Cannon. Uh, but it, obviously the major difference is, is it loses the Hellfrost Destructor. I should have probably have said that first. But yeah, so you lose the Hellfrost Destructor, Destructor in favour of transport capacity. But then you also gain access to a weapon called the Twin Hellfrost Cannon. Uh, and that comes in a dispersed and focus mode as well. If you're running it in its dispersed mode, it's range 36, heavy 2d3, strength 6, minus 2, 1 damage, blast. And if you're using it focused, it's range 36, heavy 2, strength 8, minus 4, flat 4 damage. That's so in still a, solid. <laughs> really solid, because it, it actually being flat 2 on average is probably better than being d3. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, the, obviously, the major difference here is, though, is this thing is strength 8 rather than strength 10, but the strength 8 is still enough when shooting at most vehicles. Yeah, like being... Di- the difference between... Like, if it was strength 9, it's a bit meh, really, because against, like, toughness 5 things, it's still wounding them on 3s. Mm. So, it's... Yeah, the difference between between strength eight and strength ten is isn't massive. Really. No, agreed. Yeah. And it really comes into effect, I guess, when you're playing against things like knights or land raiders or other toughness eight things that are out there. But yeah, uh, but it has a transport capacity of sixteen. That's good. Yeah, really good. Assuming that you've got loads of units that you want to bundle into one transport or one massive unit that you want to bundle in. But again, we didn't get around to talking about him and he is the new fabulous primarified uh, version of himself. If you do take Ragnar Black Rain, he's got the uh, Berserk Rage ability. So this model makes three additional attacks instead of one for its Shock Assault ability. Battle lust. While friendly space will call units in six each time that makes a consolidation move, can move additional three. Okay, no, so he doesn't any longer buff blood claws because it used to be back in the day it was always a good idea to take uh, Ragnar Blackmane uh, with a 15 man uh, blood claw unit in a Land Raider Crusader. That used to be something that you saw a lot of people used to do because it was super devastating on the charge. Um, but he doesn't buff blood claws anymore, so not necessarily as valid a tactic as it used to be. Well, I still think if you a big fifteen-man unit of blood claws in one of those planes is still pretty good. Oh, totally. With like a librarian to get out there with them, or sorry, a rune priest. Although now I yeah. think they are just called librarians. But anyway, a rune priest to come out and go, and you're in the assault doctrine. Yeah. I mean, that's no bad thing, is it? Or even just a chaplain or whatever they're called now for re-roll Cha- here. Chaplain wouldn't be as good because if he's in the transport with them, he wouldn't be able to do his litanies. Oh, yeah. So he's going to need to jump back behind, isn't he? He is, yeah. So it's or probably... be on a bike. Or be, be on a bike. Primarily. I hear they're quite good on bikes. Mm. Um, actually, and you raise another interesting point there, and this will be the closing statement of the whole thing. The uh, wolf priests now do not double up as apothecaries. So historically, wolf priests used to encompass both the chaplain ability and the apothecary abilities. Now, for parity or you know similarities to all other chapters, they now have access to apothecaries, and wolf priests are just space wolf chaplains. That's a big, big difference because historically, you used to be able to take wolf priests and they used to fulfill both roles whereas now they can only do the stuff that a chaplain can do oh they're trying to get you to buy another model well it makes sense though right because if you remember when we reviewed the space wolf codex for eighth edition we spent ages looking for the primaris apothecary because it was listed as a unit that you could buy for space wolves but it wasn't in the space wolves codex Mm. they were just so far ahead at the time i know I know that's it. We, you know, we, we, our finger was truly on the pulse that day. Mm. So there you go, guys. That was our thoughts and feelings on the space wolves. Let's have some closing statements. For me, they're not going to replace my desire to play Death Watch. Although I do think they are a better army overall. I think there's a lot more 
interesting kind of flavor to that army. Uh, we didn't even really talk about certain core contingencies that Space Wolf players will have had for years. Their long fangs, their uh, grey hunters, their blood claws. We did actually talk a fair bit about. But the thing about Space Wolves is, and what's really great about Space Wolves is their range and their playstyle is so diverse that they've got options in all things. And because they now access everything in the Space Marine book as well, I actually think you could do some really fun, interesting things with Space Wolves and make really flavoursome, really awesome armies with lots of variety. But obviously, Thunderwolf Cavalry is incredible uh, and is definitely going to see a return uh, very, very soon. And truth be told, all you people out there worrying about five Outriders haven't seen what five Thunderwolf Cavalry are going to do to you. So, uh, yeah, I think you'll be yeah, grateful. I, I, think the, I think the difference is... is though is that like everyone can take outriders yeah whereas at least thunderwolf are locked behind the 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 space wolves mm-hmm. um but thunderwolf are really really cool really really cool I mean, it's not the old days of 7th edition where thunderwolves were accompanying dark angels and white scars in weird death star fun but yeah and there was like an Iron Hands captain in the middle. Oh yeah, you had your Iron Hands chapter master, uh, and then you'd have your Ravenwing command squad, and then you'd add all the uh, tech marines, or sorry, uh, what were they called again? Tech priests on Thunderwolf, uh, Cyberwolf, Thunderwolf, whatever's. It yeah. was the most mental squad you'd ever seen. <laughs> and, uh, Do you remember there was that weird, I think it was like a detachment ability on because it was obviously pre-stratagems, where if you took a Dark Angel and a Space Wolf character, they could, like, pre-game fight each other, take a wound each, but then get a bunch of buffs. Uh, Yeah, so that was a really weird stratagem that no one really understood why it was in there, which was essentially, yeah, you used to... If you were taking a Dark Angel army and a... uh, Well, if your army contained a Dark Angel unit and a Space Wolf unit, for one CP, you could hurt hurt each of them like you do mortal wounds to each of the characters but you would then gain abilities off the back of that and it was like yeah it was really weird i'm just looking to see if that made it through into into this side of things no they very sensibly got rid of it because obviously no one was using it because it was stupid but very flavorsome but not very sensible in game terms (laughs) But Phil, what was your thoughts on the Space Wolves? I mean, they all seem pretty good. There's some bonkers damage six. Big guns floating around, which I'm a bit jealous about. Um, yeah, Thunderwolf Cavalry always look good. So, you know, always good to have them on the tabletop. Oh, totally. Obvi- obviously on a tabletop across from me and not on my table. But, you know, good, good to have. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. A Joe, final thoughts are yours, mate. Space Wolves, what do you reckon? They is well killy. <laughs> they is fast and killy. Yeah, I think um, like the people that own Space Wolves are um, going to put their wolfing on the shelf and then just go and get loads of Thunderwolves. And I think there's people that had Thunderwolves in the past and kind of stuck with them and now kind of being rewarded um, the only downside to this codex is that I fear that it might become very one-dimensional. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and agree. and all we are ever going to see is Thunderwolf Cav, I which, think, isn't a, which isn't a problem. Um, I but, think though, yeah. I think I think people will quickly realise though that more than two units of Thunderwolf Cavalry is going to get super expensive, and it is still very easy to zone them out because they don't have the infantry keyword. So if you play terrain sensibly, Thunderwolves are not going to be that scary. No. But they are very well equipped to do a lot of damage when they get there and they're very survivable. And if you meet them in an open field, they are going to smash through you. But if you use terrain sensibly, you should be able to neutralise a good amount of their threat, but then that's a, a big variable in terms of what kind of terrain you play and what kind of, you know, maps you're on and so on and so forth. But I think they're good. I think they're really good. I just don't necessarily know if you'd want to spam them like crazy. Um, but yeah, I think there's some really good stuff that you can do with them. When Space Wolves get going, they hit like a truck. That's basically what I've taken away from this book. Yeah, I think um, I think under under the control of some good players, these guys are going to just tear through so much. I think I think as well though, just to say, they could be one of the best dreadnought lists out there. Oh yeah, yeah, really good. I I'm, I am a really big fan of the Contempt of Dreadnought now because um, now Forge World has finally released its rules. Um, no Contempt of Dreadnoughts ever degrade. So, that's quite good. Well, it's not just that they've got access to Contempt of Dreadnoughts, Leviathan Dreadnoughts. They've got a Dreadnought character in... Um, uh, what's his name now? Bjorn. Bjorn the Fell-Handed. They've also got the Wolfen Dreadnought. They've got Murderfang. They've got a special variant of Venerable oh. Dreadnought that can take a Storm have you seen, Shield. Have you seen the rules for the Chain Fist on Dreadnoughts now, by the way? No, mate. Please enlighten me. Right. It, it's... um. Is flat three damage, but vers- versus vehicles, it's flat six. Oh, God. Ooh. That is mean. Yeah. So. What are they, five attacks on a charge? Yeah. Oh, so, so a Space Wolf one. Ooh. Yeah, because do they get access to Ironclad Dreadnoughts now? Yeah. Because then they'd be hitting on twos with ironclad dreadnoughts. Yeah. Oh. Wasn't there also a generic space marine stratagem that gives them, or maybe it's the chapter, not chapter master, the the souped up tech priest, tech marine, and it gives dreadnoughts plus one strength, and everyone was saying it doesn't affect any dreadnoughts, with the exception of some of the space wolf ones. Potentially, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you're talking about things like... I mean, if it depends when the, pl- the plus comes after the multiple, though, right? So you multiply, then add the, then the, add the number. Or do you add, yeah. then multiply? I can't remember the order now. You, you multiply, you multiply, then add. So fine. So Murderfang would be strength 13 uh, based on that situation. Which isn't which, going to make any difference. In, which will make a difference, yeah. But in the case of other things, maybe it does make a difference. But because um, I can't well, remember him, what... him, him going to strength thirteen makes him better against um, toughness six stuff because mm. he's now double or more than double. 
Oh, well, actually, maybe it wouldn't make a difference. No, it wouldn't do, would it? No, because 12, 12 is double anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you, you've got to, yeah, you've just got to match it, not beat it. Yeah. Just look, yeah, so you've got the Fenrisian Great Axe, which is strength plus four, so in that instance it would be strength plus five, which would basically mean that you're, um, you would go from strength 10 to strength 11, but again, that's not going to make any difference. Um, what's the and then you've got the Great Wolf Claw again strength plus 4 Hellfrost Cannon that's not going to benefit any of this stuff and then you can take uh, if it's a Space Wolf you can give it the Blizzard Shield uh, and the Blizzard Shield is a 4 plus invulnerable save oh god that's so good imagine that a venerable Dreadnought with a 4 up invulnerable save it is. That is real good. I mean, their Dreadnought lists are terrifying, mate, genuinely. Because they've got more Dreadnoughts than... Well, they've got as many Dreadnoughts as uh, as Blood Angels. Yeah. But the Blood Dre- Angels have got a uh, Librarian Dreadnought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've got the Librarian Dreadnought, the Furiosa Dreadnought, and the Death uh, Company Dreadnought. Whereas these guys have got Murderfang, Bjorn, the Special Venerable Dreadnought, and a Standard Wolfen Dreadnought. So there you go. As many, more or less, because it depends on how you interpret the character variants as additions. But yeah, because obviously you can only take one Bjorn, one Murderfang, but you could take three Librarian Dreadnoughts if you wanted to. But their Dreadnought lists would be bonkers, because that Venerable Dreadnought with a four-up invun is mad good. I hear the... The, the thought process going for your brain right now there, Joe. You're thinking, you're thinking, ooh, time to get the Dreadnoughts out. Yeah, I think, is there a way you could tag team them? Tag team them? Yeah. So like have the Bushwhackers? Bloody, like a Blood Angels Face Wolves list of Dreadnoughts. I mean, you, could, you could totally tag team them, yeah. You'd just lose uh, the Super Doctrines, but you'd keep your regular Doctrines. Yeah. But would you want to lose your Super Doctrine? Nah, probably not. I mean, you might do. It depends what extra stuff the Blood Angels get. Well, Flying Dreadnoughts for a start. Well, yeah, Flying Dreadnoughts. Assuming that's still an ability that applies to vehicles. Because they might stipulate yeah. that it's a infantry-only special rules or, or psychic power. Mm. Hopefully they'll get a Flying dread. They'll get the Forge World Flying Dreadnought. Oh, yeah, that thing is absolutely amazing. That's what they need. All right, guys, cool. Well, anyway, that's us talking about Space Wolves done and dusted. We hope you enjoyed that segment. Bit of a lengthy one for you. Hope you enjoyed it. But all that said and done, we'll move on. Uh, we'll move on now to whatever it is that comes next. Transitional noise. Woo! Welcome back, all the various people that make up our audience. We hope that you have enjoyed the short uh, interlude between now and then. Uh, hopefully you will enjoy this segment of the pod where just myself and Phil now how's it going Phil? Uh, good as always, thank you wonderful, wonderful just myself and Phil are going to talk through another series of uh, units and or events from the pages of Imperial Armour Compendium because there's quite a lot of uh, you know, data sheets in here and it is our intent to kind of go through the sections and offer our opinions on these sections and what they bring to the table. 
Uh, and because we've already talked about Space Marines in the form of Space Wolves in this episode, we felt like, why not just ram this whole episode filled with Space Marine junk, and then, albeit after the Blood Angel stuff comes out, we won't need to talk about Space Marines for a little while, although, obviously, Dark Angels are only around the corner, and so on and so forth. But you know how it goes when it comes to Warhammer 40,000 these days. You have to kind of get used to talking about Space Marines, don't you, Phil? Exactly. This is this episode is very much representative of Games Workshop's release schedule for 2020. It yeah. is rampacked full of Space Marines and not much else. They have uh, they have really put their hand deep in that cookie jar, haven't they? They they are they are just dining on KFC morning, noon, and night. Well, it's like, so how how long has the Space Marine Codex been out for? I want to say a month, right? Or at least three... Yeah, it's got to be a month, right? It's about a month, yeah. It's, it's, it's been a while, and they still haven't finished releasing all the Space Marine units that are in that Codex, which is odd. It's take, Normally, you get like a two-week period, and then it's all done. But even now, they're still releasing new stuff. The, the Gladiator, I think, is up on pre-order at the moment. It'll be out when this episode comes out. And that's still not even it. They've still got the Heavy Intercessors, the Heavy Intercessor Captain. I want to say there's more, but I'm sure there must be. Oh, yeah, the, the, the Blade Guards, the, the single pose Blade Guard. The Eradicators. The, the single pose Eradicators, yeah. There's still all to come. It's like, I think they know that Space Marine players want all this stuff but couldn't afford it all in one month bear in mind so as well like, phil they, gonna... they still haven't gotten around to doing a multi-part kit for the suppressors well are they yeah that's just never gonna happen i don't think you i don't think, think some so. kits well i mean if they if they were going to do it they would have done it by now you would have thought that it might be something they address later on but it feels like a bit of a one-hit wonder with that because normally the multi-pose stuff tends to offer other weapon options mm. like the eradicator at least you've got the multi-melter uh variant um and the heavy yeah. melter rifles yeah the heavy melter right yeah and they with this with the uh, with the suppressors it's like that's the one thing that they were designed for and nothing else yeah yeah i don't know that was, was a bit of an odd one that it's not very consistent with how they normally release stuff well indeed but as if they didn't have enough stuff they've now got a bunch of extra stuff in the form of the Forge World Imperial Armor Compendium. Not that they've necessarily gained stuff versus what they had before. In fact, like many things from Forge World, or many things impacted by uh, the Forge World Imperial Armor Compendium, uh, they've actually lost a few bits and pieces. But we're not here to <clears throat> focus on the lost data sheets. We're just going to talk about the ones that are here and then just kind of broadly go over what we think about these. And I think actually why these are probably the most interesting or the most ta tactically viable data sheets in the entire book is because these are the only data sheets that are accompanied presently by a fully fleshed out ninth edition codex. So it's really easy to understand all the synergies, all the stratagems, all the options that you have ac uh, access to with these guys because you know that you know, the Space Marine book exists. And I think in some respects, as we've said before, I think some of the potential issues that lie within uh, the data sheets for other races, factions, and what have you, is probably exacerbated by the fact that they're all existing in their weird 8th edition codex 
sort of patched to work in ninth conundrum. Would you not agree? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a bit frustrating looking at something going, this seems good, or more often than the case, this doesn't seem good in comparison to codex stuff. Mm. But you're like, but that codex is due a rewrite, so who knows actually if it is good or not. You can't really tell. It's, so it's... you're sort of in a bit of a holding pattern with those stuff to make your final judgment in six months' time. Yeah. Um, I do feel like that is one of the weird aspects of the way that they've decided to roll out the codexes and the way that they've decided to roll out this book specifically because it has created that unique situation where this kind of teases changes that might be coming in the future for other races, but it also then creates a bit of a kind of, you know, emptiness or a bit of confusion around armies that maybe weren't feeling too loved in the first place. So... Um, we went through the Xenos last episode. I think, for the most part, the Xenos players have a lot to be happy about in this book. I think Xenos overall have uh, actually got some pretty viable, pretty useful options. Uh, and, spoilers, Space Marines will not be much different. But a lot has changed with Space Marines. And uh, it's important to emphasise that some of the mainstay units from forge world from the imperial armor books of old are now worse than they used to be objectively speaking but at the same time don't necessarily not feel utterly useless i suppose and i'm obviously talking about the the range of dreadnoughts that you get access to specifically the leviathan and the contempt of dreadnoughts uh which we'll get into in a moment so what happened when we did the xenos one is we started trying to go through every data sheet and it got really cumbersome and Phil very cleverly asserted that we probably need to go back to a highlight format. So that's very much what we're going to do this time. So we're going to try and talk about key things that we're interested in, what we would necessarily call the more iconic units, and then we're just going to have a few kind of personal anecdotes or personal preferences, uh, both myself and Phil and friends of ours within this glorious lookout sir community that we have uh our regular forge world collectors and players and have lots of forge world units in our own uh space marine collections uh richie is a very adamant and very you know uh passionate uh red scorpions fan uh phil uh frequents the minotaurs uh and i myself have a rather nice blood raven army so uh you know it's not uncommon for us to uh to dabble with Forge World Space Marines. Am I right, Phil? Oh, for sure, yeah. They're always, in a way, that kind of goes, you know, gives some credit to Forge World that they do create really interesting chapters that a lot of people are drawn to. And mm. they're, I guess they're not as popular, probably, as the uh, main codex uh, or main supplement um, chapters. But I think the fans are always a bit more passionate. The, the more niche the faction it is, uh, same with Krieg and Astra Militarum, like the super passionate fans, mm. the Red Scorpions and Minotaurs, etc. Uh, fans are super passionate about them. And there's always some appeal to them to be just a bit different from the, the regular traditional Games Workshop plastic folk. Mm. I suppose with that topic then, I mean, first and foremost, we just probably want to just very quickly touch on uh, the specific... Uh, like rules that apply broadly across the entire Space Marine selection. So 
one of the things that is important to note with these guys is uh, that um, they have an, a, spe- a specific ability called Martial Legacy. And Martial Legacy is essentially, if you take a unit that has this Martial Legacy rule, it will cost you one command point to put this unit in your army. This is a replacement to the historic relic rule that used to exist in 8th edition, where you used to have to take one of a unit type to then access that relic. So essentially, if you wanted to take a relic Leviathan Dreadnought, that was a heavy support choice, you needed to take a heavy support choice in addition to the relic in order for you to be allowed to use it. Now they just charge you one CP. What do you think, Phil? Do you think that's better or worse? Uh, way better. Because I always found it quite limiting that you've got to you basically go out of your way to take a unit that you probably you might not want to take. Because when I was building my list, I was like, oh, I love the Contemptors. I like the look. Um, oh, I need to take some Elites if I'm taking the um, the Relic Contemptor. Mm. So I was like, oh, what Elites have I got that I could build easily? And it's like, oh, I'll take some Reavers. And I, I was like sort of instantly regretting going down that route. I, I do like the look of the Reavers, but I was like, I was sort of forcing them in to my army versus actually really wanting to take them. Mm. Uh, obviously, there were plenty of other, other options I, I'm sure I could have done, but that's what I picked. Um, but now the fact that it's just costing me one CP is a, a, a valid tax, I think. It, it replicates the fact that these are super rare and shouldn't be in an army all that much. Um, and game mechanic wise it seems to work quite well mm. um, I, th- I think it maybe penalizes some thematic armies like some people might take lots of relics i know the minotaurs are meant to have tons of contemptors so if you were taking the relic ones it's costing you a lot but then you could just take the regular contemptor as well potentially totally. um, so if you, yeah if you've got loads of the sakarans or something then you're gonna struggle to want to run them all but the whole point is it is a bit of a just just leave it at home sort of note isn't it it's like a little post-it note for, you know that model save it for a bigger game oh, yeah. i think what's are... good i think what's good about it as well though is and, and 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 we'll get into it i suppose when we talk about certain key historical units but the fact that these guys are costing you cp now is quite a, a, a good way of approaching it because this when combined with some of the relative objective reduction in efficiency for certain units will create a dynamic or a dilemma sorry dynamic will create a dilemma for uh, for players because a leviathan now is not as much an auto include as maybe as it might have been before i still think they're really good and we'll get to that when we get to talking about them but i think the fact that it costs one cp and it might not feel as powerful as it did before somewhat in my in 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 my opinion makes them quite interesting for sure and it is nice because it just cleans it up i suppose um the only other thing to really be specific about is yet again uh any named character that you take from this you know uh codex or this compendium sorry uh any named character can only have the inspiring leader wall or trait um so if you take any named character from here they may only be an inspiring leader that is all um what 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 tosh (laughs) (laughs) well that's just how it goes um so the 
Forge World collection has a number of chapters of renown, as they've called it here. Uh, these being the Red Scorpions, the Minotaurs, the Blood Ravens, Astral Claws, and the Kakaradons, or Space Sharks, uh, to you and me. Uh, these are all, you know, iconic, historic, uh, you know, Space Marine chapters that Forge World has done for many years. Uh, they have decided not to give them specific chapter tactics, which is, in my opinion, incredibly interesting. But I guess, Phil, seeing as uh, you were obviously quite anxious about this with your, uh, you know, ever-increasing Minotaurs collection, uh, are you relieved by this situation? Or would you have actually, deep down inside, like the weird kind of, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way of phrasing this. Basically, I'm implying that you want to be punished by Games Workshop. Yeah, would would I like a nice thematic (laughs) handicap? A bit like playing Krieg now. Exactly. Because I have to admit, Phil... When obviously we were going through all the horrible stuff that was going on with the Krieg stuff, I did laugh going, Phil not only does Krieg, he does Minotaurs. And if the Minotaurs get chapter tactics that are rubbish, I'm going to laugh so much (laughs) at the double whammy. That that did cross my mind at the time, and I was having a bit of a panic, and I was a bit worried and being like, I should have just done my own custom chapter. But, you know, you got lured in. By a nice bronze armor, and mm. uh, um, yeah. Ultimately, I'm actually really relieved uh, with their decision. I mean, I think a lot of people found it a bit odd because they're like, "Here's some here's some rules that we suggest you use, but we're not going to force you to use it." And I personally, I, I I find that a relief because it means I can actually just pick and choose. It's like I was playing Minotaurs my own way with White Scar successors. Lots of people play them as Imperial Fist successors, as they sort of suggest here. Um, but and then other people will just take them um, sort of with the custom chapter rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, because all of these players are doing it in different ways, ultimately you're just maintaining that status quo. But for new players, you are giving them a, here's a suggested way of doing it. This is what we think might work. So I quite like it that it's done this way. I'm sure other people might find it a bit odd. If they had gone out of their way to create actual custom chapter tactics, um, then that could have been really interesting. Um, But again, chances are it would be a real handicap and you would maybe you would get a chapter and you'd have to be stuck with, for example, imperial fists as a a successor so with a naf sort of successor trait so in a way it's i I kind of prefer it this way no i totally agree i think i think in a lot of ways what this does is uh it gives you five really you know characterful really well-established um chapters within the law of warhammer 40,000 that now you can use in a competitive sense without any concerns about what those rules implications are going to be for you and how that's going to shape up in the future. And I think, you know, certainly for the more competitively minded players, being able to paint your army an iconic, cool Space Marine chapter that does have some history and some, you know, some some flavour to it, but also not then having to worry about being forced to play it a specific type of way is a really valuable attribute. Now, obviously, I'm not just suggesting that there aren't other benefits there. I think, you know, obviously, there's lots of really good reasons to want to create and and, and play a thematic Red Scorpions army, and that's totally, absolutely supported here. 
you can obviously follow their designer notes and do what they're suggesting. But equally, if you want that army to do well, you can take it as Iron Hands or Ultramarines, although they're suggesting you take it as Ultramarines. But, you know, you can take it as Raven Guard, whatever you want to do, which is um, which is super cool. And what's actually really interesting as about that as well is it creates some really interesting dynamics when you start to look at named characters because all of a sudden you are then able to include some named characters in your armies while still being able to use these generic chapter tactics uh, and then also then being able to add some other kind of creative flavour to what you're doing, um, which I really like. I like I like I like this kind of approach where you're given a bit more flexibility. I have to, I have to admit. Space Marines have always upset me a little bit because they're one of the few, if not the only, Warhammer 40,000 army that has its that has this baked-in expectation around colour coordination. Every other army, no one cares. But as soon as you rock up with blue Space Marines that aren't Ultramarines, people get really confused. Yeah. Uh, I think the one benefit with the way they've done it at the moment is that there's room to improve like they could at some point down the line it, i don't think they will but they, they could do their own supplements and flesh out all of these chapters again mm. with fixed in rules um but if they were to do that i would expect it to be more like a supplement where you've got a ton of rules you've got the relics you've got all the warlord traits so you really give them a theme and if you were to do that, and I've like then got one fixed sort of play style, it's like I don't mind that because you put the effort in. Mm. If they had just given us one thing that we're then stuck with, that'd be really frustrating. Um, so I like the fact that they've kind of just eased us into it by going, here's a suggestion, you don't have to follow it if you don't want to. Yeah. No, I totally agree. So, on the topic of the units and the data sheets themselves, uh, we're now going to go through the HQ section. Uh, Phil, I reckon you choose two and I choose two amongst the HQs. How's that work sound to you? Oh, uh, yeah, that's perfectly fine. Um, <laughs> I Well, I, I'm going to skip around a bit. Uh, the first one, I, I'm going to stick with my Minotaur boys mm. uh, and go with uh, Asterion Moloch. Oh, uh, yeah. The so, uh, supposed custodies that has toughness four here. Uh, yes. Well, I, I think it's been, and as I've alluded to before, uh, it's been confirmed he's not. Ah, okay. With <laughs> um, people in the know have sort of said, well, I mean, we should we should do a little thing on it at some point. I've still got all the info that I, I saved from uh, uh, the guy that the guy that knew old Alan. Mm. Um, yeah. So so he's not. He's just a big boy. He's just a very very tough, very big. Big guy. Well, he's um, like um, Arjak, right? Like Arjak from uh, the Space Wolves. He's just a really big Space Wolf, but then when they put him in Terminator armor, he has like special Terminator armor that came from some old, like, champion guy who was like humongous as well. It was like something like the armor of the bear or something mental like that because Arjak is big even by like Space Marine standards. Mm. Um, so I guess obviously the same is true for. Moloch, he's just a big space marine. Yeah. More of a little flavour text. Uh, says oh, he's a, a bloody-handed and paranoid master of the uh, Mind Horse chapter. Well, we have to His be... Name is a... 
we have to be careful with the flavour text because they do have some uh, hilarious errors in there, but apparently not for, for Moloch, at least. Oh, no, not for him. Oh, they have some weird bits. I'll, I'll get to it when, when we read it. Uh, yeah, his name is a byword for slaughter and destruction carried out in the Emperor's name. Uh, Moloch leads his warriors by brutal example with his scars and cybernetic augmentations. N- never heard of that before. Uh, testifying to the hundreds of battlefields on which he has prevailed, which kind of goes against uh, his whole thing of he quite often presumably dies only to return so the fact that they're now saying he just has lots of cybernetic augmentations i think is a bit confusing maybe he's uh, a necron maybe he is he's in because the thing with the minotaurs uh, at least according to so the regent shadow is they never take their helmets off mm. um which is good because that's how i deliberately modeled all of mine so i thought that was a nice little coincidence um <laughs> but let accident. me get on let me get on with his stats um so movement five because he's in terminator armor mm-hmm. um i'm just trying to remember the pattern type um it's not cataphractory but it's the other one it's not uh no he's not in tartarus 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 yeah you sure yeah yeah it's it's, it's a fa- fancy version of tartarus well if he was in tartarus he should be movement six well not that clearly, tartarus clearly. exists anymore they does it because now it's all just uh well, exactly. he... it's been genericified into... yeah Relic uh, Terminator Relic, Relic Terminator Arm, which I guess is all Movement 5 now. So, I guess yes. it must be, yeah. Um, so, as to be expected uh, from a chapter master, he's uh, weapon skill 2+, plus, ballistic skill 2+, plus, uh, strength 4, toughness 4, 7 wounds, uh, 5 attacks, leadership 9, and a 2+, plus save. He's armed with the Black Spear, uh, a Relic Shield, and you can only have one of them in your army, as to be expected. Uh, so his black spear is his only weapon. It's a ranged weapon and a melee weapon. When you shoot it, uh, it's range 12, assault 1, strength 8, minus 3 AP, 3 damage. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Um, and in combat, uh, it's plus 2 strength, minus 3 AP, and 3 damage. It's very good. Seems pretty solid. It's like a sort of thunderish hammer. Sort of. Well, not quite as strong as a Thunder Hammer. It's only strength six as opposed to, uh, as, yeah, it's it's it's, yeah, it's, it's stronger no when you throw it than when you uh, than when you wield it in combat, which is very odd, I suppose. But I suppose it does make sense. Yes, yeah. I think back in the day, back in like seventh edition, it was like a one one once per game sort of lightning shot that it could do. Uh, okay. <laughs> Whereas now he can just chuck it about. Yeah, well, it's like Captain America, that kind of like lightning blast. I don't think he's actually throwing it. Well, it just weird. says black. The black spear ranged. Well, yes. So but I assume he's now throwing it around, to, mate. I know, but then he's got to go collect it from every dead person. He, I mean, he's he got like a personal teleport homer in it or something. Or maybe, or a little um, little chain, and he winds it back on a fish chain. Or he, uh, he lobs it and there's a servitor stuck to the other end of it and then when it obviously lands, he's then got to drag it back for him or something. Yes. Um, he's also got a relic shield, uh, which I think is like most uh, relic shields. Uh, add one to the armor save roll for the bearer. In addition, uh, each time you'd lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound on a four plus, that's not lost. So pretty good. That's, yeah, pretty yeah. solid. Yeah, he's got angels of death, uh, teleport strike, iron halo, rites of battle, chapter master... Then he's also got Fury of the Minotaurs, uh, which is his own special rule. So while a friendly Minotaur's court or Minotaur's character unit within six inches of this model, you may re-roll the charge rolls made for that unit, which is, I think, pretty much the exact same rule he used to have in the Index. Mm. So not too bad. 
Yeah, I mean, he sounds great. Do you know how many points he is off the top of your head? It's difficult to get to the points section. Let me have a little flick. Yeah, you have a flick round while I, I make some general statements. So, yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately, a four-up Invan and a one-up armor save is, is, is pretty solid. Um, obviously, ones always fail, but, uh, you know, a one-up armor save is no bad thing. Black Spear seems totally cool. I mean, as a ranged attack, it's all right. As a melee attack, it's it's also all right. I mean, I suppose when he charges in, he's got his six attacks at strength six minus three, three damage. So, yeah, I mean, again, he's he's all shades of uh, of he's all shades of reasonable. How many how many points yeah. is he going to cut? One hundred and seventy. One hundred seventy. Actually, it's all right for one hundred and seventy. I would say the fact yeah. that he's got feel no pain four plus is pretty mad. Oh, it's, yeah. oh, well, I think the downside wings. is that obviously in the index you would be comboing it with a specific warlord trait. And it's like the, the man that's known for being an absolute beast in combat just has plus one to his leadership. You're like, yeah. oh, great. That's very thematic. Games Workshop, thank you. Thing, thing is with that, though, right, is that, again, I guess it becomes one of those situations where you can't take him as your warlord as a result now obviously that means that it's not very thematic but then the warlord and its functionality in the game has somewhat become lessened by ninth edition anyway um so i wouldn't yeah. necessarily worry too much about him not being your warlord but no, it would be I, nice I, if I he could be say it's good when you want to like power up your characters in a thematic way mm. i don't think you should be able to pick the warlord traits for these guys because then you will potentially get some broken combos but i do think forge world should have or games workshop should have pre-picks them based on the book yeah then, I get you. that only really works for space marines because their books out all the other codexes might change their warlord traits around so it doesn't really work so i sort of get why but it's just a bit messy and a bit rubbish well um, you know for all we know games workshop didn't know uh, or rather, the, the, you know, because of all the COVID stuff, who knew when? Who knows when this was supposed Written to come out and be released? Yeah, yeah. But you know, look, I mean, for 170 points, I'd say he's all right. I wouldn't. When you consider a normal Terminator captain, or rather, a Terminator chapter master, is 140 points. I think because it's 40 points for the. Chapter Master upgrade, if I'm not mistaken, and then the Terminator Captain's 100 points, and then the the if you give him a Power Sword and a Storm Bolter, that's essentially free on a Terminator Captain, and then you can turn one of those uh uh you know items into a relic, so you could give him the Burning Blade. I don't know. I don't know if this guy is 30 points better than a um. Than a than a, a standard Terminator Chapter Master. I think a standard Terminator Chapter Master has one less wound potentially, so maybe that's a difference maker. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, no, no. I think they have the same amount of wounds. So yeah, I don't know. He's he's, he's an interesting one. I don't dislike him by any stretch of the imagination. I think yeah. the model's cool. I think he's I, cool. I'm, I'm imagining most of this book for the most part is that's cool it's not particularly powerful but it's not particularly rubbish either it's yes. kind of towing that really average line yes um which is sort of 
I mean, in a way, that's sort of what you want. But at the same time, you do want stuff to be a bit more interesting from time yes. to time. Not necessarily must take, must include. Yeah. Um, but at least a viable. That's what you want. Yeah, totally. Uh, so my first HQ pick uh, will be the Blood Ravens, Gabriel Angelos. Oh, uh, because... you know what? I'm, I'm glad you said that. Because I was, I was like, I want to pick him just so we can do a compare and contrast well, between exactly. two masters. I mean, they are next to each other in the book, and exactly. I own a Gabriel Angelos. You own a Moloch. It seemed like the way to go. It's it's a matchup made in heaven. Well, exactly. Well, here's the thing, right? It won't surprise you to hear from the outset they have the exact same stat line because they are both chapter masters in terminator armor um so movement five weapon skill political two plus strength and toughness four seven wounds five attacks leadership nine and a two plus save uh gabriel angelos is equipped with god splitter your army may only include one gabriel angelos and the god splitter is a melee only weapon so he doesn't have a ranged attack whatsoever unless of course you include orbital bombardment uh which is you know not necessarily something you'd include. Um, but it comes in two flavours, though. So you may use your uh, God Splitter two ways. You can use it Mighty Strikes. So that's range melee, obviously. Uh, strength times two, minus three, flat free damage. Each time an attack is made with this profile, subtract one from the attack's hit rolls. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, an unmodified wound roll of six inflicts one mortal wound on the target in addition to any normal damage. So you're going to be hitting on freeze, but you are potentially doing mortal wounds as well. Not bad. Is is the base profile a traditional thunder hammer cuz it's still flat free damage, isn't it? Yeah, and it's and it and it's minus free, which is one better than a thunder hammer now. I think thunder hammer's oh, now are yes, just minus it two. Went... Yes, yeah, that's it. I knew it changed somehow, but I couldn't remember exactly how. Yeah. So it's it's higher AP and it does mortal wounds, which is pretty good. So he's strength, he's strength eight, which is, you know, nothing to stick your nose up at, at that one. However, in addition to that, you can also do sweeping blows. So if you're performing sweeping blows, uh, your strength plus two, so strength six, so same as uh, as uh, as old Moloch there. However, this is only minus one, one damage, but you make three additional attacks if you're using this weapon this way. So you become eight attacks, nine if you are in the first battle round. Or not first battle round, the first uh, combat phase, as it were. Pretty so, tasty. Pretty tasty, yeah, no, not bad. Um, so in terms of his abilities, he's an angel of death, he's got teleport strike, he's got an iron halo, rides a battle, and is a chapter master. So again, exactly the same as Moloch. His ability is called Leap Into the Fray. Uh, many of our, uh, you know, gaming fans that listen along to the show will know that there was a famous moment where uh, the good people of Relic unveiled Gabriel Angelos doing a front flip into into the fight, uh, and I assume that's what this is referencing. Um, so leap into the fray after this model finishes a charge move. Select one enemy unit within engagement range and roll d6 on a four plus. That unit suffers d3 mortal wounds. Not bad. Not he can. Bad. I like that he sort of themes to do lots of mortal wounds. Yes. Yeah, he's got lots of more wounds kicking around. He is very, very punchy, which is obviously very good. I'm going to say it. 
I don't think he's as good as he used to be. Uh, not by a massive margin, but I, I do really feel like uh, Gabriel Angelos is, is, is not quite what he used to be. However, he is 20 points less than Moloch. Yeah, I was going to say, he's, yeah, so he's 150 points. Yeah. So technically, Moloch's better, according to the points. Yes. Um, which agree. one do you think is actually better, though? It's tough to say. I think the funny thing is, is in a in a matchup against one another, they're weirdly good at countering each other, right? Because Moloch is gonna nullify his mortal wounds, and uh, he's and, and uh, or could nullify some of his mortal wounds, and uh, you know Gabriel Angelos is gonna have to take some punishment with those ranged attacks on the way in as well, because um, he doesn't have access to anything range based. Uh, the fact that neither of these guys can utilize any warlord traits, it gets really interesting. And also, I think I think what it really is going to come down to is is what your what your um, uh, chapter tactic is. Bizarrely, if you're talking about singles competition between two characters, I'd probably go Black Templars with uh, Gabriel Angelos, just so as I could reroll my charges because it seems super important that this guy gets a charge off. Well, that's true. Yeah, I, I think Asterian Moloch is. I, I can see why he's more expensive, just because I think his uh, fewer of the minor tools abilities are really good, like army yes. booth, and you want them to get into combat. So the fact they can all reroll their charges that's pretty huge. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the thing. G- Gabriel Angelos doesn't have any army booths, as I think you just said. Um, he just has. He just has a. Uh, he just has uh, his own individual prowess, uh, which is. Which is fair enough. I mean, again, I mean, obviously he does have army buffs in the form of all the usual captain stuff. I mean, he's all right, is all you can really say about Gabriel Angelos. He's all right. Phil, what's your second pick from the HQs? Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to do a couple of honourable mentions that we're just going to literally mention. So there's um, there's Huron, uh, which, which uh, our buddy Richard uh, pointed out that there's two versions of him. There's a because um, this version is the loyalist version. That's correct. So yes, he is the Badab War version, yes. as opposed to Huron Blackheart, who's the Chaos version. Um, and they don't really mention that. You know, you wouldn't really be taking him with a bunch of Primaris because time-wise, that is incorrect. Um, so but you've you got honourable honourable mention to him, unless you do timey wimey stuff, I guess. Okay, well. <laughs> came in the warp and then came back again. I don't know. There's uh, Severin Loth, who, according to the flavor text, is the uh, chief librarian of the Minotaurs. Yeah, uh, though he's actually from the Red Scorpions. Um, uh, Damocles Commander, I know, uh, also seems interesting, but I'm not going to pick that one. Okay. He said, I'm sticking with my boy Richard, and we're going to talk about Carob Cullen the Risen. Carob Cullen the Risen, mate. Well, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, I will say from the outset, I've played against Carob Cullen the Risen a couple of times or well, more than a couple of times already since these rules have come along. Uh, and he is, he's still a solid choice. It's fair to say, I think he's not necessarily as good as he used to be, but then Leviathans in general aren't as good as they used to be. But of all of the Leviathans out there, he really excels uh, in, in the current edition. But I guess Phil, you may as well tell us his stat line and then we can talk about why. Exactly. Uh, so I'll give you his top profile because obviously it does degrade. Um, so his movement's eight, uh, weapon skill uh, two plus, ballistic skill two plus, uh, strength and toughness of seven, uh, wounds are fourteen, 
attacks five, uh, leadership eight, uh, and a two plus save. Uh, when he goes down to between four and seven wounds, his movement goes down to six. His weapon skill and ballistic skill go to uh, free up. Uh, and then when he's on his one to three wounds, his movement goes down to four inches, and his weapon skill and ballistic skill go to a four up. Uh, he's equipped with a heavy bolter, two heavy flamers, three hunter killer missiles, um, the Tarsus Scorpi, uh, Scorpi, Scorpi, um, something like that. Yes. Yes, a special. Uh, I guess it's a special gauntlet. Um, he's also got a twin assault cannon, uh, and you can obviously only have one uh, of him in your army. Um, so all of the weapons, with the exception of the uh, Tarsus Scorpi, um, aren't listed because, rather confusingly, they just expect you to go to the specimen codex, and they do say that at the very front. Uh, but I think a lot of people overlook this and were looking at profiles going, oh, so-and-so's lost his uh, power fist or what have you. Um, but no, they're just not on here, which is really inconvenient uh, <laughs> when you're trying to play this model or any of these models and you've got to refer to a different book for a particular weapons profile. But they've done it, I guess, to future-proof it if, uh, or if you're FAQing it, you're only doing it in one place rather than two. So I sort of get it, but it's just not very good. Um but his Tarsus Scorpi is a melee weapon. It's strength times 2, minus 3 AP, and flat 4 damage. And there's no abilities with it either. Um, so in terms of his abilities, though, he's got quite a lot. He's got uh, Angels of Death, uh, Atomic, uh, uh, sorry, Atom Antic uh, Shielding. He's got Duty Eternal, uh, which all Contemptors uh, have, uh, which is interesting. Because do the regular Leviathans have that? Yes, they do, yes. All right, okay. Um, he's also got uh, rights of battle as per the captain's data sheet. And he's got two, well, two special um, rules. One of them he explodes on a six up and does uh, D three mortal wounds. The other one is death hold. Um, this model does not suffer the penalty to hit rolls when he makes attack with his heavy bolter that targets units within engagement range. <clears throat> so, because before he has a uh, heavy bolter that he used to be able to shoot in close combat, and I, you could, I think what you could do before is you could unload your clip. You basically fire all your bullets into um, one person and you do mortal wounds to them. Um, but in exchange, you can't then use that uh, gun ever again in the game. That was um, how it used to work. Yeah, now it's just you shoot with no penalty. Yeah, so it's sort of lost its kind of fun flavour. At the same time, though, it's, it's lost its fun flavour, but it's become a much more easy to understand thing because, again... Anything that kind of then prevents you from using it later on is subject to weird instances where people will forget. And yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 yeah, it's pretty straightforward now. Yeah, um, the fact that you can just shoot heavy bolt and you don't get the minus one. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Now I think the thing that's really buffed him, and a thing that I don't know whether this was an oversight by GW when they put it in there because it wasn't something he had before, is the fact that he now has rights of battle. So before. He used to have a Phil No Pain 6 plus aura for all Red Scorpions. Now he has the reroll 1 aura for uh, all core units uh, that are obviously Red, Scorp uh, Red Scorpions around him. Uh, which is a big buff, especially when you consider that Leviathans are known for coming on pretty, pretty big bases. Um, so yeah, he, he is actually now in a, in a pretty, pretty good place. The only thing to be aware of is is that his toughness has taken a hit like all Leviathans. They used to be toughness 8, now they're toughness 7. And his Invun has taken a serious hit because, again, used to be 4-up uh, Invun, now only 5-up Invun. However, he ignores 1 damage natively 
which in a way is probably more irritating uh, than anything else. But yeah, Carol Cullen, The Risen, is in my opinion one of the, if not the best, Space Marine HQ choices in the game. I think he is utterly, utterly spectacular. Um, and I'm surprised more people don't use him in competitive play because I actually think he is now one of the best HQ choices you can take for Space Marines. Strong, bold words. Well, I think because he's now got the utility, because he's now got the re-rolls, re-rolls to hit uh, ability, I think he's just really kind of upped his game a bit. And I think the points decrease that he's had as well as a result of... um, as a result of the the changing in stats and stuff, has really given him a, a boost as well. I mean, admittedly, he's still pricey, but nowhere near what he used to be. He's two hundred and sixty five points, whereas before he was like three hundred and sixty, three hundred and eighty. Yeah, that gives him a lot more utility just by being cheaper. But the well, fact that he's lost a toughness is like I I understand it because yeah. toughness eight on a dreadnought is ridiculous, and the but, fact that you've actually got. Your, your minus one damage now is arguably better. Yeah. Well, the thing as well you got to think about with this guy is that he's the only ballistic skill 2-plus Leviathan out there. Um, so you can also give him free hunter-killer missiles, and that's free hunter-killer missiles hitting on twos. So as an opening sort of flurry uh, with him walking along, the fact that he can shoot free hunter-killer missiles... Twin assault cannons, one heavy bolter, two heavy flamers. He he can really start to get some stuff done early doors. He is he is a scary boy. Yeah, and obviously all dreadnoughts have got the buff now of you know they can move and shoot yep. just because of how ninth edition works. So that makes them so much better. Yeah, no, he's amazing. He he honestly is amazing. The fact that almost every other character in this book has, based on what we've already talked about had relative points increases and has had some relative changes made to them to make them less remarkable, Cullen is the exception. He's way cheaper and he's not that much worse than he used to be. I mean, he is worse, but not by a huge margin. Whereas I would argue that Gabriel Angelos is quite a bit worse than he used to be and and I think actually he's about the same points as he used to be, but he's not quite as good as he used to be. And also... Gabriel Angelos and and and, um, and uh, Moloch uh, relied a lot, lot lot more on warlord traits and things, whereas Cullen, you just don't care. You don't give Cullen a warlord trait. You just have him, and then you take, you know, a lieutenant or something that you can give a warlord trait to. You don't need Cullen rocking a warlord trait. So yeah, no, he's he's amazing, absolutely amazing. And who's uh, your next pick? Going well, my last pick was actually, and and it's a bit of a left field one, but I was going to talk about Tiberius the Red Wake. No. And the reason I wanted to talk about them is because the Carcharodons are one of the, or the space sharks are one of those interesting chapters that not very many people kind of get around to talking about. He really intrigued me when I was reading through the rules because he's the only chapter master that's different from the other chapter masters in so much as he has a different profile. So he is uh, basically exactly the same, except for the fact that he has one less wound and one more attack. No. 
Yes. So he's movement five, weapon skill two, ballistic skill two, strength four, toughness four, six wounds, six attacks, leadership nine and two plus save. Yeah. The model doesn't actually have an iron halo, but they got around that by saying it's got ancient armor, so he has a four plus invulnerable save. His aura, <laughs> right, ab- yes. <laughs> yeah. His aura ability, in addition to uh, rights of battle and being a chapter master. Uh, is uh, the Savagery Beyond Reason. Uh, While friendly Kakaradon core or Kakaradon characters, and it's important that this impacts characters as well as core units, because that is an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Uh, units within six of this model. Each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, add one to the strength characteristics of that attack. So again, he himself, as far as I'm aware, is benefiting from that. Because he is a character within range of him. Yes. No, I think you're right. Yeah. So, so his weapon is uh, Hunger and Slake, is what it's called. Um, and it is a melee weapon. It is essentially a pair of lightning claws, but the strength plus two, minus four, two damage. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, you can re-roll the wound roll. So him <laughs> charging in is seven attacks at strength seven. Minus four, flat two damage. And the fact you get to re-roll those wound rolls is... So even if you're up against something toughness eight, mm. you, let's say you're wounding on fives, but then you're getting to re-roll it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives him a lot of utility. And then against stuff that is... Uh, that he's maybe... So against a, a marine, he's wounding on threes. Mm-hmm. But again, re-rolling. Two damage, minus four. You're going to murder a lot of Primaris Marines. Oh, yeah. Well, marines in general, yeah. Him getting stuck into Space Marines is, is a messy deal. Um, yeah. Especially if you maybe get, like, the, um, you know, the, the, the mighty heroes or whatever it is uh, um, uh, thing off on him to give him the plus one strength and the plus one attack. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, again, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, you know, he... He's an interesting one. I was expecting his weapons to be a bit better, although they are still good, because when you look at the model, it's like he's got a chain fist with a lightning claw slapped onto it. So it looks like chain fists plus lightning claws. But in this, they've kind of gone... The overriding sentiment is that these are lightning claws, so we're going to stick with that. But they do give you plus two strength, whereas I believe regular lightning claws only give you plus one strength. So there's there's the point difference. And they're two damage... Which I believe is one more damage than a regular lightning claw as well. Nice, and he's 160 points. He is, so he is cheaper than uh, good old Moloch, but more expensive than Angelos. That's very good. Uh, my buddy Chris, he's uh, collecting Caradrons, um, so he'd be quite happy. I think so. I think he's an interesting miniature. I mean, again, he's he's, he's one of those ones that's been around for a weird amount of time now. Um, you know, it's rare that you see him. Oh in reality but again i think he's interesting i mean I, i'm not going to suggest that i think he's incredible but i think he's fun i think you'd have a good time running him oh, for sure he'd add some interesting flavor to uh, to the list all right well there we go let's talk about some elite choices now uh so i reckon phil looking at the sheer volume of elite choices i.e three uh oh no sorry four uh, we probably don't need to do two of each. I think we just need to talk about the Contemptor Treadnought and 
the Leviathan Dreadnought, which... Well, by... well st- steady on. Because what we're missing is the Minotaur's own Hecton Akios. Yeah, well, you know, you don't want to just... You, you want to talk about Minotaurs every segment, do you? <laughs> well, he, he, I mean, I've already skipped over one of their HQ choices. Oh, there was right, all right. A, there was a Minotaur's chaplain that I, you know... Didn't, how do you, how do you want to approach this, though? Should we talk about a regular Contemptor first, then talk about Hecton? Yeah, because then you can see the uh, comparison between the team. All right, all right, then. So, why don't you, then, Phil, kick us off by talking about reg- relica, relic... Uh, Words. Relic Contemptor Dreadnought. Uh, yes. So, Relic Contemptor Dreadnought. Uh, movement, 8 inches. Mm-hmm. Uh, weapon skill and ballistic skill, 3 plus. Strength and toughness of 7. Uh, 9 wounds, uh, 4 attacks. Leadership, 8. And a 3 plus save. So, one um, less wound than they used to have. Ooh. But, um, they don't degrade now. <clears throat> yes. So, no degradation. Ooh. Um, and it's equipped with two heavy plasma cannons, whether you like it or not. That's um, it. That's all you get. You can... That's all you get. That's what you stuck with. Um, no, so this obviously kind of combines the mortis uh, pattern uh, dreadnoughts that they used to have, um, but they don't do them anymore. They've kind of gone the way of legends. Um, but you can just take a dual um, gun loadout with the contemptors, the relic contemptors anyway. So you, you, that's what you have to use now. Um, I'll read through the war gear options first before we go through the weapon profiles. Mm-hmm. Um, each of these models' heavy plasma cannons can be replaced with one of the following. One conversion beamer, one carrier's pattern assault cannon, one multi-melter, one twin auto cannon, one twin heavy bolter, one twin las cannon, one twin volkite culverin, which I believe is new, um, and one dreadnought chain fist and one storm bolter. Um, or uh, one Dreadnought combat weapon and uh, one Stormbolter. Mm-hmm. And then each of the model's Stormbolters can be replaced with one of the following. One Graviton Blaster, one Heavy Flamer, one Contemptor Plasma Blaster. I was convinced that they used to have access to a multi uh, sorry, not multi-melter, a regular melter gun, um, but apparently I just made that up in my head. I'm not um, sure if you they, did or you didn't, mate. I'm trying to remember now. I've bought a few contemptors uh, in my time, but I can never I, remember. I, I double-checked and you can't, but I'm pretty sure I have the, the model for it, like the piece, in my, out of all my contemptors. So I don't know quite where I got that from if they don't sell it. Unless well, it's it one, of those, from... one of those Chinese models again, is it? Well, no, not at all. No, all the stuff from Ford World. Um, yeah. But I thought I bought all the arms. But I believe uh, when I bought some, I was giving, gifted some bits. So I think it might be, it might be from the Dreadnought specific Horus Heresy one that can fly. I think maybe there's a melter gun on that one, but because that's what yeah. you don't get it. But the guy gave me the bit for it, so. Maybe that's where I'm, I mean, or I'm just imagining the whole thing in my head. I don't well, potentially, know. potentially. I mean, of all of the things you could be imagining, this is what you chose. I mean, yeah, a, a melter <laughs> gun in the... It sort of seems to make sense. It's got everything else. Why, well, exactly, why not? exactly. Uh, you, you're, you're easily pleased, mate. That's what well, exactly. I'll take that, yeah. yeah. Um, it's uh, also it can be equipped with one cyclone missile launcher as well. Um, abilities, I'll go through that first. Angels of Death... Um, Duty Eternal, so uh, minus one damage. Uh, Atomantic uh, Shielding, uh, Martial Legacy, so it will cost you a CP. Uh, and then it explodes on the six plus, just doing one mortal wound. Um, I don't think I need to read the stats for all of these, do I? I think nah, you know, most right. of these things are. The, I'll, I'll go through the Twin Volkite Culverin because that's new and maybe a bit interesting. Um, so it's uh, range 45 inches, heavy eight. 
Strength 6, no AP and 2 damage. Uh, Each time an attack is made with this weapon, an unmodified wound roll of 6 inflicts one mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, man. I think what's interesting about the Relic Contempt of Dreadnought is the fact that the Relic Contempt of Dreadnought now is a one-stop shop for all flavours of Contemptor. So no longer is there a Mortis Contemptor, which was like the heavy weapon variant. Now it's all under the same, uh, you know, the same selection. Yeah, uh, which, which is, is good. If, if you had three of each, you're a bit stuck. But I mm. think that's quite rare that people would have that many. Yeah. Mm. One I thing mean, I would... I've got two that I magnetised to runners either. Mm. Um, so I'm still fine because I can run them as any variant. Mm. Um yeah. I suppose uh, the, the thing that's interesting now though is uh, certainly with the way the weapons loadout works and what you've got access to the conversation becomes a bit interesting as regard in regards to whether or not you would take one of these or whether you would take a regular Space Marine Contemptor because yeah. there is no real difference between this and the regular Space Marine Contemptor now Yeah because it weapons. used to have an ability that it shrugged off uh, wounds on a six plus, yeah, six plus, and it doesn't have that anymore. Um, it used to have Blizzard's gun weapon skill of two plus, right? Um, Correct. But it's lost that, but it doesn't degrade, so that's which is the same medium. as the regular Space Marine one. Yeah, and as, as we said before, it's like it's cooled. It's not too good, but it costs you not... a CP to take this guy as well. Yeah, that's where you sort of go. Is it really worth having the dual weapon option? Because that's basically what you're paying for. The mm. option to have two guns over a gun and a fist. Mm-hmm. Um, annoyingly, I really like the chain fists because they're flat four damage. So the fact that you can take a chain fist is cool, but again, you're paying a premium then to go from a regular sort of dreadnought power fist to a chain fist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are 140 points uh, base uh, plus the weapon cost on top. Yeah, which I believe is in the same ballpark as the regular contemptors. Yeah, probably quite. Yeah, pro- probably similar for yeah. sure. I'll just you know grab the app momentarily and uh, check the points. Hang on, but a moment. I mean, I think yeah. I think ultimately, I think there always is going to be room in people's armies for contemptor dreadnoughts because contemptor dreadnoughts are some of the most beautiful miniatures that. Uh, that Games Workshop produce, uh, or rather Forge World specifically produce. Um, so I think you're always going to find an excuse to want to take a Contemptor. It's just whether or not you're going to want desperately to use those specific type of weapons. Because if I'm honest, the multi-melter option that comes on the standard Contemptor now is one of those ones where... It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's really solid, right? So, okay, so a Contemptor Dreadnought comes in at 150 50 points but I'm assuming that is pre-equipped with weapon options yeah so the weapon yeah, options don't cost good. any extra points so it's just 150 points with... yeah so I mean you might have a niche where you're like I want to take double carries uh, assault cannons just because I want to mow stuff down because I want double dacker or I want double multi-melter for mm-hmm. like a super anti-tank guy I personally I always like the look of um, like a fist and a gun, so mm. maybe regular contemptors are the way to go. The old, the old faithful that people used to take these uh, four of twin, double twin las cannons, which are still pretty brutal. It's like 
four shots hitting on threes. Thank God they're not hitting on twos anymore um, because they were just devastating. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think people still might pay the one CP for that loadout just because they'd be pretty good. It's still core, so you can still get it to have re-rolls to hit, for example. Mm. So, you know, still sitting on your back lines, getting a, a re-roll one, and you're hitting on freeze isn't too shabby. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's just not as broken as it was before. And it was broken before because it was just so good. Yeah, I agree. It, with in that, that, almost in that specific loadout, because that's pretty much all people took. Yeah, uh, with it. Now, there were some interesting builds and some interesting options that you could do with them for sure. In terms of Hecton, so he doesn't cost you a CP from the outset. I mean, do we no. want to just quickly so, run through him? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so he's movement eight, uh, weapon skill, and ballistic skill of two plus. <gasps> We've got the two back. Um, he's uh, strength and toughness of seven, wounds nine, which is that the same? That is the same, yes. Yes, that is the same. Uh, five attacks, though, so that's plus one attack. Uh, leadership nine, and a three plus save. He's armed with a plasma cannon, because that's key what they all go for to start off with. Mm-hmm. Um, Stormbolter, a dreadnought combat weapon, and you can only have one of them. Um, Angels of Death special rule, duty eternal. He has a four plus invulnerable save. Mm-hmm. Um, and the normal Which is one, one is better than a regular contemptor. Yeah. yeah. But were the relics fours or were they fives before? Uh, I think they were always fives. No, maybe. Yeah, but. Um, but he's a four because he's got that ugly on... shield on his shoulder. Maybe that's what it is. It is ugly. That's one reason why I hate the, the model. <laughs> um, he's a battle sworn warrior, so this model cannot be selected as your warlord. Um, which was cool because it kind of stopped you cheating to give him a warlord trait, but then you can actually use the stratagem to still give him a warlord trait. Um, so I, I believe you could no, you could do that, but because he's a named character, he's still stuck with the plus one leadership, so you wouldn't really want to do that. Correct. Um, again, it sort of irons out the jank of being able to do it, but I quite it was sort of fun that you could like thematically give him some extra abilities. Mm-hmm. Um he does have one uh, one other ability though, um which is Stampeding Fury. Each time this model makes a charge move, you may select one enemy unit within engagement range of it, roll a dice, adding one if that unit is a vehicle. On a three to five, that unit suffers one mortal wound. On a six plus, that unit suffers D three mortal wounds. Um, and obviously he can explode like a normal contemptor as well. Indeed. Do you want to know something really weird about old Hecton? If you're not already know it. Is he's listed as an elite in the book, but in the points he's listed as an HQ. Uh, Yes. So historically he was always an HQ. And this is a bit of a boo-boo that appears later in the book with um, Death Riders and Death Rider Command Squadrons, where mm. they list them differently from the data sheet to how they do it in the points. Um, my suspicion is that technically he's an HQ, because that's what he used to be previously, but yeah. that doesn't mean that is the case, because they might have changed their minds, because there are already some... HQ slots. Yes. Uh, the fact that they say he can't be your warlord is 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 an old rule and it's a bit of a hangover. Mm. And it's a bit like it's a, it's a bit of a redundant rule now because one, the warlord trait is rubbish, so you wouldn't really want to. I mean, he doesn't need to be an HQ, but is he an HQ? 
yeah, I don't know. It, it's sort of self-thematic that they've kept that in, but it's a bit odd because I don't think anyone would really take him as your warlord anyway. No, unless but... you were trying to do some kind of um, is it, uh, duty eternal or something as your secondaries. Yeah, yeah. But being able to take him as an elite is probably better overall because you can obviously get free HQ choices free, and then it up. Yeah. Into, your, uh, into your army, but then... Yeah, I kind of feel like, based on where the points appear, that he's intended to be an HQ unit. But... Yes, I suspect that's the case. Um, and obviously, but Games Workshop have done such an absolutely awful job of uh, proofreading this book and or responding to, uh, you know, the fan base with FAQs and updates well, on it. The, the, the two-week uh, FAQ thing sort of gone out the window due to COVID, yes. uh, which is understandable, although they obviously still do work from home, I guess. Um, so maybe it's just a bit harder to collect. Yeah, it's Christmas people. now, isn't it? They're winding down. They're like, you know, you know, the marketing team over there are giving up for uh, for the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, they, they've they've done, they've done the Space Marine Codex uh, FAQ, haven't they? So it's not like they're not doing. Yeah, it. but that's important, mate. <laughs> don't, well, don't compare yes, this to the Space I, Marine I, Codex. I sort of feel like they. I, you know, I'm going to criticise them again, and I've said it before. So I feel like they deliberately made this book to be okay, but nothing's game breaking to the point where they don't really need to care about. Like, obviously they they're balancing it, but they're balancing it by making it all bad or just a bit generic. So there shouldn't really be an FAQ for anything because nothing's going to be broken, and no one really cares about it. Because yeah, maybe you'll take them, maybe you'll play with some stuff. Um, maybe I'm being a bit too cynical about it. No, I don't think you are, mate. I think they've gone very middle of the road. I think in 8th edition, they increased the points to make it unplayable. And in this version, they've kind of gone, eh, let's not make it well, too good. Yeah, they've just rolled it all. They've deliberately rolled back the power. And it's almost like the Leviathan and the Contemptor, the Relic Contemptor, ruined Forge World for everyone. Yes. It's like, my guard army wasn't broken for being Forge World. But because Space Marines were, it's like <laughs> they've just gone, nah, we, you can't, have, oh, you want a special rule that's really fun and thematic. No, can't have that. Can't yeah, have yeah, too yeah. Good, too good. Can't what have do that. you think you are? Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Don't you bring that no- noise around here. Um, on that topic, I suppose, then, seeing as you mentioned it, we may as well move on and uh, talk about the Leviathan. Yeah, go for it. All right, and so the Leviathan, interestingly, it's worth highlighting, is now an elite choice. I, I appreciate we've kind of made that somewhat clear but yeah an elite choice now for leviathans which is uh an interesting change of pace used to be heavy support no longer now an elite uh which i don't know if that's a negative or a positive uh it's difficult to know these days with like list construction whether being an elite is a negative or a positive i feel like the elite i I think it's a benefit because you get i think on a regular battalion you get access to six Six, yeah uh, Elites, uh, whereas uh, heavy uh, support is, is it three or four? Yeah, just the three. So, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting, is, is as much as we can say. So, look, I mean, Leviathans used to be known as the boogeymen of, uh, of, of, of the competitive 40k scene, and a lot of that was down to their insane durability. Uh, and a lot of that has been altered now. So their movement is eight. Uh, their weapon skill ballistic skill is 3+, plus, which is one worse than it used to be. There used to be weapon skill ballistic skill 2+. Plus. Uh, strength and toughness 7, which again is one worse than it used to be. There used to be strength and toughness 8. Uh, 14 wounds, which is the same as what it used to be. 4 attacks, which again is the same as what it used to be. Leadership 8, whatever that means. 
uh, and a 2 plus armor save, which is obviously still very strong. As it degrades, its movement, weapon skill, and ballistic skill decrease. So its slowest movement profile is 4, and its lowest weapon skill, ballistic skill, is 5 plus. So there you go. In terms of a Leviathan Dreadnought itself, uh, apparently they come equipped with two heavy flamers and two Grav Flux Bombards. Uh, although I don't, I don't necessarily see too many people running on with that. Uh, probably the most traditional combination that you will see on the Leviathan Dreadnought is uh, the Storm Cannon and uh, the Leviathan Siege Claw. That's usually the most common combination that uh, that everyone takes. Now, Storm Cannons have had a little bit of a buff, but they've also had a little bit of a debuff, uh, in so much as uh, they used to be range 24, they're now range 36. Uh, so they have uh, had 50% put on top of their range, which is uh, pretty nice. So uh, it is now... Uh, you know, a far more, you know, threatening gun with a much longer uh, range. However, it used to be heavy 10. It is now only heavy 8, which I think trading off with the range, I'm going to say, isn't a massive negative. What do you reckon, Phil? Um, I mean, range is sort of less important now on the smaller boards. Mm. Um Going down by two shots isn't too bad. Um, I, I always thought the most common loadout was double storm cannons. <laughs> I mean, there's some truth to that statement as well. It has to be said. Uh, I think the uh, the double storm cannon definitely got its uh, its 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 time in the sun as well. But I think certainly within this current edition, I think you're going to see much more uh, siege claw and much more uh, storm cannon in combination than double storm cannon because i think you need to have something to, to to punch your way out of problems nowadays because you can just shoot your way out of it um but the thing is before you were sort of penalized for moving so you would just backline it when you would just mm. uh, get your, 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 your no negative to shooting but now you can move around now and you're super tough well you've always been super tough but there's there's more of an incentive to go for one of each. Yes. Like a close combat weapon and a shooting weapon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's definitely the way to go. So the other thing that's really interesting now is that historically the 40k Leviathan could only come equipped with heavy flamers, two heavy flamers, whereas now you can actually swap out the heavy flamers uh, for the Volkite Calvaries. Ooh, which yeah. is a big change for them as well. So the Volkites, as Phil has already said, uh, are exactly as they were before. Range 30, Heavy 4, Strength 5, AP 0, 2 damage, but each time you roll a 6 to wound, you do 1 mortal wound. That's not bad on a Heavy 4, but oh, that's no. going to be Heavy 8. So that's 8 shots. Oh yeah, it's incredibly good. I think... Now more than ever, you're going to see people rocking the Storm Cannon and the Volkites because you don't really need the extra Storm Cannon at this point. Um, and you get the Melter Gun on the uh, on the Siege Claw, and the whole thing just becomes Ooh. a really versatile, really good unit. 
for what you're paying for it for sure. And I think this is the important things to sort of emphasize. So it has a five up invulnerable save now rather than four up invulnerable save. It's toughness uh, seven rather than toughness eight. So it is a lot less durable than it was. However, it's still got 14 wounds and it still is natively making your uh, damage characteristic reduced by one. So if you shoot this thing with a damage free weapon, only two damage of that is ever going to get through, which is, you know, a really, really significant ability that well, has compensation. It didn't have that before, though, right? It, it had it from a stratagem. Correct, yes. But now it's baked into the Dreadnought itself. is really good. Yeah, hugely good. And that's the thing with this Dreadnought is, in my opinion, I think Games Workshop have potentially still kind of got a Leviathan problem because, again, the Leviathan Dreadnought is only 220 points base. And then it costs you an extra 10 points to put a Storm Cannon on it. Five points for any hunter-killer missiles. And then they've also got the Cyclonic Melter Lance, which I didn't even get around to talking about. The Cyclonic Melter Lance is range 18, heavy D6, strength 9, minus 4, D6 damage. It's got the Blast special rule. And it also has each time an attack is made with this weapon targeting a unit that is within half range. So in this instance, 9 inches. uh, You do D6 plus 2 damage. Um... So, yeah, I mean, this is the thing with this guy. He has got so many great options, but he is really cheap. Like, one of these is only going to cost you 230 points and a CP. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, that is that is a third cheaper than what it used to be. I think Leviathans were coming in at, like, 380 before. Yeah. So now you're talking 230. So that is a 150 point discount. And yes, it's not got a five up invun. Uh, sorry, it's not got a four up invun save anymore. And yes, it's not toughness eight. And yes, it's not ballistic till two. But it's still pretty good for 230 points. Yeah. And sure. a CP. Can't forget that CP. Because CP's are worth about, I don't know, I usually, it used to be in, in, in 8th edition, I would say a CP is worth about 25 to 40 points, depending on the army. In ninth edition, I'd say a CP is worth about 15 to 20 points, uh, 15 to 30 points, depending on the army. Because they're just so much more numerous in, in the way the game plays. Can, can I just have a bit of a gripe about the Leviathan Siege Drill versus... The Hades breaching drill. Bloody Hades breaching drill is absolutely massive. It's it's pretty big. Very uh, big. Whereas yes. the siege drill is sort of a lot smaller and just on an arm of a leviathan. Mm-hmm. Uh, leviathan is times two strength, mm-hmm. and its base strength is seven. Uh, it's minus four AP and does two D three damage. Yes. Uh, and then if you're attacking a vehicle, it goes to flat damage of six. It's incredible, yes. And obviously you've got four attacks base, but because you're spacing me, you get plus one. I'm not too fussed about that. Yep. Um, we're just doing base stats. The melter cutter drill. So this is not only is it a drill, it's got a multi-melter built into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's times two strength. Uh, also, oh no, I was going to say also, uh, same strength. It's not a strength six. Okay. 
Uh, so it's quite good. AP minus four, so that's the same. Yeah. And it's flat three damage. Uh-huh. Flat three va- damage versus two D three damage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got the same uh, ability. You can attack uh, a building and it automatically hits. Ooh, um, that's quite cool. But then also, if it's uh, if you're up against a vehicle, it goes to damage six, which mm-hmm. is really good. But I'm like considering the size of the Hades breaching drill. It's like that is its one ability. And it, I don't think it's as good. But the Leviathan, the Leviathan Hades, or rather, the Leviathan Siege Drill looks awfully similar to a Hades Drill. But I'm sure it's a lot smaller. Well, probably because of the scale of the miniature, but that doesn't necessarily represent what it's like. My God, I guess. And then also, yeah. the other thing you could argue is, is that your uh, Hades Drill is propelling itself along on tracks, albeit very strong tracks, I'm sure. But upon the point of impact with a vehicle, I'm going to assume that it might, you know, have a little bit of a sort of, you know, mass v mass problem. You know, if all of a sudden this drill hits, what's actually helping it push through as it were? The melter, the melter cover. Yes, the, me- the, the melter softens <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the arrival. But I would say... I mean, the old the old statement always is is that mass moves mass. It's why all the world's strongest men are humongous human beings because you need to be a humongous human being to move a huge amount of weight. And, uh, and the Leviathan is the world's strongest man in a bit of armor. Exactly, exactly, and that's what's happening here. This is Jeff Capes in his uh, in his suit of armor. Appreciate for some of the audience they might not get the Jeff Cape reference. Uh, let's go with Eddie Hall. He was the world's strongest man uh, recently. Eddie Hall smashing into you with a uh, you know a siege drill versus I don't know someone putting a big siege drill on a remote car and running it into your leg. Oh, I was going to say wheelbarrow. Oh, wheelbarrow. Yeah, big with your with your system behind it. Probably valid points, but I'm a bit surprised that they just make them similar. Um, well, they are pretty similar, Phil. The only difference is is that this thing potentially only does two damage, whereas you always do three. Well, you potentially well, you do two to six. Why damage. are you saying me? I'm not. I'm not this Leviathan. Don't, you, don't. you, 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 you big boy in your armor. Uh, yes, uh, it can do between two on a bad roll. Yeah. Um, and six on three a good on one. an average roll or six on a good roll, whereas the Hades drill just does consistently uh, does three. So that's no, I mean, fair uh, to me. Okay. Oh, but then also it, yours, um, yours, not you, obviously. <laughs> you, big boy Dan has the Leviathan. Seven. Yeah, big boy Dan has strength seven. Wheelbarrow Phil has strength six. So that's the difference. True. So this thing will wound anything that isn't tough as eight on a two, or tough as eight or higher. Whereas Will Barrowville is only uh, wounding things that are tough as six on a two, whereas is wounding everything else on a three. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, the end of the day, if these things fly into an Imperial Knight, or which is a tough as eight model, first one that came into my head, they're going to get similar results. Yeah, no, that's true. Oh, I'm just being pedantic. No, 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 no. Look, it's important to address these points because I understand your frustrations with the with the Hades drill, mate. I'm just saying that, yeah. At the end of the day, if Big Fat Dan smashes a pie in your face and then keeps pushing it forwards with his massive weight, 
that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna mean something i guess but anyway yeah. who knows i'm like, at the end of the day i'm not surprised um i mean that that siege drill on the leviathan is is not a very often featured um piece of war gear but it's very strong yeah, I mean, we can compare it later, and I'm sure we will, because I, I believe it's the real winner of the book, which is the um, Admech Drill Transport, mm. um, which name eludes me right now. But we will... Oh, here it is, the Terax Pattern Termite. Um, um, oh, yeah, sure, let, let's just do it now. Let's just read out the profile. Just you're, so gonna, you're, you're going into Mechanicus territory. No, this is Astra Militarum. Sorry, not Astra Militarum. This is still Space Marine. Is this it? is the Space Marine Termites. Oh, okay. All right. Go um, on then. But it is very admech. Um, uh, so the Termite Drill, uh, strength times two, base strength seven. So Ooh. pretty on a par. Um, AP minus four, uh, same. Damage D3 plus three. <sighs> So hand, and you know, to be fair, this is massive. It's like the size of a house. So you know, this should be the best drill of the three. Exactly. Um, and each time an attack um, made with this weapon is allocated to a vehicle that attacks damage characteristic is D three plus six. Blimey! I mean, they completely toned it down from what it was before, which was like this weird, a bit like the headshot rule, where you can do multiple oh, mortal yeah, wounds can- and you. Just keep going, um, which I believe it... Yeah, I don't think it's got that anymore. Um, It used to be like uh, a character from an obscure anime movie from the mid-noughties called Dead Leaves, uh, where he had a drill upon his person. He would keep drilling um, until it was done. Yeah, I won't tell you where the drill is, but you can use your imagination. Yeah, so so I'm done with drills now. Good, all right, fine. And I reckon we're done with the Leviathan. The point is... They're actually not too bad at 230 points. So, there yeah, you go. Good. Think about adding one. Uh, fast attacks. There's only three fast attack choices. I reckon the only one you and I actually want to talk about is the Death Storm drop pod. So, let's just talk yes. about that. Yes. <laughs> so, good guess. Yeah. So, the Death Storm drop pod uh, doesn't have a movement profile, doesn't have a weapon skill, but it is ballistic skill 4 plus, it is strength and toughness 6. It does have 8 wounds, a leadership of 8, and a 3 plus save. Uh, it comes with these Death Storm cannon array. Which is range eighteen, heavy six, strength six, minus one, one damage, or the Death Storm uh, missile array, which is range eighteen, heavy two, strength eight, minus two, d six damage. This model is uh, equipped with, uh, sorry, this model is equipped with a Death Storm cannon array by standard, but it can change it into a Death Storm missile array, should you want to. What do you reckon, Phil? Cannon array or missile array? Well, here's a fun fact. You can only buy the missile array. Ah. The, uh, the, the cannon array doesn't exist anymore. It got discontinued over a year ago. Okay. But there's still rules for it. The madness. No, I know. It's the controversy. Out. I can't believe well, that happened. It's, well, in fact, I, I even emailed Forgewell to clarify because I was like, oh, I just recently bought my book, Being All Innocent and Coy. And I was like, oh, I saw the Death Storm drop pod and I'd really like to buy one because I noticed that there's no option for the um, cannon array anymore. What gives? And the polite guy on the other end of the email said, yeah, it's all a bit weird. We don't get it either. Um, <laughs> and, the, and he pointed out that there's um, inconsistencies across the book, um, that there are... Like, technically, it should have... The missile... Sorry, not the missile. The cannon version should have moved to Legends because there is no model for it. Um, but weirdly, because it's Space Marines, maybe, or for whatever reason, they've still given it rules. 
Um, possibly it's still got rules because the missile version still has a model. Um, but yeah, it's a bit odd. It is very um, strange. I, I suppose I, I it, like... came in, it came down to one of those weird situations where people already own this model for whatever reason. There's enough of it that's the same. It's just a one weapon profile. But I mean, again, Maybe. I don't know. I, 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 you know, you know how it goes, mate. The real truth is, is exactly what you said. It's Space Marines, so it gets treated special. Um, it's got drop pod assault, so this model must start in the uh, start in reserves. Uh, but it is not counted toward any limits uh, for that mission you are playing when it comes to placing the maximum amount of number of units in reserves. Uh, this model can be set up in reinforcement step of your first, second, or third movement phase, uh, regardless of any mission rules. So this thing can come down turn one. Uh, defensive array in your shooting phase. Each time this model is selected to shoot, it's Death Storm Cannon Array or... Death Storm Missile Array, you can target and resolve attacks every eligible enemy unit each time this model fires Overwatch. It only resolves attacks with its weapons against the charging unit, but when doing so, the type of its Death Storm Cannon Array is changed to Heavy 12, and the type of the Death Storm Missile, missile Array is changed to Heavy 4. It can also explode. So, this is... A load of guns that comes in within 18, or rather, sorry, can come in within 9 inches of the enemy and can shoot at every eligible target. Within 18 inches. Within 18 inches, yeah. I mean, that's... What I like about it is when it gets charged, it kind of focuses all its guns into that one unit, so the profile changes. But what they sort of haven't covered is when it's locked in combat, so... I guess it could shoot against multiple targets um, if it's locked in combat by several. But if you're locked in combat by just one unit, you're only doing your, say, if it's the missile, you're doing heavy two as opposed to heavy four, which is when you get um, charged. The the implication would be with the way the combat and shooting into combat rules for vehicles is is the way it would work is, is that you would declare your targets, which would be all eligible targets, you would resolve the first shot against the unit in engagement range. If that unit dies and is no longer in engagement range, you then resolve the attacks against everything else. However, if he doesn't die, you can't shoot at everything else. Uh, You're unlikely to kill a squad, uh, even even with your heavy six cannon. Um, I like it. It's cool. It's thematic. I don't think it's necessarily very good. I think it's still always got a a bit of a downside. It's 100... 30 points with a missile array or 120 points with the cannon array. Yeah. Hitting on fours, though. Um... Still pretty good. I mean, you just bring it down. It's one of those weird things where it becomes a weird area denial unit or it becomes a massive nuisance unit. 120 points just to go, there's a thing in your way. And and the thing is as well with this, this is something that you could place really irritatingly on a vital objective at the start of the game. Yeah. If you get to go first, it also works for things like engage on all fronts, right? So you can just plop them down. If you've got two of them, plop them down in your opponent's table quarters. It's yeah. like, cool, I can start scoring this straight away. Yeah. You don't really, it's, it's one of those really annoying units where you don't necessarily want to deal with it because you almost want to ignore it. But yeah, totally. you also can't not ignore it at the same time. Well, the thing is, right, is you could position this dependent upon certain 
game scenarios, you could position this guy really optimally within range of multiple objectives. And then it becomes really annoying because obviously people want to have stuff on those objectives, but they've also then got to deal with that. But then there's already an understanding that it's a bit of a throwaway unit. However, it's a throwaway unit that you've got to do eight wounds to with a free up save and toughness six. So you're not going to be able to kill it with little chaffings. You've got to put real anti-tank shots in it to get rid of it, which is something that, you know, you might not really have all that much success doing. And then through positioning, you can be a real pain with it because you can put it in places where it's near objectives, but also in the way. And the other thing that is really weird with this is when you start abusing the weird ambiguities around uh, the way the doors, the, the doors work. Because you can have yeah. a door within three of an objective, but then the doors become essentially uninteractable because essentially you create this massive roadblock that has like a one-inch bubble around its its circumference, which is increased massively by the size of these doors. So yeah, I, like... I, I sort of feel like they need to always say, yeah, the doors are, are there, but you just ignore them for the purposes of the game. Other models can go through them, they can go over them, they don't block anything. And therefore, the footprint of the drop pod's quite small. Yeah. Because um, I, I think, I, I, honestly, I think... They still allow you to have them open and closed, right? Like, you can pick. I so honestly can... think they could. They should have just put a base in the drop pod kit and just started now, going. Yeah, I've, I've seen people modelled where they, like, angled the drop pod slightly and the doors are, like, sort of open or they've, like, you know, exploded off and they it just looks so much better. Like, yeah, I just, I just think... Put a base on it, and then just say always measure from the base. And yeah, that know? that solves a lot actually. It, it, that is why they haven't done that yet. I do not know because then it becomes one of those things where it's like, well, what do I do about the legs? Where it's like, well, just move around them. You're measuring from the base. You know, so easy yeah. to do. But anyway, there you go. All right, now we're getting into the heavy support section, of which there is lots. I'm conscious of how long we've kind of gone at this point and how many things there are in here. So I don't necessarily want to suggest that we shouldn't do two of each, but at the same time, I'm worried about how long that might take. So let's see how we get on with our first picks and we'll take it from there. Do you have any specific heavy support choice that you wanted to talk about? Not really. Possibly. Let's see. Because I'll be honest. The Lord of War choices are more interesting to me than the heavy support choices. The only yeah. the only heavy support choice I'm massively interested in talking about is the range of Sakarans. Which uh, by I the way said the Vindicare laser, laser destroyer. Alright, fine. Well let's let's let, let's do Sakaran and uh, Laser Destroyer. Because there now is loads of types of Sakaran. So you've got the Sakaran Battle Tank, the Sakaran Arcus, the Sakaran Venator, and the Sakaran Punisher. And the Sakaran Omega. Uh, and essentially they are pretty much all, unless I'm going completely crazy, the exact same stat line all the way across, but where the differences lie is in their loadouts. So essentially you now have five different types of Sakaran listings, but the only difference between each of them is the weapon. Yeah, that's sort of how they tend to love to do things. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, if you're Space Marines. Well, exactly. So in the case of the Sakaran Battle Tank, it's movement 14, so it's quick. 
It's got a weapon skill of six, a ballistic skill of three plus, a strength of six, a toughness of seven. It's got 14 wounds, three attacks, a leadership of eight, and a two plus armor save, which Ooh. is pretty substantial. Uh, it comes with uh, the Hecrilus pattern auto cannons, which are range 48, heavy six, strength seven, minus two, flat three damage. It is important to remember that although it looks like it has two auto cannons on it, the profile that you see here is for everything. So it essentially is both those auto cannons combined are heavy six. This thing isn't shooting 12 times, just so people are aware. Um, it can be equipped with two heavy bars, two last cannons. This model can be equipped with one hunter killer, killer missile, and it can have one storm bolter. Uh, it's also Marshall Legacy, so it costs you a CP, and it can explode. But at the end of the day, these are all really interesting tank variants. I'll be honest, I really love the Sakaran tanks historically, but I think a lot of the flavour and a lot of the stuff that made them really cool in the old Forge World Index has been massively downsized now. Because it used to be that these Sakaran battle tanks could ignore all minus modifiers to hit. That no longer is the case. It also used to be that the uh, auto cannons uh, on the battle tank were assault, so you could advance and fire uh, with these guys as well. Uh, but all of that has is, 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 is changed massively now. Um, so although I still think the auto cannons are strong, I don't really feel like that's the, the build that most people are going to be sort of eyeing up. I think a lot of people, if they're looking at this, are probably going to be looking at uh, either the Punisher or the Omega just because of the types of weapon uh, that, that that they have there. Or potentially the Neutron Laser is also quite interesting. Because uh, that's range 48, heavy 3, strength 12, minus 3, d6 damage. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, it's allocated to a model. If the bearer is, uh, remains stationary in your previous movement phase, that attack has a damage characteristic of 6. So there you go. Um, so yeah, so you can have... A heavy free strength 12 minus free flat six damage gun with the venator uh, and it's a neutron laser which is quite interesting um, and then the punisher is the punisher rotary cannon which is range 36 heavy 18 strength six minus one one damage which again as phil will attest from his punisher tank although yours is 40 shots still these days right uh, currently, yeah, so it's heavy 20, shooting twice, assuming shooting twice is still a thing. Um, strength 5, no AP, so this is potentially better just because of the AP. Even yeah, the AP does give better shots. And I think but this also is... your ballistic skills better unless you're on a tank commander. And then also it's strength 6, whereas the Punisher for the uh, Lehman Ross is strength 5, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it's, right. It's pretty reasonable. But there you go, the Sakarans. I like the Sakarans historically. I'm not sure they're worth it anymore. Um, were they always? Were they one data sheet before, and they've split them out now, or were they always separate? Oh, they were weird because the problem is, is they because because the Sakaran tank comes from the Heresy range. They've been adding loads of Sakaran tanks to Heresy over the last, like you know, three years. So they've kept adding new flavors. So it's always been yeah. like weird PDFs on the websites and all that kind of stuff. Because I suspect it's they they because weirdly it's like the only difference is the main weapon option. It's not like the uh, side guns are any different. And it's mm -hmm. like the points costs are all sort of ballpark similar. Like yeah, one six five, one seven five, one seventy, one five five. It's like you could have made this one data sheet with 
pick a main gun. Yeah. But I guess I presume partly is because they're definitely different kits on the website, so they want you to know that the battle tank is this one, the Venator is this one, and you can advertise them as such on the website. Yeah. But it, 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 yeah, they've got this weird logic of sometimes they condense kits down, like you know the Relic Terminator is the Tartarus and the Cataphracti, and that's one data sheet. But then things like land speeders and this, they break them out into individual data sheets. Yeah. But if you took three spearhead detachments, you could take 15 of these. Wow, but each one's costing you a CP because of a martial legacy. Oh yeah, so it'd be impossible. You could, so there's no way There's no way it could be done. Yeah, unless you took Gilliman, because he can give you some extra Yeah, but CP every spearhead's stuff. costing you free CP. Oh, right, yeah. Okay. And also, you wouldn't be able to take free spearheads with but, Gilliman. But I, I think I think the main gripe is that there are people with that would have maybe three of these, and yeah. then all of a sudden it's costing you a lot of CP. But then it sort of thematically makes sense because there are they are meant to be super rare. Well, indeed. On the topic of something that isn't super rare, though, do you want to talk about the Vindicator Laser Destroyer, which oddly doesn't cost you any CP to take? Uh, yeah, because it's not a relic. Right? It is not it's, it's, a relic. It is not martial very... legacy. No, because it's it's not meant to be a Horus Heresy era thing. It's just a sort of a, a rare pattern in terms of it's it's resin, not plastic, mm. um, for whatever reason. Um, so the Vindicator Laser Destroyer, um, obviously it degrades. So there's three different profiles. The top one is uh, movement ten, weapon skill six plus, ballistic skill three plus, uh, strength six, toughness eight. 11 wounds, 3 attacks, leadership 8, and a 3 plus save. Uh, when it degrades um, from its 11 wounds down to 3 to 5, the movement becomes uh, 5 inches, ballistic skill becomes 4, and the attacks become D3. When it's down to 1 to 2 wounds, uh, movement is 3 plus, sorry, 3 inches. Uh, weapon skill, not weapon skill, ballistic skill uh, <laughs> is 5 plus. Uh, my eyes are going mad. And the attacks become 1. Okay. Um, it's equipped with a laser volley cannon and a storm bolter. The laser volley cannon, when before you select your target, you must select one of the two profiles. You can have volley fire or overcharge fire. Uh, volley fire is 36 inch range, heavy free, uh, which is actually the same for both. Uh, strength 9, minus 3 AP, and damage is D3 plus 3. Um, if you do the overcharge, uh, again, 36 inches, heavy free, but now it's strength 10. Minus four AP and damage is six, um, so it's plus one strength, an extra minus one AP uh, and a flat six as opposed to D three plus three. But it then has a special wall as well. Each time an unmodified hit roll of one is made for an attack with this weapon profile. Um, if the bearer did not remain stationary in your previous movement phase, it suffers one mortal wound after shooting with this weapon. Um, so if you move and you roll a one to hit, you're taking a mortal wound, which is a, an interesting kind of gimmick, I guess. I mean, uh, it's really strong to fire it in its overcharging fire variant. I think the only downside to it, obviously, is that it's not core, so you know any ones to hit are going to be, you know, sorely felt when you can't necessarily re-roll them natively. But obviously, command point re-rolls yeah. are an option. I mean, I mean, you're only doing three shots, so it's not like you're going to decimate yourself with uh, lots of attacks, which you might do if you had, were like over, overloaded with plasmas and plasma sponsors. Oh yeah, I think I think 
I think you're not necessarily worried about the mortal wounds. It's more of the fact you'll feel the pain from the misses. Yes, yeah, because it's only three shots, which is quite low. Um, but yeah, so you will want to probably re-roll that just because you, you strength ten, you, you're going to wound it. It's you're definitely they're not going to save it unless they've got a invuln save. Yeah, and the flat six is huge. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. They, seem think... like, they seem to like the flat six damage uh, a lot in this book. But to put it in context, right, for 175 points, this guy has to hit a Redemptor Dreadnought three times and wound every time in order for it to kill that Redemptor Dreadnought. But if that Redemptor Dreadnought happens to be a um, Iron Hands Dreadnought, he only needs to roll... Uh, oh, I think a Redemptor Dreadnought's 13 wounds nowadays, or 12 wounds, so he only needs to roll two sixes or something, and then he'll... He'll neutralise it all. Or he'll still be alive. I mean, it's good. It's 175 points. I think the thing that really makes it good is toughness 8. I think you'd be amazed at how how much more durable you become at toughness 8 now. Um, What's weird is, isn't it on a Rhino chassis? Yeah, but it's got loads of extra armour on it. Ah, okay. It's like covered in armour. It's the same for the Hunter and the Stalker, their toughness 8. Which are the uh, anti-flyer variants of tank. Well, they're not covered in armour. They are, yeah. They've got extra armour playing all over them. They've got, like, these, um, like, uh, extra bits on the side that... They've got, like, weird, like, uh, hooks that, like... uh, Like, um, pegs that go down into the ground to stabilise them and stuff. No, yeah. Yeah, because of the shooting stuff. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. They're tough to say. I guarantee there's so many people out there who are running these things who don't realise it, though. <laughs> you, yeah, you would just assume it's tough to say. Of course you would. You, it amazes me so many times how often you can make that mistake, because, I mean, I've made it so many times myself, man. It's 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 crazy. Um, All right. Conscious of time. Let's smash through it. Dedicated uh, transports. Dreadnought drop pods. They're drop pods, but you can put dreadnoughts in them. That's pretty much all we want to talk about, unless you want to talk about the termite, or did you just talk about the termite? Well, we talked about the drill, but I think overall it's worth talking about because it's a pretty good unit. Go on then, Phil. The Dreadnought Drop Pod, by the way, though, guys, it's just a drop pod that you put Dreadnoughts in, and it's really good because of that. Cool. There you go. Um, Get yourself one of them and then put some Space Wolf Dreadnoughts in it. uh, Or or Hecton Akios. Or Hecton Akios or uh, Murderfang. Yeah. Um, so the Terrax pattern, uh, termite, uh, top profile, uh, movement eight inches, uh, weapon skill four plus, ballistic skill three plus, uh, strength seven, toughness eight, 14 wounds, uh, three attacks, leadership eight, and a three plus save. When it degrades down to four to seven wounds, it's movement five inches, ballistic skill four plus, and uh, D3 attacks. When it's down to one to three wounds, it's three inches, uh, movement. Ballistic skill 5 plus and 1 attack. Um, it's equipped with a Terex uh, Melter Cutter, a two Terex Storm Bolters and a Termite Drill. Uh, you may replace the two Terex Storm Bolters with uh, one of the following. Two Terex Patters, uh, Terex uh, Heavy Flamers or two Twin Terex Volkite Chargers. Uh, so the Terex uh, Melter Cutter um, is range 12 inches, heavy 5, strength 8, minus four d6 damage and it has the usual melter rule of if you're within half range you do d6 plus two mm-hmm. 
So five melter shots. Pretty good. You've got to be within six inches though to um, to to get the double um, to not double shot the um, extra damage. Yeah. yeah. Um, the heavy flamers uh, range twelve as well. Um, heavy D six strength five minus one I mean, one damage. Just normal heavy flamers with the word Tarax at the front for some reason. No, I guess so. And yeah, storm bolt is the same. Twenty four uh, inches rapid fire two strength four. But it's damage. important that they have that extra word for some reason. Uh, yeah, I uh, yeah, I presume maybe for to stop it from comboing with stratagems or just to be uh, yes, for the sake of it. I mean, I wouldn't have thought so, but you know, maybe there are. I do know uh, the Volkite charges we've talked about before. Uh, Twenty inch range, heavy four, strength five, uh, two damage, and you can do mortal wounds on a wound roll of six. The termite drill we talked about before, so pretty good in close combat. Um, it's got uh, the Angels of Death Roll, Subterranean Assault, uh, so you can deploy nine inches away. It explodes on a six up and does defeat mortal wounds. It has a transport capacity of 12 um, for chapter infantry models. It cannot transport Jumpack, Terminator, Primaris, Wolfen, or Centurion models. Boom! Yeah. Um, but even so, even despite that, I think it's still got a, you know, a decent. It's, it's decent transport. What, so 12, allows you to... what, what 12 things would you put in there, though? Well, I'm not uh, educated enough, I think, to, to say. <laughs> but you could you could put all sorts in. I guess you're limited to your regular Space Marine stuff. Most people... It's like, what would you put in a drop pod normally? People say, like, what, the, the grav or yeah. uh, status and stuff. It's like, you just put them in it. But rather than just coming in a drop pod and the drop pod does nothing, you've got a big thing that can smash stuff up. Well, yeah, but the thing is with a drop pod is you come in turn one when you're in the Devastator Doctrine. Hmm. Yeah, so this has <laughs> subterranean assault, so it doesn't uh, have that ability. So you're coming yeah. in turn two. Yes. If you if you Death Watch, you can make your Devastator Doctrine whenever you want. Not for a unit that's not in play so I can't do it because it happens in my command phase. Oh, I thought it was... Um, no, you select the order, though. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. So if it, but if it was for a specific unit, so if I'd done the Devastator Doctrine already, I wouldn't then be able to use the stratagem to make one unit Devastator for the turn. But you are right. Or I could use the other stratagem that gives them all of the, uh, of, of the Doctrines. But again, I believe in all instances, those are triggered in the command phase. Um mm. But yeah, so as Deathwatch, you could you could you could do it. There you go, paint it black and you're golden. Boosh, there we go. I mean, you could also look at things like Stern Guard veterans, Devastator squads, the Vanguard vets without jump packs. Could be a yeah. just because you've got them across the board already. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's that's the thing with this kind of stuff. It's like it's cool, but as soon as you tell me I can't put a Centurion in it, it it becomes less interesting. Because, you know, you want... Because all of a sudden it's like, wow, I can put Centurion... Assault Centurions across the board. I'm up for that. Not being able to do that does diminish its capabilities quite a bit. Well, yeah, but then that would just make it broken. I I think they've learned their lesson that Centurions being able to just appear on the other side of the table is bonkers. So they've just stopped that. It is true. Basically, yeah, you, you, you don't want Centurions in it. That's how it goes. All right, cool. I mean, I like it. I think it's an interesting thing. 
I've never considered using one for a Space Marine army before. It, it's the coolest looking uh, sort of transport, I think, out there. It's, I found it so weird that Space Marines can take it, because to me it looks very like a much an admech transport. 100%. Uh, but I, I'm an old squat player, so I have a fondness for dual transports. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, it is an absolutely gorgeous miniature. It's just oh, not sure. very Space Marine. No. You know. I'm trying to think of the instance where Space Marines would have ended up being in this weird underground emergence. They're normally coming down from the stars. It's really rare that they would be arriving from under the ground. But, I mean, what do I know? Eh? Yeah, I guess it's like a stalemate of siege warfare, potentially. Ah, fair enough, yeah. Something for the Imperial Fists, maybe. Uh, yeah. We're going to move on to the flyer section now. So there are three flyers to choose from. I know the one I want to talk about, so I'm just going to start talking about it. Is it the Xiphon? That is the Xiphon, yes, because I like Xiphons. I think they is good. Or at least they used to be. Let's discover. Right, so three profiles. Its main one at full wounds is movement 20 to 60. Uh, so it has a minimum range of uh, 20 and a maximum range of 60. It's uh, weapon skill 6+, plus, ballistic skill 3+, plus, strength 6, toughness 7, uh, which is pretty good for a flyer. Uh, 12 wounds, 3 attacks, leadership 8, and a 3 plus save. As it degrades, it reduces movement, ballistic skill, and attacks. Uh, at 4 to 6 wounds, it's movement 20 to 45, uh, ballistic skill 4 plus, and D3 attacks. When it's uh, 1 to 3 wounds, it's 20 to 30 inch move, uh, so it still at least has up to 30 inches of movement, which is pretty substantial on current boards, uh, but it has 5 plus to hit and only 1 attack. Um... The Xiphon is equipped with two twin LAS cannons, so it's got four LAS cannon shots, and the Xiphon missile battery. Xiphon missile battery is range 60, heavy free, strength 7, minus 2, flat free damage. Each time an attack is made with this weapon against an aircraft unit, add one to that attack's hit roll. Uh, so you're going to be hitting uh, aircraft on 2+, taking into account that they will then make you minus 1 to hit, you'll just be hitting them on your regular 3+. Which is handy. Uh, it's Angels of Death, Airborne, Hard to Hit, Supersonic, and is Martial Legacy, so it will cost you 1 CP. Uh, and it can explode. And that is all she wrote on the Xiphon. So, quite a noticeable change there. No longer does the Xiphon uh, re-roll to wound against things with the fly keyword. <laughs> right, yeah, thank God. So, not quite what it used to be. But, um... Hmm, okay. I mean, how many points is it? Let's have a quick look. Zyphon's coming in at 235. Because I was going to say, I was like, let's compare it to the Relic Contemptor with two twin LAS cannons. So it's Mm -hmm. got similar outputs of firepower. Mm -hmm. Um, Similar, like, toughness, similar wounds. Um, But I guess this has got missiles on top. Obviously, Contemptor can as well. But this is way more expensive. But it is minus one to hit. So, it is, and it's and, got and it's got three more wounds. Yeah, and it's got the ability to just ignore line of sight because it can just fly anywhere it wants and just shoots at stuff. So I oh, think yeah. that gives it a bit more utility. Um, yeah, it's good. Know. It's uh, two thirty-five. I think it's actually pretty good. Cause... Yeah, uh, yeah, it seems a bit expensive, but. I don't, I don't it's, necessarily it's, think it's so. Right. I think when you consider that the uh, laser destroyer that we were just talking about was 175, 
and that just had the equivalent of three las cannons, although not equivalent because ultimately it could be flat damage six. But irrespective, I think it's all right. I think yeah, it's okay. I think the missiles are crazy good. Flat yeah, free yeah. damage. Flat yeah, free damage. Yeah, they're they're all right. I, I I genuinely think it's an okay choice. I don't think it's a great choice. I think it's every bit the middle of the road thing, but it's an interesting option. Do you want to talk about a flyer fill, or should we move along? No, let's move on. We can pick a Lord of War. Okay, because I, I well, I wanted to pick two Lords of War, but I imagine you'll probably pick one of those two because I feel like we're relatively aligned on one of them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with the Mastodon. Oh, I, I knew you would. Because I, I utterly love the Mastodon. I've been looking for an excuse to buy the Mastodon for the longest time. I genuinely, genuinely have wanted one for a while. The Are you pr- now sold? Huh? Are you now sold on one? Mm, let me, let me, let me, let me go through it. So, a Mastodon is a massive, massive Lord of War. It's basically a huge tank that was used quite frequently in the Heresy era, and in Horus Heresy, is an unkillable behemoth. If you're playing this thing in 30k, it is insane. It's basically a mobile bunker. Oh, it's utterly mad. But in 40k, it is movement 10, weapon skill 5+, plus, ballistic skill 3+, plus, strength and toughness 9, which is utterly, what? utterly strong that the toughness of a warlord's titan yes i mean it is essentially a big old slab of meat though right i mean it's like it, well not even meat it's just a massive boulder on wheels um strength and toughness nine 30 wounds six attacks leadership nine and a two plus save right Jeez. so again you're in kind of monolith territory at this moment in time because i think the mon uh, but the monolith is strength and toughness eight i think but yeah. Anyway, it I mean, doesn't have that many wounds, does it? Or has it got twenty plus? Oh yeah, no. I think the model is like twenty four, twenty eight actually. Oh, so no, it's no, more no. wounds. Strength and toughness nine can't be can't be kind of sniffed at. It's got another selection of weapons. So it's got two heavy flamers, two las cannons, siege melter array, sky reaper battery, and crushing tracks. So the siege melter array is range twenty four, heavy six, strength eight minus four, d six damage. And if you're within half range, D6 plus two. So essentially, it's a heavy six multi-melter. Wow. Which yeah. is very strong. The Sky Reaper battery, which is quite a big, exotic-looking weapon on the thing, is range 48, heavy eight, strength seven, minus two, two damage. And each time this attack is made against aircraft units, add one to the attack's hit, hit roll. Each time an aircraft attack made with this weapon is allocated to an aircraft model... Oh, sorry. And when you're attacking aircraft, you become damage four. Ooh. Which, again, is very good. Uh, crushing Tracks is a melee weapon, minus two D3 damage. So it's not going to, you know, do much. Oh, no. Strength nine, minus two D3, flat six attacks. Hit on fives. Oh, hang on fives, yeah. Hey, it's got seven attacks, because it's a space ring. Uh, well, no, it'd be just plus one, so it'd be... Oh, yeah, sorry, from six to seven. Yeah, it does yeah, degrade yeah. down to D6 and D3, so it does get worse, yeah. Okay, so now prepare yourself for the longest rule <clears throat> yes. in existence, void shields. So, 
This model has two void shields. Each void shield has three shield points. So you've got two shields with three points each. I mean, it already... It's it's so it's so easy to work out what's going on here. <laughs> this it's model... like the old... Um, was it structure points, I think? Very similar to structure yeah. points that the old uh, Forge World units used to have. Yeah, yeah. So while this model has any void shields, it has a 5-plus invulnerable save against ranged attacks. So while it's got its void shields intact, it's got a 5-up Each time a saving throw has failed for this model against a ranged attack, if it has any void shields, it does not suffer any damage. Instead, for each point of damage inflicted, one of its void shield loses one shield point. So, you bizarrely have two shields and those have three shield points. Now, where this gets interesting and where I suppose it starts to get odd and we'll get into this in a moment is, is how damage then works and interacts with these things, but it is explained, so let me just keep reading. Uh, once a void shield has lost a shield point, it must continue to lose shield points due to any further damage inflicted until it collapses. Each time an attack causes a void shield to be reduced to zero shield points, that void shield collapses. This model loses that void shield, and any excess damage inflicted by that attack is lost. So that is an interesting distinction, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Void shields can never be used to prevent mortal wounds. Each mortal wound inflicted on a model with void shields causes that model to lose one wound as normal. At the start of your command phase, if this model has a void shield that has fewer than three shield points remaining, that void shield is restored to three. So, a lot of things to think about there. You've got two void shields. Each of them's got the equivalent of three wounds. So essentially, you have to imagine that you've got uh, two Terminators stuck to the front of your tank, basically. Uh, so effectively, think of yourself as a three-man unit with a Mastodon and two Terminators. And the reason I say two Terminators is because they also have two up saves and a five up invun, so it's a relatively reasonable thing. Plus, they also have three wounds. Um, so that's something that kind of works. Now, if someone shoots a LAS cannon at your tank, you then roll a save. Now, interestingly, the Void Shields offer you a 5-up invun, but you don't roll against a 5-up invun. You roll against your best armor save. So you are still able to use a uh, you know armor save if it's better. In the case of the LAS cannon... It would be the same. It would be a 5-up armor save or a 5-up invun. So if we were getting shot with something with AP minus 1, we don't just have a 5-up invun now. We still have a 3-up armor save because 2 plus minus 1, 3 plus armor save. If that shot does 2 damage, then one void shield has taken that damage. However, if they then shoot you with a last cannon and that last cannon does 6 damage, you've just lost one void shield. Then if they proceed to do more damage to the Void Shield but not remove it, as stated, that Void Shield will regain all of its wounds back to free. So it's a bit of a faff and a bit of a thing to get your head round, but it is a very, very good rule in and of itself. I mean, what do you think of that, Phil? Well, from what I thought before, I, I, I think it's very good how they've done it. It's a lot better than the previous version. I was under the assumption that once a Void Shield collapses, it sort of stays collapsed correct but but here it seems to be like if your um if your void shield is collapsed and you've got zero uh shield points on it at the start of your command phase it comes back up 
No, 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 no. So if you're so again, at the start of your command phase, if this model's void shield has fewer than three shield points remaining, the void shield is restored to void shield. So hang on, sorry, go ahead. but the, the zero is fewer, so. It, it never says that it once it reduces to zero, they can't come back up. So Ooh. I think at the start of every turn, you get six wounds, ablative wounds. Your two Terminators come back. So it's like the old uh, cherubs from uh, the old Celestine. Yeah, I'm, because I, yeah, that, that seems to be how it is. Because it says, obviously it says the shield collapses, but it doesn't then say that shield isn't used at all it just says um that it, you then just ig- ignore that um shield when it comes to damage but yeah. then at start of your turn the shield that has collapsed comes back up well hang on so you started failed against so the damage instead for each damage inflicted one void shield loses one point once a void shield has lost a shield point it must continue to lose shield points uh, so reduce to zero. So that void shield collapses. This model loses that void shield and any excess damage. Yeah. So you've lost the the void shield. Uh, but, yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess. That's so you no longer it, possess it. It's gone. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. I could see how you could read it both ways because it's like yeah, you've lost it in terms of the damage, but mm. it still exists when it wants to come back. But no, I think I think you're right. It's basically. If you've taken one shield point damage, so you've got one or two left, it can always go back up to three. Yeah. But once you take it down to zero, it's gone for good. Yeah, because yeah. I was thinking otherwise that'd be just broken. Um, so it makes more sense. Should we quickly talk about its transport capacity? Oh, yeah. So the big USP is its transport capacity. This model has a transport capacity of 40 chapter infantry models. Each jump pack, Wolfen, or Terminator model takes up two spaces, and each Centurion takes up three spaces. So this thing can transport Centurions. However, in addition to that, it can also transport two Dreadnoughts, but it cannot transport Primaris Derrideo Dreadnoughts or Leviathan Dreadnoughts. So you can't put Primaris in this thing, but you can put Dreadnoughts, and you can put up to uh, 40 Infantry. Well, Are you happy? So, I'm torn, right? So, very, very quickly, because I don't want to get too deep into this conversation, given how long we've talked through this stuff. The Mastodon is 800 points. Do you feel like that's worth 800 points, Phil? Oh, 800. I mean, it's a lot of wounds. Like, it depends... Like to compare it to the Gorgon transport of old, which was mm. transport capacity fifty, had a similar number of wounds, and was also well, it was toughness eight um, rather than toughness nine, mm. but it didn't have anywhere near the sort of damage output that this does, or yeah. the ability to take uh, transport anything nearly half as good. Because this can transport two generals, like that is cool. Yeah, it can transport your favourite centurions, as you were saying, the ability to take um, to to dump some centurions off is pretty good. Yeah, um, eight hundred points about probably. If it was between four and six hundred, then it would probably be too good. Agreed. I imagine eight hundred. It the well when it's at eight hundred points, it's like. 
this isn't suitable for regular 40k games of 2000 points this mm-hmm. is apocalypse uh sort of sized uh vehicle it, it, it that's what it's for that's what it's pointed for so yeah it's a lot but nah, it's not that much well, i mean apocalypse has its own points though doesn't it so you know tomato tomato i mean um, here's the here's the thing with it right depending on the boards you play on and the the types of uh things you come up against if you take this to a tournament and you're playing on some itc style terrain setups there's very few places you can put this thing because it's massive like yes. really yeah. really massive so it's not the most uh subtle instrument in uh, in your in your arsenal additionally but even if you just mo- manage to move one turn of 10 inches and then you can just disembark and flood the board with a lot of bodies. I think realistically what I would probably do is I'd probably take two Contempt of Dreadnoughts in it um, and then I would probably then take uh, ten Terminators and that would be everything that I put in it. So ten Terminators, two Dreadnoughts. And then it's just trundle that up in a turn... I mean, to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't even necessarily worry about having the guys stay in it for a turn. I'd just probably start them in it just to basically give them insane durability. Because I think, weirdly, the Mastodon creates the opportunity for you to confidently go second all the time, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, it would be the one target that your opponent's going to shoot at, but yeah. it will soak up an awful lot of damage. Yeah, I mean, if you can degrade it down to the point where it's only moving five inches, it's it, it's a bit pointless at that point. Your Terminators, cool, they've survived, but they're stuck on in your deployment zone, and therefore they're not really going to do much in the game unless you can redeploy them somehow. Um, yeah, potentially. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? It's like this is my po- was... oh, no. I was going to say this is my point with it. It's the most tempting it sounded in a while, but it's still not really doing it for me. I've tried to write some army lists around it. Essentially, I've I've just been writing like twelve hundred point army lists and and just been like, right, how do I make this work as part of this? I mean. It's expensive, right? This thing is costing me four command points to take as well. Wait, really? Yeah. Cause oh, it... yes, because of the Lord of War uh, yeah. aspect to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's four command points to put it in my army. Yes. Which, you know, whatever. But, yeah, I like it. I really like it. Um, I'm just not sure. And certainly, well, Phil, which Lord of War do you want to talk about, I wonder? Well, uh, hold on. Before we get to that, I'll, ju- I'll just put my point of view. When I have used the Gorgon in, in games, I, I, I found I had all my infantry, even my entire army in there, and then I had a couple of tanks on the side. Mm-hmm. And what happened is my opponent just blasted and shot everything into the Gorgon predominantly to the point where if I went second, it was degraded so much it was barely moving, and therefore all my troops were just getting out in my deployment zone. And was like a massive waste of points, mm. and that had about thirty wounds and a five-up in button as well. 
So maybe um, the strategy is you take it, but don't put anything in it. But yeah, I, I think potentially, yeah, just because it's got some weapons like with flame responses and stuff, it's sort of a good distraction unit more than anything else. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, what do you think I'm going to go for? The Thunderhawk. No, of course not. Oh, no, I, no way. I was going to go for, hold on, let me uh, flip the page over, the Astrius. Oh, okay, the Astrius. The Primaris. Lord of War. Or the Astraeus, as some people call oh, it. Oh, yeah, well, yes, that sounds actually better. The Astraeus. Um, it's, uh, so it's uh, movement of uh, 12 inches, mm-hmm. uh, weapon skill 5 plus, ballistic skill 3 plus, strength 8, toughness 8, 30 wounds, uh, 6 attacks, leadership 9, and a 2 plus save. Uh, it does degrade when it's down to 8 to 15 wounds to 6 inches movement, uh, ballistic skill 4 plus, and d6 damage. And then when it's down to one to seven wounds, it's a three inch movement, uh, ballistic skill five plus, and uh, D3 attacks. It is equipped with an Iron Hell heavy stubber. Obviously, that's not what you're taking it for. Uh, two Astraeus uh, Laz Rippers, a Storm Bolter, Twin Heavy Bolter, and the Twin Macro Accelerator Cannon, um, which is the main thing you're taking it for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also uh, has the Angels of Death Rule, it's a hover tank. It has void shields, which we just talked about, which is the only way I thought we were going to be explaining it, but good thing you talked about Mastodon. Um, it's uh, twin heavy bolters can be replaced with a twin Laz cannon. Mm-hmm. The Astraeus Laz rippers may be replaced with two plasma eradicators, and it may be equipped with one Iron Hail heavy stubber. Uh, so the Astraeus uh, Laz ripper, uh, of which uh, you get two, um, so it's range 36 inches, heavy 2, strength 9, minus 3 AP, D6 damage. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Uh, the Plasma erad- Eradicator version, uh, obviously you got Standard and then you got Supercharge. Uh, standard one is uh, 36 inches, heavy D6, uh, strength 7, minus 4, 2 damage, uh, Blast. And then the Supercharge one, sort of as to be expected, uh, 36 inches, heavy D6, Strength 8, minus 4, flat 3 damage. And then also Blast, but uh, hit rolls of an unmodified roll of 1 do 1 mortal wound to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the big gun itself, the Twin Macro Accelerator Cannon, 72-inch range, heavy 12, strength 8, minus 2, flat 3 damage. It's all right, isn't it? So it is a 12 shots. Relic battle cannon to put into perspective for a guard player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's not bad. I imagine it is a lot of points though. Uh, the Astraeus is less points than the Mastodon. I'm not surprised because even though the Mastodon is predominantly a trans, yeah, I think it's the transport capacity that is. Uh, yeah, 675 points for the Astraeus. Still a lot though. I honestly think it's overpriced. I don't think it's that good. Probably for what it does, yeah. Because you also need uh, to pay if you're going to put um, if you're going to put the uh, twin las cannons on it, then you've got to pay for those, and you've also got to pay for some iron hell heavy stubbers as well. So yeah, yeah. I mean it. It looks like it's got great output. But the points cost is like for what what you can buy for those points will be able to do more damage. I think. 
I mean, what's important to mention about this guy, though, and why I'm, I'm genuinely, genuinely gobsmacked, repulsors and repulsor executioners, impulsors, gladiators, none of those tanks, those little diddy tanks, have the fly keyword. This guy does. Um, they took it off, didn't they? They took it off every other type of, of repulsor tank, but not this one. Okay, that's a bit bonkers. Exactly. How the hell does this I, thing I, get up off the ground? The reason why is so it's can actually get over stuff. Whereas, I mean, it it can't hide. It's not like you're going to hide it in a building and then move it twelve inches forwards. I mean, which you can do, but it's always going to be targetable because it's a Lord of War. It's over for it's over more eighteen wounds. Sixty, uh, yeah, eighteen or whatever it is. Yeah, sixteen. Yeah, so you're always going to be able to shoot it. So maybe they thought. But all that's just an oversight because all the other repulsors did have fly at one point. Yeah, yeah. It's also got the hover tank special rule, which I can't remember the particulars on. Is that always measured from the base? Or I, I, the I, I, I believe, yeah, I think it is, yeah. Always measured from the base, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are plenty of other cool-sounding uh, Lord of Wars. Um, I don't know what half of them are, like the Tithe and the Cerberus because there's no photos with them which I find a bit frustrating with this book well can I talk about the Thunderhawk Phil oh yeah clearly well I mean if, you, if you're if you entertaining oh, yes it's because it's the only um, transport that can take Primaris well it? exactly but well and you didn't mention with the Astraeus though it's also got Void Shield so it has the same amount of Void Shield points as the Mastodon yeah, it's got two two of them, which, yeah, which three is three points each. Which is which is pretty good, and it's got machine spirit, it's got fly, and it's got repulsive field. I forgot to mention as well the mastodon has a smoke screen and machine spirit, so you can make it minus one to be hit for a stratagem or whatever it is. So that's, that's yeah, interesting that the Astraeus doesn't have smoke screen. Oh, that's how it got, the none of the repulsive tanks have. Smoke screen. Oh, they all have oh. repulsor field, which is uh, minuses to be charged or something. But machine yeah, spirit's well, it good. used to be, but then uh, they ch- I thought they changed it. Uh, it's a stratagem now. I can't remember exactly what it does. Uh, but what's interesting with machine spirit, and I forgot to mention this, machine spirit now is a one CP stratagem to put the thing on its top bracket, like with uh, Imperial Knights. So uh, yeah. So the Mastodon, actually, even if it took a bit of damage, could still roll out 10 inches. Yeah, because that's the main downside with it. No, the fact you can do that with the Astraeus as well. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's tidy, tidy. But the Thunderhawk gunship is exactly the same points as the Mastodon. Exactly the same points. The difference is being that it is a 30-wound Toughness 8 flyer, which is... Bananas. Do you want to know how strong it is, Phil? Strength ten. I mean, why it's that strength That is going to punch something in the face. That is, you know, that is a, that is a tough boy. Uh, its movement is twenty to fifty inches on its top profile. Its weapon skill six, ballistic skill three, strength ten, toughness eight, thirty wounds, uh, six attacks, leadership nine, and a two plus save. It is chunky as planes go. As it degrades, its movement and ballistic skill and attacks reduce. A Thunderhawk gunship is equipped with two LAS cannons, two Thunderhawk heavy cannon, 
Oh, sorry, not two. A Thunderhawk heavy cannon. Four twin heavy bolters. And a Thunderhawk cluster bomb. So the Hellstrike missile is uh, range... Hang on. What's the deal with this Hellstrike missile? Oh, this model's cluster bombs can be replaced with a with one Hellstrike missile battery. Okay, fine. So you've got options. The Hellstrike missile battery variant is range 72, heavy 4, strength 8, minus 3, flat 3 damage. Each time this attack is made with a weapon... Uh, basically, when you target aircraft, you're plus 1 to hit. And if you're shooting aircraft, you're D3, plus 3 damage if you're using the Hellstrike missile battery. If you're using the uh, Thunderhawk cluster bombs... Once per battle, after this bearer has moved, you can select one unit the bearer moved across. Roll 66 for each vehicle or monster model in that unit, and roll uh, and roll 1d6 for each other model in that unit to a maximum of 8d6. For each four plus, that unit suffers one mortal wound, which ain't bad. Um, you've also got the Thunderhawk heavy cannon, which is range 48, heavy 2d6, strength eight. Minus two, D3 plus two damage, blast, which is pretty hilarious. And then well, lastly, lastly, you can change the Thunderhawk heavy cannon can be replaced with a turbo laser destructor, which is range 96, heavy three, strength 16, minus five, flat six damage. Minus five, where? Yeah, I know, right? What a boy. Uh, it's got Angels of Death. It's airborne. It's hard to hit. It hovers. Uh, it, uh, it's also got a hover jet, so you can uh, hold still. It's supersonic. It's got Colossal Flyer. Distances are always measured to and from this model's hull, which is quite interesting. Well, that is interesting because it doesn't... I don't believe it comes with a base or flyer stand, so you get to construct one yourself. Yes, that's correct. Uh, so, so you, and normally, you would have it a good... I'm trying to trying to think a good like twelve inches, if not more, off the ground. Yes, which you have to factor into in terms of range, just because it's. Uh, it's so going to be very difficult to tell how it all sort of works on the floor. I guess you just have to see where its shadow is. Um, but well, um, no, so you yeah, but I mean, what I mean is you measure to the hole. So you if you if you were directly below it, for example, uh, you you still got twelve inch plus like range to hit it. It, well, I mean, I feel like that's possibly not as it's intended, but perchance if you can put it on like a a thirty inch high pole and just be like, you'll never shoot exactly. me. Exactly, and you'll be like, ah, oh, but my turbo laser destructor has a range of ninety six inches. Ha ha ha! Boom boom boom. Um. Anyway, this model has a transport capacity of thirty uh, infantry or chapter biker models, so you can bikes in it. Uh, each Wolf and Terminator MXX Gravis and Jump Pack model uh, takes up two uh, models. A Primaris Jump Pack uh, Jump Pack model takes up three spots instead. Each Centurion or Biker model takes up three uh, models. A Primaris Biker takes up four. So you can have your Centurion boys. Well, better than that, mate. I can have my Outriders in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you basically you want to paint it black, make it Death Watch. Uh, well, what I was saying is, for 800 points, this, to me, is nowhere near as survivable as the Mastodon. But it is well, not a... Well, you say that. It's, obviously, it's not got void shields. Correct. Which I'm almost surprised about, actually. It hasn't got void shields, but it is minus one to hit. Correct, yeah. And I guess, yeah, the Mastodon can be minus one to hit. Um, 
as well because of smokescreen. Yeah. So, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. So, but again, this thing, I don't know. Basically, I'm, 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 I'm at a crossroads, Phil. I want one of them. I feel like it's going to end up being the Thunderhawk. But... Can, can, can I make another suggestion? Oh, please. Why don't you upgrade your Thunderhawk gunship to a SOCAR pattern Stormbird? Because that has a transport capacity of 50. Yeah, because it's a, 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 an 850 quid model. Oh, so now you're factory, and and it has void shields. Yeah, then, I, I'm aware of that. It's also so quite a lot. Quite, but how much is you see so you factoring in the physical price of the model versus the point costs? Well, no, no. I'm just telling you why I personally won't be buying. Well, how much is a Thunderhawk? Uh, Four hundred and seventy-five. Oh wait, so it's like double G's. Yeah, it's it's quite a bit more expensive. I don't but actually. Then it comes with void shields, so you know you're paying. Well, exactly. Into... That's where that that's where that extra four hundred quid's gone on some void shields. So that's um, cannons. Come on, it's like it's got double the money. Like, come on. Where is this thing? It's uh, oh, the stormboard. The next page over. Oh, it's only a thousand points as well. The stormboard. See, uh, two hundred points more, four hundred actual pounds more, worth every penny. I mean, it could be. It could. Be. I mean, it hasn't got as much um, like big guns, I believe. Well, it's got. This... But it has an extra ten. So it's got forty wounds. Um, it's got four twin las cannons, so it's got eight las cannons, three twin heavy bolters, and Hellstrike missile battery, which is range seventy two heavy four. Oh, we've already read. This. Yeah, so, same one. Yeah. And so it's a it's colossal got no flyer to swap out the weapons. So basically, you're paying two hundred points more for for void shields, plus ten ten and more ten wounds. wounds. And an extra 20 transport capacity. I mean, it would be totally baller to turn up. And and you can transport a rhino. I mean, and does does the rhino have its own transport capacity still intact? (laughs) It's it's the Russian dolls of transports. It's got a transport capacity inside a transport. And it can, yeah. Crikey. I tell you what, there's this really hilarious comparison photo on the Forge World website where you see uh, the Fire Raptor the Thunderhawk and then the Stormbird. You do realise it's quite a bit bigger. I didn't realise it was quite that chunky. Well, and that's why it's got void shields. I mean, the idea of turning up to an event with that and being like, yeah, I'm going to run this. And be like, what? (laughs) I'm not sure I could do it, Phil. That's just just insanity. And the thing is, right, let's be honest with ourselves. If I was going to buy that thing... There's no way I will ever get round to painting, building it. So I'm going to have to commission someone to do it for me. Well, that's true. I mean, I'd, I'd happily come round and help glue it together. Cause I think oh, oh thanks, mate. <laughs> but that's the thing, you know. I, I definitely need to look at, like, yeah, commissioning someone else to do it. And at that point, it's like, it's going to cost... I mean, even if I've got the Stormbird... Uh, sorry, the Thunderhawk, it's probably going to cost me, like, 1,200 quid once you add in the commission fee. Oh, for sure, yeah. It's, um, it's, a, it's a beast. I haven't it? really got 1,200 quid to be throwing around <laughs> on a Thunderhawk. No, of course you do. I don't think I do. Plus, plus all, the, all the models that need to go inside it as well. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. It'd be one big commission. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It is tempting uh, to get one of them, but I just don't think... I don't know. Well, it's, it's never going to see play 
outside of like a crazy apocalypse game. I, I mean, no, you I, might I take it for myself, the lols. I could see myself using. I could see myself using the Thunderhawk. Like, would you take it to a competitive event? Yes. Or like, as a as a legit tactic, like yeah. I've, I've just got this. Yeah, because so couple of things. Reason I would probably look at it in competitive play is that I think there are not for, you know there are a lot of people out there with armies that can do some interesting things against a thunderhawk but not necessarily that frequently most people's armies now are favoring uh medium range um you know more kind of infantry based strategies and 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 also around uh things like eradicators and stuff like that it's probably like the most anti tank you see um so I don't know. I mean, obviously the Eradicators will be hitting me on fours and then wounding on fours. And then uh, I'd be saving on sixes against that because there's no invuns or anything for this thing. So that wouldn't be great. But, yeah, I it's don't know. Stormbirds. Five up invun. Well, there you Make go. Well, as long it. as it's got void shields, it's got a five of them. But... Exactly, yeah. Uh, which of the two big guns on the uh, Thunderhawk would you go for? The heavy cannon or the turbo laser destructor? I'd probably still go heavy cannon. Oh, I think it's got a bit more utility. It's I sort of like so. souped up battle cannon. Yeah, I, I I think the turbo laser destroyer is one of those, or whatever it was. The laser variant is the one that you yeah. use when you know that you're facing up against someone who also has a Thunderhawk. Or also has a thing, but or just has, or has lots of tanks. It's sort of like a, an overkill gun. Cause I mean, it would you... be all I'm saying is it would be cool to turn up to a tournament or any kind of event and rock up with a Thunderhawk, right? For sure, God, imagine trying to carry that up the stairs. Oh, mate. Worlds. I like, would not. I would not big. be. I would not be carrying that on a tray between games. <laughs> yes, that would be delicately put back in its case. Would you also be carrying around with you the crashed Thunderhawk around the battle tile? So when it gets destroyed, you can like swap out the gaming tile. I mean, assuming that, you know, wherever I'm playing is utilizing a gaming tile, then fine. I mean, I suppose that puts it in context, though, right? When you consider that the Thunderhawk gaming tile takes up, uh, uh, the Thunderhawk dominates an entire two by two section. Yeah, which is a, a one-sixth size of the uh, gaming table. Yeah. Uh, and that's about old-style gaming tables. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it'd be, it'd be an interesting one to run the Thunderhawk for sure. I think it would definitely... It would definitely create some interesting dynamics within the game. I, I, the thing is I like about it is that it transports Primaris and you can do some weird stuff with that, right? And also... Yeah, I, think, I think that's the one thing everyone wants from some of the older transports so at least there's something that can do it but it's a bit crazy that it's the most expensive both in terms of points and money transport that you can possibly get the thing is with it though right is that it's the idea that you can take this thing and you can fly it into your opponent's deployment tape and then you can just leave it there and just hope that they blow it up (laughs) because when it goes it does I mean, it only blows up on a six up, but it's 2d6 mortal wounds within 2d6 inches. Yeah, I know, right? I guess there's no way... You can't deliberately blow up a transport, can you? 
no, as far as I'm aware, there's no way to auto blow up. There used to be, it used to be a machine spirit. Um, yeah, thing. for the for the repulse, it wasn't it. Yeah. yeah. So unless there's someone somewhere that allows you to 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 do it, but even then, it'd just be hilarious because the thing's so massive. Right, so it's literally yeah, one that, of those... that would also, yeah, because it's in you measure from the the flyer's hole, which yeah. is a very large footprint. Yeah. Well, actually, that's the thing. So you'd have to model the the flyer by the, the the stands to be quite low. Yeah. Because you measure, so it might be too high. It's like measure two d six from the model's hole. Oh not yeah. The base or the footprint. So if it, if you roll a four, it's like it's not going to be just four inches off the table. It's going to be like. 10 or 12 so it in a way you, you could say that explosion is never going to take effect no oh, look at you coming coming effect. at it with the uh, the weird nuances so well, maybe the mastodon's yeah. the way to go but yeah anyway the point is is that i don't know you always flirt with the idea i feel like if i the thing is if i bought a mastodon which is 300 and uh 326 pounds cuz i suppose they desperately needed that extra singular pound rather than just making it 325 anyway um if i bought the mastodon i would literally build an army list around it <laughs> like that would be the whole the whole philosophy around that i'd probably just have it and be like cool this is my mastodon army list so i'd probably do like iron hands or something mental like that and just be like yep here it is my mastodon list um or i'd take it as a heresy thing i guess or build a heresy army around it and just rock up with it that way but yeah i think if i did the mastodon i'd literally build an army list around it whereas i do feel like the thunderhawk has some viability in um in a in a regular list but uh, 800 points on anything is a, it's a lot of eggs in one basket right yeah for sure but maybe maybe i'll get on the phone to giuseppe again and see if how much he'll charge me to paint a mastodon well, exactly. He can uh, charge you a pretty penny. He could do, to be fair. He could do. Should we round it out with the very last uh, one, which is fortifications? Oh, is there fortifications in this? There's one. Oh, I thought it's we were done, Phil. Century Battery. All right, all right, hang on. Let's talk about that, then. So the Tarantula Sentry Gun, which is a slightly different name from the data sheet, which is Tarantula Sentry Battery, I guess because you can have several of them. You can have one to three. Um, has no movement, has no weapon skill. Is ballistic skill four plus. Uh, strength four, toughness five, four wounds, no attacks, leadership seven, and a three plus save. Um, it can have up to two more models. Um, every model is armed with a tarantula twin heavy bolter um, and you may swap the twin heavy bolter with a twin lance cannon um, and as you expect the uh, twin heavy bolter is range 36 inches uh, heavy 6 strength 5 minus 1 AP 2 damage and the twin lance cannon is 48 inches heavy 2 strength 9 minus 3 D6 uh, damage uh, the angels of death Roll, as per codex space means the, it explodes on a six up and does one mortal wound within three inches. And then its special rule of automated emplacement is each time a model in this unit shoots, select one of the following keywords, uh, infantry uh, or vehicle, um, until those shots are resolved when selecting targets for the, that model's attacks. 
uh, you must select the closest eligible enemy unit with that keyword. If there are no eligible units with that keyword, that model must take the closest eligible unit instead. This unit is never eligible to charge or heroically intervene and cannot make pile-in or consolidation moves. Um, so basically, it's going to have to hit the closest infantry unit or vehicle uh, unit. So sort of limits its viability, but that's sort of what you kind of taking it knowing full well that that's what it does. Interestingly, though, when they say the rules about that the model this unit is never eligible to charge or heroically intervene does that mean you can never charge it as well uh no you can charge you it can charge it, it but it's combat it, yeah but it um, can't it's charge it's not eligible to charge or heroically intervene uh, because it can't move but yeah. i guess technically uh you know those are moves that are different from a, a move with a movement characteristic so yeah yeah I mean, it's interesting. I think um, they're still really good as uh, as uh, Imperial Fists, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're 40 points each and then an extra 10 points if you take Twin Las Cannon uh, variant. Normally, people took them um, in 8th edition just to fill out a uh, like a battalion or brigade. I mean, I've got, I've got to be honest. I think three of those as uh, Imperial Fists are actually really good for 120 points because that's six heavy bolters hitting on fours, you know, ignoring cover, and with exploding sixes still, because they still gain chapter tactics. Yeah, that's true. As far as I'm aware, anyway, do they? Uh, well, they've got the chapter keywords. But and do they've they got have chapter there. tactics special rule? Um, is that, isn't that part of Angels of Death, though? Correct, yeah. Oh, they do have Angels of Death. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they can... They, as... as, as Imperial Fists, they're very strong. Yeah, I guess one of their downsides is if you take them into squads of three and you can kill, like, two of them, uh, or you can kill one and uh, somehow affects its leadership, like, it's got a good chance of failing. Yeah. Because its leadership's a bit rubbish. But Even then, though, I, I, you know, I'm not going to necessarily suggest that they're incredible, but I think... Certainly for Imperial Fist players, it's a really valid option, for sure. So what you what you want is an army that's comprised of transfer sentry batteries, the drop pod assaults, and a bunch of other deep striking stuff. Yeah, that'll do nice. Or go for an all-automated list. Um, you know, your old list of lots of uh, fortifications. That's, Maybe that's when it's a good plug-in. Take, take some other buildings. Yeah. That's where where it's all going to be at. It's going to be the way forwards, mate. Just take loads of buildings and you're on to a winner. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think the overall, the marine section of this book is actually pretty reasonable. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, they've got some interesting stuff in there. I think they've got, they've got some cool Lords of War. They've got some interesting changes. I don't think they've been hit that hard, but equally, I don't think they have anything immediately like stand out in there. I think, again... It's all very middle of the road, but I think there's some some good stuff. I think again, I, you can't. Comp- it's just more choice as a Space Marine player, which is 
you know yeah i think if you if you don't own any of them you're probably now not going to be going out of your way to buy them unless you like it because the model looks cool mm. i think contemptors and leviathans are still probably going to be the units people gravitate towards because they've still got the most utility correct yeah. um and if you had them before, you're still probably going to be using them. But maybe the relic contemptors you'll be taking as regular ones. Leviathans, obviously, you just take them as they are. Mm-hmm. And I think if you've got an option to take a special character, you'll probably be taking them just because they're cool, not necessarily because they're amazing. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that entire statement, mate. I think um, I think there's some interesting stuff there. Um, so there you go. Forge World, Space Marines, we're out of here, unless Phil has any final thoughts he wants to elaborate upon. Uh, no. All right, there you go. We hope you enjoyed that. We're going to move on now to probably the end of the show. Um, although we were threatening talking about uh, the uh, the previews from the other day, so uh, maybe we'll do that. Who knows? Transitional noise. Woo! Hello one more time everybody, not content with already having given you potentially five plus hours of content, we felt like we needed to, you know, wrap this whole thing up with a little bit of an appraisal of the Warhammer 40,000 parts of Decadence and or Decay, which if you weren't already aware was the Warhammer Preview Online. Phil, why do you imagine they call it Warhammer Preview Online and not the Warhammer Online Preview? Oh, um, to be, to, I don't know. Excuse me now. To be, to be different. Is the Warhammer preview, it should then be like, I don't know, colon online. Yeah. Because it's normally the Warhammer preview. So maybe they've, they've just been, they thought I'd bolt it on. There you go. So they didn't want to give up on trademark Warhammer preview. They just added the online to the arse end of it. As yeah, opposed to so, changing yeah, the entire yeah. naming convention. Yeah, exactly. Well, that makes a certain degree of sense, I suppose. But anyway, yes, this Warhammer preview online uh, was titled Decadence and or, not and or, I added the or, so just Decadence and Decay. Uh, so Decadence and Decay was the theme, uh, and a lot of that was illustrated within the segments that we won't really dwell upon, which is all of the... Uh, you know, Necromunda, Middle-Earth and Age of Sigmar fun and frolics that, that happened. Uh, you know, just to say from the outset, there's a new version of a model I don't know anything about, although I was somewhat aware of him before. Do you even know what the guy's called? Oh, not off the top of my head. No. He's, You'd um, have I'm, to make me scroll. Here he is. He's called Sigvald, apparently, and apparently he is something in the world of Warhammer. Uh some sort of slanesh man who likes to look at himself with a mirror shield. That's what they say, isn't it? Yes. And what they've done is they've made a really, really, really pretty looking model in terms of the armour and the posing and all of the majestic, you know, windswept hair and cape and other, you know, assorted uh, regal qualities. But then for whatever reason, they've decided to make him about 30% more cow than he was before. I mean... What is it with Games Workshop and upping the cow in the Age of Sigmar range at the moment? I, I think maybe it's just how they're tying together Slanesh with the elves. Yeah. Uh, maybe because obviously the new, the new was it Lumineth 
lords. Yeah, whatever they were. The cow, the cow elves. No, the cow elves. So obviously, Slanesh has to be a little bit cow. There you go. Okay. I mean, it's not even the fact that they just put horns on him, which, you know, Phil or Richie raised a very fair point, which is, how does he have such a beautiful centre party with those ridiculous horns either side of his that, head? That was, that was Richard, yeah. yeah. I mean, that truly is the power of chaos, uh, you know, on uh, on display there, because, you know, how your hair would flow that way around those horns is, is, is difficult to understand. Well, it's it's chaos, chaos magic. That's all you need to know. That's it. That's Don't it. think about it too hard. Chaos magic. Chaos but magic. they've given him like a big kind of like flat nose and more kind of like derpy looking eyes that definitely give him more of a kind of gentle grass feeding cow look, it's fair to say. Oh, if you say so. I wasn't really looking into it much more beyond <laughs> the horns. You're so defeated by that entire segment there. There you go. But look, we did it. We spoke about the other things. Now let's get on to... Wait, wait. If you can talk about other things, isn't uh, isn't that tree beard guy really nice? Oh, sexy? Man. I'm often tempted by the potential to get into the Middle Earth game because I, as most people of my generation and or age, really, really love the Lord of the Rings films. You know, they came around at a very specific kind of time. They were a really great trilogy of movies. Didn't massively love the Hobbit series, but again, yeah, like, you know, Middle Earth as a film franchise is pretty incredible. And, um, you know, as a, as a series of books is obviously quite, quite significant as well. So, um, so yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm really, really tempted to, uh, to dive in to Middle Earth at some point. And they did that incredible box set for Middle Earth, didn't they? Was it last year or two years oh, ago? Oh, the, the Pe- Pe- Pelion Peloton Fields? Something, something like, like that. that. Something yeah. like that. It was loads of the Riders of Rohan versus um, versus Orcs, I assume. I can't even remember anymore. <laughs> but but I definitely remember looking at it going, oh, core blimey, that looks well nice, that does. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but I really like the Treebeard model, purely because I got a lot of the... Um, Treeman for my blood, my halfling blood bowl team, so mm. I can appreciate how much more detailed this new one is, and he do, does look well good. He does look well good, and he's got to be a plastic sculpt, right? Ah, uh, he's got to be. Yeah. yeah, he does look very pretty. Um, no, I am a fan, and he's massive as well, right? Yeah, the they, the, the tree the treemen are pretty huge. Mm. Now that is quite cool, and and I suppose just if we're wrapping up all the other elements. The Necromunda stuff for the house of uh, whatever they're called. Vansar, is it? Vansar, yeah. Yeah, the Vansar. What I love about the Vansar is that obviously they've got this crazy, like, Xenos whatever technology. If it's Xenos, who knows? Blah, 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 blah. But my favourite thing, Phil, was is when uh, they revealed this on the live stream, someone, uh, you know, chimed in from the uh, Astra Militarum fan base and was like, how come Imperial Guard don't have all this? And it's like, oh, God. It's always the same, isn't it? They're never happy. Well, I sort of get... I mean, to me, I'm not a huge fan of them. They look a bit silly and just remind me of um, the... the, the, Is it Green Goblin? Yes, very much the Green Goblin vibe, yeah. Very very much that. Um, Which just... I don't know. They don't necessarily fit in with the vibe that I imagine the uh, hives to be. Obviously, you had the Underhive, uh, the initial release of the new Necromunda, and it was all very claustrophobic, which this wouldn't really fit in with, but mm. then the the newer version is much more opened up and is about sort of height and scale, so 
having fly things. I don't know. It's a, it's a very archaeotech. Uh, meant to be, I don't know, like lost STCs, for example. So mm. it's all a bit. But would you want to see the... this sort of, you know, gear in an Imperial Guard army? I think Imperial Guard <laughs> would lose a lot of their flavour if this is what they became. No, because Guard are very much meant to be grounded sort of stuff. Like hover technology is meant to be super rare. Mm. and uh, almost more restricted to, you know, custodies or space marines uh, push. Or and the Van Sar, by really, the sounds of it. And, and then Van Sar have probably the best form of it as well, yes. It was funny, I saw some really old artwork of the, like, Rogue Trader era Imperial Guard, and they used to have hover bikes uh, oh, yeah. for, like, commanders and uh, stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember, vaguely remember that. But, yeah, they don't have any of that anymore. Um, well, there you go. Sad times for all involved. So let's talk about Rust to Rust, which I'm told is a new Warzone Charadon bits and pieces. So uh, for Warhammer 40,000, what they've essentially done is they've given us some books. Everyone loves books, especially Games Workshop, because I imagine they drive very, very good margins. Um, So they're probably making quite a good amount of money out of these books. Uh, But essentially, Warzone Charadon... Uh, is a new campaign book that we are being gifted with. Uh, so essentially, a little bit of a uh, little bit of flavour text, as it were, from the uh, from the old uh, website here. What's the last thing that you want to see when you open the viewport in the morning? Viewport, I assume, being some kind of you know window on a spaceship. If you answered the terminus est, uh, I don't necessarily know what the terminus est is. Do you have any idea what that is? Is it just another name for, um, like oh. the not the nihilist, like the big rift? Oh, fair enough, fair enough, probably, and or some part of it, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's a specific area. Who knows? But anyway, the point is, if your answer was uh, the terminus est, while trembling in abject fear, then you have a lot in common with the inhabitants of the Chardon sector. Uh, fortunately. Uh, I do not have too much in common with the residents of the Chardon sector, although I am trembling in fear of yet another series of pointless campaign books from Games Workshop, uh, although I guess we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, so they gave us uh, a lovely uh, animated trailer, such as their uh, such as their way in the modern years of Warhammer 40,000. Uh, and within this lovely animated trailer, we see a bunch of images of a imperial forge world and uh you know some relatively uh you know nice illustrations of sisters of battle and uh adeptus mechanicus and some sort of space marine chapter that i have no idea what it is but he's all black and red without being deaf company uh and then yeah you see a load of uh chaos space marine stuff being led by typhus going into the sector uh and then a symbol of nurgle appears and Ooh, it's all kicking off, uh, seems to be the general imagery. Uh, And the last piece of flavour text before we get into talking about this is uh, Typhus, wayward son of Mortarian, favoured of Nurgle and host of the Destroyer Hive, seeks to exploit a weakened Imperium and claim the Forge World Metallica for his own uh, nefarious purposes, to be clear. Now, what was actually quite funny, Phil, was during the live stream... Uh, they spoke a lot about how Metallica is one of the most popular and well-known Forge worlds, but at no point could they acknowledge why that was, and I thought that was quite funny, uh, because clearly, uh, you know, the relatively litigious 
rock band by the same name tend to uh, get a little bit fidgety when their name is used out of uh, you know the context of promoting their musical endeavours. So I'm surprised that the name Metallica even stuck, but I equally enjoyed Games Workshop trying to explain to us why people like the name Metallica without actually saying any reference to the band itself. That was quite well done, didn't you think? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I, when I re, re-watched it, I, I don't know if that's necessarily what they were going for, but I think maybe that is the reason why it is more popular now. Well, it's true. It's true. Um, I mean, can you name many other, you know, Forge Worlds? R- Riser. Riser. Yeah. Look at that. You got. You, um, I mean, to be honest, you could say anything, mate. I don't actually know enough to know. I know. That's true. But um... Um, I, I also I, I I had a second guess of what uh, Terminus S might be, and I googled it, and I was correct. It is the name of the Death Guard ship oh. um, that is in the animation. So you had a second I had a guess. Recollection from a a story from the Psychic Awakening. Uh... That might have appeared. So you had a, a private second guess that you didn't confer with me on, and then you checked it online to confirm to me that you are right. Well, I was like, let's just look it up. And then I was like, as I was typing in, I was like, oh, it could be a name of a ship. Anyways. Well, there you go. There you go. I'm not I'm not sure I can trust that that's what you thought, Phil. I imagine you just looked it up on the internet, and now you're trying to come across smart. Well, I could, I could have done either, but we'll never know the true answer. <laughs> well, exactly. Although we will, because I will obviously trust you. 100% when it comes to matters such as these, because I can't imagine that you would gain anything from lying about that topic specifically. Um, but anyway, uh, so standing against him are the Adeptus Mechanicus and their epic battles will play out out in Warzone, Charden, Act 1, The Book of Rust. Heroes will stand, worlds will fall, and an entire system stands on a knife edge. There's more than just background of this epic war zone in here. The book also includes new rules. Uh, God. Sorry. New rules for Death Guard, Adeptus Mechanicus, Imperial Knights, and Tracari. Lord, give me strength, Phil. I'm so annoyed by these war zone books already. Why? So, I have a theory. And originally, my thing about this was like, oh, it's going to be like Vigilus. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if it's going to be good because, you, especially if you've got Death Guard player, you don't want to have to have your codex and then have a couple of supplementary rules um, added into this book that you also just have to buy to play a regular game or match play game or go to a tournament. Um and I suspected it, you know, if it was like Vigilus, I think it would be better. Uh, you know, specialist detachments were kind of cool and fluffy. They weren't too broken, except with a few exceptions, maybe. Uh, Psychic Awakening, I think, is a, is a bad example of a campaign book. Because to this day, I don't really know what Psychic Awakening was about. I don't really know what happened, except more psychic stuff was around. People became more psychic. Which and wasn't that, reflected in no the game idea. at all. Yeah, or even in the rules campaign that you could play, there were kind of a, a couple of missions here and there, but they didn't really feel like a strong thread. Whereas Vigilus, I actually really liked. I thought the story was really solid. It was kind of clear what happened, kind of what happens every time. Chaos comes, smashes stuff up, but the Imperium wins at the very last minute, at great cost to themselves as well. Of and, course. Uh, you know, it sort of resets where actually, you know, Vigilus um, 
you know, Abaddon's gone elsewhere. No, no main characters died. You know, the general thing of what happens in these things. Uh, but despite you know some criticism thrown in there, uh, I thought it was very good, and I loved the art, loved the story, loved a lot of it. Um, I mean, I, I enjoyed a lot of aspects of Vigilus. Like, I thought the narrative side of it was really intriguing. And obviously, the thing about Vigilus, and the thing we've always got to remind ourselves is, is Vigilus was the first of these book things that came along during a really, really well-supported series of reliefs, releases in 8th edition. So in 8th edition, we'd had Codex after Codex after Codex, and then they go, cool, here's Vigilus. And Vigilus has got loads of really cool new rules for stuff. Plus... You know, it's got the new rules for Primaris, uh, Marnius Kalgar. It's got a new character for the Chaos Space Marines. Like, when they introduced Vigilus out of the gate, and even Vigilus Book 2, because that had a load of rules in it for Abaddon and added a load of, like, Chaos stuff, there was lots and lots of cool stuff that they kind of added to it. But it came a good year, year and a half after the, you know, after the... 40k codex the main codex release yeah. and i think lots of people were expecting that lots of people probably want that to be the case mm. if these were maybe like almost mini psychic awakenings and were like here's some rules to tide you over because we know your books aren't coming for another six months yeah then maybe people would like that but the fact that one of the main players is Death Guard, and Death Guard are getting their book right now. That seems a bit odd. But my suspicion here is that it's not just regular rules to bolt into your army. When I was re-listening back, they were saying for the knights, you're getting a specific three-blade detachment. Uh-huh. Uh, for the Death Guard, you are playing as Typhus's like cohort. Uh-huh. So what I'm thinking is these are like mini sub-factions to play your army in a particular style so they it's a bit like how with psychic wing they give you scions they give you a load of cool rules specifically for scions mm-hmm. so if you're an astro military player you can go down this scion route and play like this niche sub-faction mm-hmm. within the greater codex and i think that's what this is and they do it a lot in white dwarf for uh, Age of Sigma, they, you get specialist uh, detachments and like, well, like bata- not battalions, uh, but you get these um, special battle forces mm. that are themed to one particular thing that have a sort of almost like a niche play style that is like a mini sub faction to, to a great faction that just allows you to play it with it in a slightly different way with some cool rules. Yeah, and my sus- my suspicion is that if it's that, then that's cool because as a Death Guard player. If you want to play as Typhus's cohort, cool. You've got some cool, fun rules here to play. But if you're a regular Death Guard player and you go, oh, that's not for me, you don't need the book to, you know, it's not. Well, I suppose the, the conversation then becomes, and obviously I understand that this stuff gets circulated online pretty quickly. But, you know, how do you truly know? And if you're a Death, uh, Death Guard fan, you're going to be thinking, oh, I want to buy it just to see what's going on with my favourite army or whatever, and there could be a connection there. I just think there's a couple of things that really irk me about these campaign books, right? And and, and I think Vigilus really sort of... sort of I did, Vigilus didn't leave me with a bad taste in my mouth, but it didn't leave me overly enthralled with what they were doing. But Psychic Awakening has utterly, utterly turned me off these kind of books. And... I think the problem always is with this stuff is, one, Games Workshop never do anything interesting with narratives anymore. They just don't. They've never 
taken any chances or risked anything. I mean, if you think about the new law, the new stories that they've told in the 40k universe for now the last five years because you've got to remember like the gathering storm started in what 2016 the gathering storm book started let's see it was yeah it was the year before the release of eighth edition yes three yeah so four years ago probably yeah so let's say for example gathering storm right in gathering storm all they did was they went the Crimson Slaughter are now part of the uh, of the Black Legion. Okay, cool. So, the, so you just sort of written out the Crimson Slaughter narratively, but you've still got rules for the Crimson Slaughter in Eighth Edition. And it's not Black Legion, so whatever. It was a non consequential thing, but just for a narrative in terms of when they started introducing Angels Bane and all this other stuff that was going on before the Gathering Storm. Um, and before the Gathering Storm, they had. Uh, Wrath of Magnus and 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 the the Tau campaign and all this other stuff that was going on, right? So in all of those stories, all of the major players were involved in each army. So like to use, uh, you know, the Gathering Storm as like one of the main examples. There was all sorts of conflicts going on, and and credit where credit's due to GW and the Gathering Storm, they did destroy Cadia, right? Credit where credit's due, Cadia got blown up. Cool. That was definitely kicking it off with a bang. But after then, nothing of any real substance occurs. It's always just like all the characters live. Like the devastation of Baal and the attack on Baal resulted in all of the Blood Angels basically dying, except for anyone that was a named character. They all just ended up huddled in a in a place together and just all lived. So it's like, cool, even Brother Corbelo and, you know... Tycho or whatever, even though Tycho actually is already dead in the story because he joined the Death Company or the rest of it. But, you know, bar him who died ages ago because they made him Death Company in, I think, like an Armageddon campaign. He turned to to, to the Death Company. Yeah, and then died. Apparently. And then died. But that was, again, they took some risks back then. The problem is now is it's always... The problem is, right, what is Typhus going to do in this story? Typhus is going to turn up. He's going to go, woo, plague. And then we'll read some pages about, ooh, the plague, and they'll tediously explain how bad the plague is until someone punches him a bit harder than he likes, and then he'll run away, and the plague will go with him, and it will just reset to where it was before, because they're not going to kill Typhus. Typhus isn't going to kill anyone meaningful. So after you've done two or three of these books, it's all just going to end in a nothing Unless they are genuinely ready and willing to take some risks with their storytelling. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, Commissar Yarrick is still alive in the 40k lore. That in itself is mental. <laughs> you know, it's just, they really need to, to take some yeah, risks Yeah, well, I stuff. mean, the... As I've, I've sort of said it before, like, the, the human lifespan is, you know, short, but it can be prolonged due to like re- rejuvenate treatment if you're like a super senior person or if you've you know you've got connections you're in the inquisition so i was always saying like people most of the astromilitarum characters should technically be dead because the time you know the time frame moved on a couple of hundred years yeah uh you could say oh these are all senior people and they have access to rejuvenate treatment and therefore would still be alive yeah okay i guess that's one way of do it, you know, but surely there's that. limits even to those rejuvenation treatments, you know? 
Oh, yeah, possibly. I think, uh, like, his eyes and horns. I can't remember how old he is. He's, he's, he's probably a good hundred and a bit, or maybe he's a couple of hundred years old, and I think that is meant to be the limit of that, those sorts of treatments, but I don't know for sure. I think, but I, think... I think they just use that as a general way of, you know, answering those things. You know, if you've got... I mean, I think they killed him. It was, like, the uh, banner bearer, for example. Uh, he died in the fall of Cadia. So like he wouldn't really have access to that he's just a you know he, he's not that senior in the astronaut yeah. army grand scheme of things but that was i mean he would have grown up and died by now yeah we've said it a load of times we've always used that banner bloke as the example of how ridiculous it is right it's like they just don't at the end of the day right doing what they did and, and it's other, oh god it's other things even like vigilus right like the thing that i couldn't get my head around in vigilus was like the idea that Marnius Calgar turned himself into a Primaris Marine before his encounter with Abaddon, right? So the idea is, is Marnius Calgar made himself a Primaris Marine, or did he make himself a Primaris Marine after getting mucked up by Abaddon? Um, I've got the weird experience that he just went, now I'm just going to volunteer myself, and then he had a fight with Abaddon, and and then Abaddon ran away. Uh, yes, I think it probably was so that, that order. Because he, but he weirdly got like mortally wounded twice in that story. One was right at the very beginning by the, um, not the Keeper of Secrets, but the new, um, one of the new demons. The one with the shield and the spear. Okay. Um, she, like they appeared on board the ship and stabbed him in the heart or something, and then he and, became a uh, Primaris Marine. Well, no, I, I, I think I still think you're right. I think he became Primaris first, then that happened, and although, or maybe that was the one that um, made him go to Primaris. Maybe then he had the fight with Abaddon, yeah. and then he also kind of got really bashed up again and almost on death's door, but he he pulled through eventually. Yeah, and. Um, then Abaddon got scared off. Yeah, Bye. but again, it, it's all these sorts of weird narrative things, isn't it, right? So you've got two massive warlord characters coming together and the best you can do is, oh, one of them hurt the other one and the other one hurt the other one a bit and then they ran away. It's like, it's every conflict in 40k now. It's literally, it's like it's like reading 40k lore at the moment. It's like reading, it's like watching the A-team. You know, it's like, oh, that helicopter got blown up. Oh, good thing they jumped out, and I can see them jumping out with their parachutes now. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it's weird to me. I I don't understand where. Yeah, this... I, I think Gathering Storm was the one where they did it the most. Where the uh, was it Creed, the uh, Astromitarum, like main the main guy, yeah. got sucked into a Tesseract uh, like vault um, by one of the Necrons. Yeah. They've never really done anything with that since. And it's like, if, if that's the way you're going to do it, it's like, actually, that's a good way of moving the narrative forward, killing off characters or, you know, getting lost in the warp, whatever yeah. might happen to them. But you can still play them. There's still rules for them. Like in the new Blood Angels book, you've got two versions of Tyka. You've got yeah. one before he fell to the uh, Black Rage. Yeah. Um, and then you've got one sort of afterwards. But, but historically, he's also dead as well. So yeah. time-wise, um, you know, if you're playing current 40k, uh, he's technically dead, so you shouldn't be able to play him. But I kind of like the fact that they've gone, well, actually, no, he's a cool character. You can actually play this game in any sort of time period. You yeah, could yeah. do, you know, 
35th millennium if you really want to if you want to go back and do like the bad war for example it's like there's still characters from there that you can play yeah so that's a because i've always thought the reason why you don't kill off characters is people have those models you don't want to destroy factions you don't want to destroy home worlds necessarily maybe uh of those people they, they did it with Cadia. they could have done it with you know fenris as well you know, during that uh magnus debacle mm. um but yeah killing off characters but just still giving them the rules and say yeah this person's still you can still play with them like yeah. there's no reason why not i think that's a good way of solving that problem where they okay. can move the story forwards i mean I totally, introduce... I, I totally understand why abaddon can't die right like i understand oh yeah but the thing is is then just make him a monster and don't put him in situations where he's fighting characters that you also don't want him to kill off have him get into a brawl with first captain sicarius from the ultramarines and have him murder him and then just move on you know what i mean like yeah. give him like like sort of you name characters that aren't actual named characters with models no no it's even like, name uh... characters with models because that's the thing that drives me mad is when they go oh here's token character that we're going to kill like give me one that's got a model like you know he could have killed captain um he could have killed um chief librarian um uh, tigarius you know, he could have killed someone. You know, it doesn't need. Yeah. There is definitely a good range of old models that you could use as an excuse to retire them. Like especially old Space Marines. Yeah. There's plenty of them. But, but, not, but they're not retire the miniature. But just obviously, you know, let it exist and let you keep using it. But just... oh yeah, like there's they, they could, you could still go. Yeah, here's the model. Here's the rules for him. But also, here's a brand new, shiny new model of someone who might be either replacing him as a direct uh, like rank, yeah. for example. Um, it's a bit like that Dark Angels character that was that you said was all in but name a Primaris version of a named character. Yes. Yeah. 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 But uh, wasn't, Lazarus... he's just a new guy. Yeah. But it's like a... just do that. <laughs> Yeah, but that's the thing that sort of gets on my nerves a bit with this stuff. It's like, and the other thing that irks me about this stuff always is, is that GW throw out this token statement every time where they're like, but don't worry, everyone, this will involve every army. So everyone's going to get rules. It's like, God, can we not have a campaign where everyone's involved for once? Can we not just have a really nice, tight, sensible narrative where... A couple of warring factions are resolving a conflict in a part of space that doesn't involve everything. It's like you don't need to shoehorn in the Gene Steeler cult and the Tyranids and the Drakari and the Craftworlds and the, you know, and the Necro. You don't need to put it all in the same place. Just go, cool, this is Death Guard attacking a Forge world. Yeah, Therefore, that was the thing that the actual Forger World books did really well. Like, really tight stories. Normally, like, one to two factions aside, and, like, that was it. And what they did really well, which this book might do, which I didn't think it would, is create really interesting... Like, they gave you new armies, mm. but a lot of the time it was sort of sub-factions. So, Fall of Orpheus, which was the first book I got, which had Cregan... It was the second version of the Krieg army. It was the assault army. So the original uh, Siege of Rax uh, Krieg is all about artillery. This had like a bit more of a tank 
uh, tank assault list. And then you got the Minotaurs in there as the other Imperium army, which is just, a, you know, a chapter of Space Marines, uh, but with their own rules, their own characters. They You've seen them before from a previous, uh, like from the Badab War books. So they've just re-updated them in this one. And then mm. you had a unique dynasty for the Necrons, which was, and you also had the new rules for the new models, like the the uh, pylons, um, the bomber, for example, nitrab bomber, and um, the little scarabs and stuff, uh, like the tomb stalkers. Uh, so they were all in there, but you could also play it as a unique sort of sub-faction, which was really cool. And it's like, if you're a Necron player and you want to get some Forge World models, you get this book because it's got the rules for those Forge World models in. But also you can then play your entire Necron army in a completely different way. Well, not completely mm. different, but like a slightly different way because of the unique rules and, and characters that were yeah. in there. And if this is what these do, that would be a great way of doing these campaign books mm. um if it is more like psychic awakening where it's like here's some really essential core rules that should be in your codex that we've just taken out and we've dangled in here that would be really annoying but uh, and they haven't really clarified it too much but re going back over and listening to the uh stream again it seems like potentially these are going to be more like niche f sort of mini faction rules which yeah. i would like I don't mind that. I just find the thing is, again, it's like, it feels like too soon to be doing these Warzone books. It's like, I just I just worry about the rate that they're releasing books. And on that topic, obviously, we've got the Warzone Chardon. But then, insanely, they're also doing a Plague Purge mission pack, which is heavily themed around Chardon Warzone and hosts of specific crusade rules for it so this is by all accounts a narrative book right the book of rust warzone chardon is a narrative book but the narrative gaming system crusade and the associated rules are not included in your narrative book you have to buy a specific mission pack to accompany your f book of law. I mean, am I going crazy or does that seem really, really dumb? Well, I mean, my assumption is that in the main book, the Warzone book, you're going to have a bunch of match play missions. You're going to have a couple of like Echoes of Wars, a bit like what you used to get. You can do like a campaign in there maybe. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it is just Cup of Echo Wars rather than Vigilus style, which was like a proper campaign system. Might have both. Uh, the Crusade book is just going to be the specific Crusade thing. So mm. the missions are all tailored for Crusade. Because there's a lot of people, you know, we haven't played Crusade yet. So, you you know, we might pick up Warzone Chardon and be like, cool, let's play a couple of missions from that. We don't need to be overwhelmed with the whole campaign system that uh, Crusade is just mm. to do a couple of missions. So I, I kind of get why they've split them out, but it also does seem a bit silly. Like they could have really embraced Crusade and just had it as a, you know, 30 extra pages in the book. Yeah. Cause you've got to assume that this Warzone book's going to cost you like 30 quid. And then the Crusade book, I assume is going to be the same price as the last Crusade book, which was about, 15 quid 
Yeah, I mean they're they're trying to keep the format of those, you know, the the ring bound books. So I, I sort of get why they're doing in them all like that. Mm. Um, I, I guess it's like you've got your main book and then you've got a companion piece to it, and that's how they're trying to do it. Which, I mean, I don't. It, it, if you're doing the Crusade book, it's like you could literally just buy that and not know much about the Warzone oh, wow. child. You don't have to read the law, so you could just do it on its own but most people would have to buy both i think the crusade mission pack beyond the veil was 25 pounds phil what i find odd about that is you know that never got a Warzone thing it's like they really bigged it up for release of necrons they released that crusade book but beyond that it's like been and gone on with the next thing it's like i sort of like it when they dwell on stuff a bit and things oh, yeah totally i mean this is I thought madness. that was going to be like the new Vigilus, and it, and it wasn't. It was a bit of a flash in the pan. And and what makes me concerned as well for these Crusade players is is this just feels like a very obvious attempt to aggressively monetize some of the more casual aspects of the game because this rate of releases for Crusade-specific scenarios to me seems absolutely maddening. I'm like, well... Who is really getting that much out of Crusade that, you know, a couple of months on, a few months on from the initial rulebook release, then the the Necron release? Now they need this. It's like, it's like calm down, guys. Like, well, I, I think the thing there is the, the veil of the veil of darkness. The the, the Necron book was very much like if beyond you're not a Necron, veil, yeah. Sorry, beyond veil. If you're not a Necron player, would you pick that up to be like we're going to play in this setting? But none of us in our gaming group are Necron players, well, but know. we can still do it. Like I sort of think they're doing like one faction-specific uh, Crusade book each, like for every faction. So you know, when the Astra Militarum one comes around, or maybe they just do the villains, so to speak. So non-Imperiums is how they might do it. But if they did it for every faction, uh, which I guess they haven't, because they haven't done it for Space Marines. Space Marines no. has been already. Anyway, they'll do a bunch, so hopefully at least everyone will buy at least one book. And it's like, cool, do you want to do my crusade in this uh, war zone because I've got Death Guard? Or do you, oh, you're Necrons, let's do your one there for this month or whatever. So, I mean, what, I, I mean, you're spoiled for choice, but I don't think you're meant to play every single one. Sincerely, if someone from Games Workshop does listen to the show, and I'm going to assume maybe someone does, can someone there please do a better job of explaining what Crusade is and why anyone should care? Like, I, And I know I say this as someone who doesn't play it and hasn't bothered reading it and doesn't understand it, but I don't feel like you've given me a reason to care. And I'm trying to understand and I want to know why this book is a thing, and why I need to buy it and why I need to be aware of it. Because at the moment I'm just like... Ugh. I'm just I'm completely befuddled by it. I don't understand what it is, why it matters, and why why anyone wants it. It just it really confuses me. And to give us a Warzone book so early on into this edition is also another bit of a of a black mark for me. So genuinely, when they went, here's Warzone Child, and I was like, oh god, no. And then then they went, here's the Crusade book that accompanies it. I was like, what? Why does there need to be a Crusade book that accompanies it now? And again, I don't want to sort of seem like I'm being really blinkered or seem like I'm being really unreasonable. But I'm someone, as are you, Phil, who it's in my interest to understand the comings and goings and the mechanisms 
that make 40k work you know i mean i do a fortnightly podcast i need to know what i'm talking about to an extent i still have had no inclination to learn about or don't feel like i've been given any real reason to care about crusade and i think games workshop has done a terrible job since the initial announce of making me care about this system now maybe that's because i'm just shut off from it because i've chosen not to be interested but I genuinely don't feel like they've done anything to make me interested. I, I mean, you seemed like a relative advocate for it, Phil. Do you know what's going on with it? Um, well, I, I, I've got the general gist. I've, I've still not got around to reading the rules in the mm. book, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've got the Space Mean Codex, and I've, I've basically flicked through it a couple of times and looked at some pretty pictures and some stats. Like, I still haven't had time to even delve into the Space Mean Codex, so... Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm aware of Crusade. I still think it's good. I I, I think it's I, I'd like to play it. And obviously, half the problem is we just don't have the ability to play games much at yeah. the moment. Um, and you know, if if that was slightly different, then maybe we would have de- dipped our toes into it. So far, I keep keep saying it. We should probably do a. a, a segment on the show one time where we go through the campaign rules because then it would force at least one of us to read the rules probably <laughs> me and explain it to you and joe yeah and then you and then you sniff your nose turn your nose up at it and be like i'm just going to play match play tournament games see you later guys well, um but, but at least we would have done it and maybe i could convince you otherwise I would be open to playing Crusade if I knew what the what it was. You know what I mean? Like if I could, and, and I know I can educate myself, but I just feel like I just don't feel like there's enough tangible information out there to make it a viable thing. And I don't understand. And the thing is, as well, I don't understand what the the quality control is or the or the balance mechanics. I mean, here's the thing: I could just start lying to you tomorrow, Phil, and saying, "Oh, me and Joe started playing Crusade," and 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 then I could create an army that's got loads of perks and benefits. Which I'm told they'll balance out or whatever, but it's just that thing. I just sort of find it all very weird. I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it, and I don't think Games Workshop's done a very good job of allowing me to get it. And I especially don't get it when they're releasing, you know, thirty, forty quid books like Warzone Charden, and then telling me that I've got to buy a twenty-five book pound book on top of it to get the full experience. It's like. Just feels like a really, really shoddy business practice and something that I'm not in, invested in. And that's the thing. At this point of the of the update, I was super, super bummed. But then they went, and here's Drakari, and all of a sudden my mood changed. I was like, oh, thank God, Drakari. This is something to get excited about. So the Real Space Raiders, the Drakari, uh, the first Xenos Codex of 2021. And obviously the first Xenos Codex... Oh no, the second Xenos Codex of all 40k. Uh, because obviously the Necrons are Xenos. Uh, Xenos. Um, but yeah, it looks like, based off the Incubi uh, stats that we can see, that they've made some severe improvements or, you know, changes to the way that this army is going to function. So they're still going to be very much a glass cannon, as they should be. But it definitely feels like now they're going to have much more of that cannon aspect on uh, on lockdown so to speak so i mean what's your vibe on what you saw of the Drakari stuff i mean the artwork's pretty if nothing else right well that's true um and the rules seemed pretty good mm. um you know is, is there much to say like yeah it, they, they seem cool 
I was slightly perplexed how uh, two of the weapon options have the exact same profile. So I was like, I don't get why they give them to you. But obviously one has the flexibility of uh, doing both profiles. In fact, if because you've got two different weapon types, mm-hmm. I presume your squad you can load out with one or the other. One option allows you to do the exact same thing as the other one, but also function in a slightly different manner. Man, now maybe it's just the points cost that's going to be different. So the the option to fight in two different profiles is more expensive than the one that just allows you to fight with one. Yeah. So so to be clear, so the demi clave is a uh, clave X only weapon. If that makes sense. So. The the, 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 the the regular weapon, as in the bottom profile, the clave, is the weapon that all the regular incubi wield. And the um, the uh, clave X, which is like the exarch or sergeant or whatever you want to call it, he is the only one that can wield the demi-claves. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, because it says everything's equipped with a glaive, but it doesn't didn't actually say in that little profile snippet of uh yeah it's because obviously they've they've not given you the full kind of insight yeah. on, on okay that makes options. sense so they're good he's better because he's got more options yes okay. yeah yeah so he's got more flexibility if you if you need him to but I, I mean again the fact that they've increased their attacks to free the fact that they've gone to weapon skill two plus really really tells you a lot of good things are uh you know on the way for um, for, for, for the Drakari and for, I think, all codexes moving forwards. I think if they've managed to... And, and I think the Drakari are going to be really an interesting one to try and sort of showcase this to us, but if they have captured the, the spirit of the army, if they have made it a super fragile, super mobile, but devastatingly aggressive army, I think we could be, you know, moving towards some very, very good rules for all armies in, in ninth edition, which I think is really great. Um, I think, you know, again, I would have preferred, obviously, if the craft worlds had come before the Drakari, but I think the reality of the situation is, is that the craft worlds need a serious update in terms of model range. Uh, so I feel like Drakari, which is a mostly plastic range now, albeit a few things, you know, outstanding, um, Drakari fans know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, there, there, there are more kind of content complete range in terms of their plastics. And I think as a result of that, I think that is a good thing for for them to get a codex sooner. But yeah, I'll be very excited when the when the craft world stuff finally comes around. But yeah, this has given me a lot of hope for um, for what's coming around the corner for um, for, for every other faction. Um and I guess on the topic of other factions, we also saw that the Dark Angels uh, will be coming out. Uh, so we pretty much guessed this already, but the Dark Angels are going to be coming out early part of 2021 as well. Uh, no word on whether that will be accompanied by Lionel Johnson, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Dark Angels, I mean, again, it's a codex supplement. Uh, it's really the last codex supplement that we need uh, to, you know, to at least finish off aspects of the space marines i think they do also need to go back and redo ultramarines white scars imperial fists raven guard iron hands 
and whoever I just forgot, the Salamanders. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Dark Angels. Hopefully they'll make them so they're not quite as ridiculously good as they were in uh, in in their index. Because if they're going to be bringing, you know, units of Terminators that you can only wound on four pluses and are fearless, and that's going to maintain itself as a long-standing rule, I think that's going to be a little bit crazy, don't you, Phil? Quite likely. <laughs> But there you go. So, look, I mean, on the whole, they confirmed a bunch of stuff is happening. I think, you know, Drakari players have got a lot to be excited about and hopefully more information will come quickly on that. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of this Warzone book, I'm relatively underwhelmed. Um, I think the problem that they they didn't really sell it very well because they sort of announced it, gave us a couple of sentences to say there's some stuff in it and then just moved on. And it's like, no, no show us like tell us more explain what it is like is it a campaign system is it you know just go into it more and i guess this is a sort of always a problem with uh warhammer stuff because they they've got to have an either like another preview or when this book comes out they're going to have a ton of like you know warhammer community articles so it's like they held a lot back because obviously they want to drip feed that content to us over a longer period of time which is a bit frustrating because it just leaves us and other people just to speculate on what is in that book and they mm. weren't particularly clear i think they i think from what i gather from death guard players they were a bit disappointed because they're like oh wait i'm buying a codex that's just coming out and then i have to buy this other book for more rules that you know if they clarified the difference between the two made it clear that these are you know either campaign specific rules or you know sort of sub factions like whatever it might be or if it is sort of psychic awakening bolt-on rules uh, yeah. for your main army then they should have been a bit more crystal clear about that and i think that was the thing that they fell down mm -hmm. on because they sort of announced it brushed over it and then moved on yeah i totally agree with you i think um yeah it was just a little bit underwhelming i suppose in that regard and the thing is i don't like to hate on gw i mean you know obviously if i can i will be positive about them because i you know genuinely enjoy the hobby and i genuinely you know tend to you know buy a lot of this stuff but i definitely am curious whether i will bother buying these uh these warzone books and whether i'll, I'll, I'll bother with it because i don't know I'm just not overly, overly excited about it. I think right now I'd just like to see them focus on codex releases. I'd like to see them focused on simplifying the game and, 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 and scaling it back, you know? I mean, I, I, I want a system where most players can turn up with one book and that's everything they need for their army, you know? that's That's the system I like. I don't like... The fact that, you know, I mean, it's annoying enough as a Space Marine player with Death Watch that I've got to have the Space Marine Codex and a Death Watch supplement. The idea that I then need to add this Warzone book to that, you know, already, it's just a bit... just makes me a little bit... It just makes me a little bit anxious, mate. It makes me a little bit frustrated. I can feel... Uh, yeah, I, so, I sort of get that. Like, um, yeah, I can understand. Yeah. I'm just, you know, even talking about it, it's difficult to articulate what I felt when I saw it, but I was just like, no. Because, <laughs> again, as much as I like Vigilus, and I do like aspects of Vigilus as a, as a thing, and it was good for its moment in time, 
you know, I think the thing is, is like the the release schedule is so relentless. You know, Vigilus came out in what 2018, and okay, fair enough, that's two years ago, whatever. But it's already dead. You know, like nothing in Vigilus works in a gaming sense. You can still buy the book and read it for law purposes, but. Well, you can still use the specialist attachments for games, with the exception of the uh, GT mission pack. I think that's the only place where they've taken it out. I'm assuming also Crusade, because Crusade has its own mechanics as well. So if you're just doing, you know, regular, you know, out the book, or if you're doing this campaign book, technically you could still do the specialist attachments. Um, The fact that it's only been a few years and those things have sort of been and gone might make people go why would i invest in this if in a year's time you're gonna say for balance reasons these things aren't playable yeah which is what i liked about vigilus you know you said campaigns where everyone is in it is a bit naff and i agree with you i think the only army that they didn't have in there was necrons but pretty much everyone else was in there and that made it like a, an event. It made it a moment in time where everyone bought that book because there were cool rules in it for their army. You could all play it together, with the exception of Necrons. Uh, poor them. Um, but it made it something that we all got invested in, and it was like a cool like, six months where we were all like, ha-ha, yes, Vigilus. And it was like a moment in time that we could all be a part of. Psychic Awakening was a bit weird where it's like you only really bought your specific book. And this one might be similar where I mean, I don't have a problem with them doing like 10 different campaign books, but each campaign book is three or four factions. So you're only really going to buy it if you, you're one of those factions, because mm. then you, you care about that campaign versus those other people. Um, but I sort of see why they try and ram in all the other factions as well. Because it, you know, if this campaign book is specific to, um, what do they say? So Death Guard, Adeptus Mechanicus, Imperial Knights, Drakari. Out of those, it's like Joe's got Drakari, you've got Knights. And Mechanicus. Oh, have you? Oh, yeah. Well, because you've got everything. So you have the exception that sort of goes against the rules. (laughs) Tim's got Death Guard. So let's say if we, we exclude you from the equation, it's like Tim's got Death Guard. Uh, Joe's got Drakari. I can't play in this campaign. Uh, Richard can't play in this campaign. Uh, and you could, obviously. Um, and that's the problem when you limit it down is it excludes people that don't have those armies. Mm. And normally there's always rules to, oh, you can just substitute one army for another. It's not really a problem. But thematically, it kind of breaks the immersion of the whole campaign. So... I sort of see why they throw everyone in the kitchen sink into a campaign, even though it just seems silly, because it is. Um, So if they do a bunch of them and everyone gets their own book and gets some cool rules out of it that is maybe like a cool sub-faction, like a, you know... like So there might be a new Astra Militarum one that is is a new uh, Astra Militarum regiment, and it's like, you can play guard in this way and if you do that you get some cool relics you get some new warlord traits but it's like locked away to one specific new regiment it's like that's kind of cool if i want to get it i'll I'll get it and if i don't want to play using that it's like it's cool i've still got my new codex when it comes out with all the rules i don't need this book but if i want to play a particular play style of my army then i can it's a bit like now it's like anyone can sort of go i want to play krieg 
if you're a guard player. Obviously, there's some specific models for it, but you know, imagine Krieg had a bunch of relics and moral traits and stuff, and so like, oh, cool, I'll just pick up the Forge World book as yeah, it yeah. was before, basically. But then most guard players never did. Like they were like, no, I'm cool playing with my Codex army. Um, so they, if it's, if I it's suppose, I suppose I the, think it could be really good. Yeah, I suppose the problem I'm experiencing and the frustrations I have is is because I'm a bit of a lunatic who likes to try and collect everything. And this, well, is, yes, yeah. And this is the first time for a long time where I've started to feel a little bit like, you know what, I can't keep pace with this release schedule anymore. It's just getting a bit too on top of me, and I'm not. It's it's weird to me to see something and think oh, I might I might skip that because I've I've not done that for a while. But I'm definitely yeah, buying that's... Codex Tracari. Definitely buying Codex Tracari. I might even kick uh, start another Tracari army again. Oh, madness. I know. Maybe I well, could... Well, just uh... give, it, give it six months and you can buy Joe's. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair to him, he's managed to hold on to that um, relatively well. But um... There's one true love, that's why. Well, that's it. That's it. But yeah, maybe I could uh, get a Drakari uh, army and then I could, uh, you know, start going on to Paulie's podcast. <laughs> yes. Join that Where, where you're the guest and don't have to edit anything. I think that would be nice. That would be a nice change. On the topic of editing, it's now... Half past ten, the Friday before this thing goes out. So I better get on and uh, edit the whole thing together, aren't I? No, I bet you best you best get on. I won't be going. This to is sleep. probably going to be a very lengthy podcast. Yeah, I think we're. I think we're. This could be the longest podcast we've ever made. Huzzah! Huzzah! Well done, us. Well done. All right, cool. Well, look, anyway, as a, as a release went, I think you know it's cool that Dark Angels are coming out. It's cool that Dracaria are coming out. <laughs> I've got mixed feelings about the Warzone stuff, but at least it's something. I would, again, whatever, right? I mean, it's, eh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Well, it'll once be... we know more, we can judge it better. Yes. It's, it's sort of too early to tell, I, I think. That's true. That's true. There we go. 30% extra cow. That's all I know. <laughs> That's how it goes. Right. Cool. That's the end of that. Transitional noise. And that's it, everybody. The end of episode 64 of the Warhammer 40,000 podcast known as Lookout Sir 40K. That's twice now that I've started without necessarily calling the podcast by its name, but referring to it as Warhammer 40,000 and then remembering that's not the title of the show. My brain's obviously all over the place today. How was the show for you, Phil? Uh, Long. (laughs) I mean, that is partially your fault, though, mate. Apparently, yeah. I mean, you were there in every every bit. You know, it's not Joe's fault. It's long. It's 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 very much yours and mine. This is a thing with me and Phil, though. We 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 seem like when me and Phil talk about the length of the podcast episodes, we we you know very foolishly sort of suggest that you know when it's just me and Phil talking, oh, it's more efficient and you know because it's just the two of us, we get through it so much better and quicker. The truth is, is I feel like me and Phil are the worst. I think when it's just you and me, Phil, we go on longer than Well, no, the ever. thing is, we, we go on longer, but we're on topic. We're not talking about cartoons. Oh, I see. Uh, that is true, I suppose. So you're it's, saying... It's that... longer, but pure 40k content. That is true. That is true. I mean... Longer and more robust, mm, what we're saying. That's it. Good girth to it. Absolutely. Healthy, strong, powerful. Um, I mean, Joe, why didn't you turn up for the second segment? And uh, you know, why, why did you let us down like that? Well, I've been, I've been working. Oh, working, he says. 
Dear, oh dear. What have you been working on this week, Joe? Well, I'm currently... Uh, uh, well, uh, as, as you know, I don't do any work whilst we record these, but... No, of course, I obviously am, not. Um, currently building and painting Fallout... Uh, what is it? Wasteland Warfare miniatures. That sounds terrible. The models are actually quite nice, unlike the game. <laughs> but the, um, I haven't played the game yet. I really want to. Um, it seems quite role-play-esque. There's lots of counters and cards and, and things going on. Nice. But the models are cool. Um, I've enjoyed painting them. It's a, it's a nice break from 40k, because like like, they're multi-part kits, but every model is kind of pre-molded kind of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. So when you buy it, you buy that one specific model. Mm. They're single sculpts and they've got their own scenic bases. But it's a nice change from 40k because you've got to paint each model differently. Yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. And like, they're all, like lots of them, some guys like in military kind of attire, but then some of them are like in bright orange kind of spaceship jumpsuits. Nice. And there's like a man who's just wearing brown pants and a leather harness. Just wearing yeah. brown pants? I assume you mean trousers. No, they're just like... Just pants? Like, yeah, brown, shorty pant things. Oh, really? Like, like, yeah. I suppose the like apocalypse wasn't very kind to that one. No. Left him with yeah. only his pants. Well, there's that, but you, you, like, you only get the one vault dweller in, okay. in the new outfit. But you do get the dog, dog meat. Lot, yeah, he's cool. I mean, it must be nice in a way, because, I mean, I've been building uh, Inceptors... Uh, over the last like 24 hours and yeah. even little models like inceptors right you think to yourself it's a space marine with a jump pack and back in the day a space marine with a jump pack and again i might be wrong but it was comprised of one set of legs a torso that came in two halves that you stuck together so three bits a head that you put on top of it so four bits uh a couple arms so six bits a couple shoulder pads eight bits and then a jump pack, which was two bits, i.e. Yeah. You, you stuck them together and you stuck them on. So you had like ten pieces to a jump pack marine of old. Putting together yeah. an Inceptor, I mean, it must be, what, 20 bits or something to this thing? It's like, it's just too much. I am getting quite well, irritated. because well. you're, you're, you're not doing the easy build versions. There aren't easy build versions of Inceptors. Yeah, there are. Oh, of course there is. Only yes. dark, the Dark Imperium sets. Yeah, but I want I want I want the plasma gun ones though, you see. Ah, uh, well, yeah, that's where you're going wrong. Is that where I'm going wrong? I need to just be doing the bolters. Uh, well, no, what? you could well or you actually probably what you could have done is got loads of the generic easy build ones uh-huh. and then bought the plasma online because no one was no one was uh actually using them in 8th edition. That's so true. there was loads of those bits online. Mm. Imagine they've probably skyrocketed in price, though, given how good and popular they are now. Well, now, yes. Yeah. But just to put it in context, right, the jump pack that goes on the back of the Inceptor has as many pieces to it as the entire Assault Marine that used it. It's got it t- it's ten bits to just put the jump pack together. Yeah, the new the new line of Marine stuff is certainly... Like lacking in something because the thing I liked about the old Marines was that every single Space Marine kit was compatible. Mm. Like that 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 whole line of models are so well designed. Mm. 
so customizable. It was great. I kind of feel it's. I really feel it's something that the Primaris Marine line is lacking in. Mm. Well, they are all compatible, but between the armors, so the Gravis is all compatible, and the uh, Phobos is all compatible, and then the. I mean, even to an extent, the, the arms and stuff between Phobos. I don't think, I don't think the these Inceptors are compatible with anything other than the arms. Uh, yeah, the, ar- the arms are probably the only bit on them. Yeah. That's because it's, there's not much in the way of Gravis stuff at the moment. Well, that's true. That's true. But yeah, it is one of those things where it is a bit of a... It's just a bit of a... This is the thing. I don't mind... Um, like I, I feel like we were at the sweet spot in models about maybe eight years ago like where it was enough cool stuff that you could do stuff if you wanted to but putting a model together wasn't a massive massive faff whereas it seems like now if you buy a kit that came out in you know 2020 um or you buy a kit that came out in like 2019 2018 the last like few years there's so much stuff to them there's so much Kibble. I, that you get I, I think that's like a converter's paradise. I think. Yeah, but actually, some of us aren't converters. Some of us just want to play the game. <laughs> like oh just... yeah. Then you then you just need to go on eBay and buy all the really old one piece Space Marines from no, what, but second I want, edition. I want the new fang- I want the new fangled cool stuff. I just don't like the aggro of putting it all together. Well, yeah. it's still part and parcel with such a detailed kit, though. Unfortunately, I don't know, mate. I reckon they could. I reckon they could achieve something in between. With with less, air. in fact, they already do. I know, I know they can make these easier because I've seen the easy build versions of them. Well, yeah, the the easy build, um, the easy build ones have actually got more detail on them. What's that? The easy build ones have actually got more detail on them. Because, oh, controversial! Because like, the because they come with like the um, the ammo pouches and the pistol holster, oh, pre molded on, pre molded on, and they're in like a good position. Whereas when you use the multi-part kits and you kind of you put the the ammo pouches and the holster on or the dagger or even the purity seals, they're all just jutting out at awkward angles. They're never like a a nice, comfortable fit. Mm. No, I agree with you on that yeah. one. They're but, a bit fiddly. I mean, the only downside is is that the um the shoulder pads. If they could do an easy build where the shoulder pads weren't part of it, yes, know, I agree. That's what I'd want. I think that would have been. In yeah, case... I mean, it does take a bit of effort to take them off. It's doable, but it's it's not easy. It's just time-consuming, more mm. than anything. Yeah. The other thing as well, I will say, on the um, incessors side of things, specifically if you want to use them as Death Watch, as I'm intending to, the Death Watch shoulder pad does not want to go on these things whatsoever without some serious work being done. Um, and I mean, when I say serious work, obviously that's a... A relative term, but I mean, you have to really chop up the uh, the, the shoulder pad to get it to go on because essentially the the Terminator shoulder pad, which is the only shoulder pad you can get that goes on to the intercessors. Um, oh, sorry, not intercessors, interceptors. Oh, right, anyway, whatever it's called. The point is, yeah, they've got like this like um, raised like you know shoulder guard bit to it, and or neck guard or whatever whatever it is. You have to chop all of that off and then green stuff over where you've done it because, yeah. But it's the only way you can get it to fit because there's just no room for the for the raised piece to fit, um, which is a massive pain in the bum. I, I have to admit, I am surprised that with the release of the Death Watch Codex, they didn't get around to doing a Death Watch 
Primaris shoulder pad range. Because it is a bit bonkers, you know? Oh. Well, I guess they've already got the the existing sprue, and it's like it does include all the bits. Well, it doesn't. You don't get get shoulder pads for Phobos. You don't get shoulder pads for... um, You don't really get enough shoulder pads to do the Gravis stuff. I'm just well, surprised. no, you get, like, a couple, mainly. Yeah. You compare that to what you get if you go to, um... If you if you look at, like, you know, the Ultramarines or Blood Angels Primaris shoulder pad ranges, they're just, they're just much better. Much better equipped for the job, you know? Yeah, that's true. And then you end up in a weird scenario, like what Joe did when he built the, uh, the aggressors that uh, I now own, because he ended up putting the Death Watch shoulder pads on the wrong arm because because of how he correctly interpreted the where they need to be on the miniature but unfortunately yeah. it means that you know all the aggressors have got the uh, the death watch shoulder pad on the right arm which is uh, which is incorrect technically but anyway what can you do incorrect but is there any way they bloody fit on i know i know unless you chopped them all to bits yeah because yeah because the aggressors the way the aggressors um like front like raised um shoulder guard thingies work is is that they kind of come out in front um and then the way the terminator one works for the death watches is they come out behind so yeah, yeah it's a bit of a weird one so yeah very odd very odd scenario i just i just like them to have done new death watch uh, new death watch shoulder pads that would have been nice of them but you can't have everything i guess can you you can't have everything you know shouldn't moan shouldn't moan you should continue. Well, clearly, I am. Um, but there we go. Anyway, uh, any other things that we wanted to talk about at this precise moment in time? I mean, you know, you've got any exciting plans going on for the weeks ahead? Things that you know we want to talk about? Um, new. I suppose you're going to talk about it in the in the, the thing, aren't you? Well, potentially, we haven't recorded it yet. We still might well, not. Have... I don't know. The 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 the, the... The announcement video stuff. Which announcement video stuff? Games Workshop. They did the live, didn't they? They did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Previews and things. But what what in particular were you interested in about from that? The Drakari, obviously. Oh, yeah, well, we won't have obviously had a chance to get your opinions on the Drakari because you won't join us for the bit we're recording later. If we even record it. So, what do you reckon of Drakari, Joe? I'm well excited. I'm super duper. I saw uh, I saw your former colleagues at Real Space Raiders smashed out an episode straight away. Oh yeah, they 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 threw that out there. You know? Which makes sense though, right? I mean, it's only logical. I think I think it's again yet another reassuring sign of what the health of the game will be like in a year's time once they've been able to roll out all of these new rules. Because yeah. although you can look at the Incubi and go they are really strong, and I definitely would agree with that. I think they are really strong, but also look really good within the context of what the game is going forwards. And I think I just I don't know. I'm very excited about it. I think it's I think it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be a headache for a while because I think a lot of people will need to adjust to the changes that they make because obviously changing the weapons so dramatically, changing the profiles like they have, is going to take some getting used to. But well, fa- sorry, Joe. I was gonna say, well, that, they they talked about the idea that obviously Eldar, Drakari, stuff like that. They're all they're a high they're glass hammer army. They're high 100%. damage output, but incredibly weak. Mm. And obviously, 
they were that currently now are incredibly weak and don't have a high damage output because mm. of how good other armies have become in recent times. So obviously that's something they've talked about that they're addressing. So like the 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 shooting and close combat abilities of these armies is gonna is gonna go through the roof mm. soon. Which is which is gonna be great. So I'm really excited to see about that. Um and it also means that they'll be able to compete against marine armies and stuff like that. Mm. But also, like you said, it's a good sign for armies that aren't really pulling big numbers at the moment mm. as well. Um, well, Stu Black said from the outset, didn't he, of when they announced Ninth Edition, uh, or maybe it was uh, the other one, Phil's mate. What's your the name of the other guy, guy Phil? Um, I don't think he took me out. Um, well, mate, you know, Peter Foley. Thank you, Peter Foley. Peter Foley. Um, both of them were saying like the goal is, is that we don't want you to have any easy options. We don't want you to be able to break forty k. We want it to be tough. And I actually think, based on what I've seen so far with stuff that's happening, and I know people think I'm crazy when I say all this sort of stuff, but I genuinely think the game is getting really, really healthy and really better. And I can see a lot of those design decisions in what they're releasing. I mean, they put out a load of information about all the stuff the blood angels are getting and i look at it and i go yeah that's really good but i don't look at it and go yeah that's really good but it's broken you know yeah i just think it looks really interesting the people who call stuff broken are kind of looking at it in a vacuum oh absolutely that's really good against my army in this one specific situation kind of thing i see that i see that a lot though right joe i see a lot of people like one of the things that's become really evident during the last year of the the pandemic and the lockdown stuff is we've got a lot more armchair pundits having a lot more say over what they think is good and what is bad and all the rest of it. And I do worry that that is skewing the narrative because before people like that could make those comments, but the proof was in the execution. And because we were having tournaments, multiple tournaments every week, we knew what was good because we could see and you could prove it. Whereas now People are getting all up in arms about Outriders for Death Watch. Oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's ridiculous. It is strong. I'm not going to deny that. But I think if you actually played against it, and I've already played eight games with my new Death Watch list that I'm working on, and that has two units of five Outriders in it, I will safely say it's not as strong as people think it is. It is strong, very strong, but not game-breakingly strong. Like you know what I mean? Like it's it's not in the yeah. same ballpark as um, as uh, what I don't know what what assault centurions even represented as iron as imperial fists a year ago. Yeah, I think the problem is though with outriders is they're strong. They're really strong in relation to the rest of the codex. So mm. it's like you they're an auto include, right? And that's not really what you want from a. The thing is, I don't think they are, having played them a lot more, they do have some. They are just. The thing about Outriders, you've got to understand, is, especially the Deathwatch Outriders, they are expensive, better Space Marines, but they're only as good as an Intercessor, but it's a, it's a four wound Intercessor. It's like basically. Basically, the best way I could describe Outriders to you, it's like taking two uh, Intercessors that move 14 inches. That's literally what it feels like to play them. They're not they're not as strong as people say they are. Because when you charge these guys in, unless they're charging against the right thing, if you charge into GSC or Elder or Guard, 
they mince you, but they charging in them charging into a regular squad of intercessors doesn't do as much as you think it does. It does work, but it doesn't do as much as you think. They're not a they're not a brainless unit that you can just chuck into your army and win with. But I think the problem is is the internet looks at it and goes, when it charges, it's got six attacks and it shoots four times. This thing is ridiculous. It's like, well, if I charged you with two intercessors, they'd get six attacks and they'd shoot four times. You know, OK, they wouldn't move 14 inches, but that's literally the only thing they've got over a regular intercessor. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. People, but The problem is the internet gets in the red and no one can disprove it because no one's playing regularly enough. And because people start going, these are the best things, these are the best things, these are the best things. It's like, you know, I mean, toughness five and four wounds is definitely good, but you pay a premium for them. Um, so I don't know. I mean, all I'm saying is I think more and more I've seen the internet now take hold of these ideas and run with them because no one's really been there to challenge it or there's no practical data. And I think the problem is, and, and, I, and I know, Joe, you experience this a lot. There's a lot of instances where people on the internet get an idea in their head about what is good. And a lot of the time, they're completely wrong. I mean, I don't know, Joe, you, you, you tell me your thoughts on this, because I know you've had similar experiences with all this stuff. Oh, yeah, there's times when, like, like people are like, oh, this unit's amazing. And then you, you, it kind of goes down on the table when you're like, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, like, like um, when you look at things like the... The bikes, for instance, they are really good mm. in death watch. Yes, but in every other army, not so good. Yeah, but they're good in white scars. They're good in white scars, but you can still only take three. Mm-hmm. And when you look at white scars, you're like, well, actually, aggressors are still better because they still get to move and shoot, and the smaller board is fine. Because if you if you just advance and charge in a unit of bikes turn one with white scars they're going in they've got no support and they inevitably they might kill something but then they just die Mm. in response and then you've got kind of no pressure unit whereas if you use something like aggressors you can send in everything turn two and just mince your opponent Mm. because the bikes are scary on paper like the only reason that the death watch ones are good at the moment is because they count as infantry Mm -hmm. and i imagine games workshop's going to turn around soon and be like when you've got a whole unit of five bikes, they're going to lose the infantry keyword because yeah. that sounds sensible. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree with that decision. I mean, don't get me wrong. Them having obsec is good enough, in my opinion, but them being infantry is very, very strong. But yeah. the thing is, the things that make it strong or the thing people think about it being strong aren't actually really correct. And I think this is the thing. It's like, I think there's a bit, there's a lot more as I say a lot more lot more speculation these days online about what is and what isn't good and a lot less actual practical reality about that and I think people have been able to immerse themselves more in those kind of communications which has led people to sort of be like oh the space marine armies are ridiculous now because they've got this this and this and it's like well yeah if you include the supplements uh, of a 2019 supplements space marines are super super strong but if you play death watch I'm genuinely honestly serious here Deathwatch are really strong in ninth edition, but I think once six or six or so more codexes come out, they will be no stronger than anyone else. You know, yeah. and that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. I want I want that to be the case. I want to have you rock up with your Drakari army, me playing my Deathwatch, and have 
us have close games. You know, I want Phil's Imperial Guard to have close games. You know, that's all I've ever wanted for this thing. I don't like turning up and knowing what the result is every time. You know, I don't like that. Was one of the things about Eighth Edition that started to get a bit bonkers and has with our various editions is I could just look at your army and go, "Cool, you can't beat me." You know. And yeah. not you specifically or Phil specifically, but I mean, if I saw an army, certainly in like tournament scenarios, I'd be like, cool, it's impossible for me to lose this game. You know, <laughs> if I yeah. if I turned up and someone had two, uh, three shadow swords against my six flyer list, I'd be like, cool, you, I can't lose to you because I'm just going to I'm just going to keep my distance and I'm going to be minus, uh, you know, minus two to hit and you're never going to hit me. And I'm just going to blow you away <laughs> over a series of turns and all that other stuff. And. Yeah, it's good that the game's not like that anymore, or potentially won't be like that very soon. So, yeah. winner, winner. Anyway, Phil, any last final thoughts from you, or should we just call it a day there, mate? Uh, well, you know, I can I completely agree with everything you just said. So, uh, just echoing your sentiments. Mm. Well, good. I like that. It's nice when we all agree. We haven't agreed much lately, have we? We've had a few funny little, funny little disagreements over the interwebs. It's been funny. It's only because Phil's wrong. <laughs> but irrespective of that, it's been quite interesting. I've enjoyed the, I've enjoyed some of the debating over the last few episodes. It's been fun. Oh, yeah, it's, been it's, it's, it's healthy. Yeah, exactly, right? You shouldn't agree all the time. I suppose, last thing I want to talk about, last, last thing, last thing, the Big Fat Quiz of the Year. How are we feeling about that? And I know this is something we probably need to discuss offline, but... How are we feeling about that right now? Because we obviously weren't going to do it because of the lockdown, but now we've moved into our sort of tiered system again. Theoretically, we could gather and record it. What, what's our thinking? Should we not what, risk out, it? Outdoors? I mean, yeah, it's an option. It's Again, it's one of these really awkward scenarios, mate, where I feel like I want to do it for the fans, but at the same time, I don't want us to take unnecessary risks so I'm just curious what our thought process is on that side of things. Let the fans decide. Let the fans decide. Do you want us to get COVID fans? Tell us in the comments and we might just do it for you. Yeah, I don't know. It's still on the cards, well, I guess. Worst case scenario, we just do it online. Yeah, that was what I was thinking. I, was I thinking... mean, it's not obviously it's not as fun, but that's probably all we can do. Yeah, I think that's probably where it's going to go. So I might... Um... Yeah. We'll look into seeing if we could do like a digital one, I guess, yeah. I mean, we could always, you know, mix it up and make it live, stream it, and then the right. fans can interact. They can play along. The lo- a live stream? could do a live stream. Blimey. That sounds dangerous. We do have a lot of weirdos that follow us. <laughs> That's no way to talk about our, you know. Did we agree on what, what our fans were called once upon a time? I think there was a survey at one point, or not a survey, but we we were we asked people what they wanted to be referred to as. Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember now either. I think it was like, I don't know, whatever it was. I'll, I'll go and refresh my memory on that front. But um, there you go. Anyway, yeah, we'll work it out. Maybe we could do that. This is a conversation to have offline. But there you go. We've had it in front of uh, the peeps, the weirdos, as Joe has called them. Um, just... I'm only referring to people like. Tim. Oh, like Tim. And Richie. And who else? Um, Sean. It was Weird Ands. Weird Ands. Weird Ands, Sean. 
Anyway, right, that's enough of that. Let's get on with whatever it is we're doing in our real lives and uh, leave these people to get on with theirs. Thanks, everyone. Uh, can't even talk. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye-bye. 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 B